and welcome to episode 124 of the Age of Darkness podcast. As usual, we have an incredible show for you full of heresy content. Darren, what are we doing today? In um, We really need a name for this segment. I keep saying the game segment. Like, well, we, we, should, we need a better we, name. Well, we did it by theme originally. Originally, it was like the autumn of campaigns, and we're now in late spring. So, late spring of campaigns. <laughs> what do we so, do for yeah. the late spring of campaigns? Well, there you go. It's campaign season. Let's go for that. Um, we are looking at the infamous siege, and well, one of the infamous sieges of Hydrocordatus. Those of you who haven't heard of Hydrocordatus, if you've read Angel Exterminatus, it's the Living Fortress. It's that opening scene where the Fourth Legion, the Iron Warriors, are trying to murder and kill as many Imperial Fists as possible in a fortress that is basically like an AI. It opens things up. It eats you alive. And what we have in that campaign is we have a brand new Iron Warriors unit, something that hates Automata. But don't we all? Don't we all? Only if you play against them. We know what they did in the Age of Strife. Everybody knows. No, no one likes a walk-in microwave. But (laughs) it's a good one. We, we, um, You and I, being both Fourth Legion players, we like this this campaign. And there's a fantastic set of linked missions in this campaign as well, which we think can fit into lots and lots of different game systems. So have a listen. Have Let us know what you think. Even if you're not an Iron Warrior player, have a listen to the missions and tell us what you think about them. Excellent. And in Tales of Heresy, we will be, well, we're taking a, pa- a palate cleanser. We usually do a palate cleanser after a series. Uh, we just discussed uh, Deathfire. And uh, before we start Old Earth, which will be the next uh, novel we'll be tackling, we just have to do a little novella. And what we chose is our reflection cracked a messed up, crazy little story uh, for the Primarchs anthology uh, about how Fulgrim. Yeah, go on, JP. Don't mess with Fulgrim. This one. How, how Fulgrim does what? It's a wild one. It's, it, it, it's, a, it's a funky little story. Let, let's go with how Fulgrim blurs the lines. <laughs> Let, let's go as far as that, shall we? Blurred Lines, starring Fulgrim. Uh, it's yeah. a good one, though. I mean, it's, it's a good, a good one. story. It's an, it's an old story. You know, it's from the well, Primarchs anthology, isn't it? So it, it's it's an old story, but it's a goodie. We like this one. Oh, yeah. So um, stay tuned for that. That should be interesting. And before we do any of that, uh, we will be revisiting Adepticon weekend from a couple of weeks ago now and recapping everything that happened. Uh, we'll be right back. And welcome back to a very special, very, very special segment where we recap Adepticon. Now, awfully sorry that this hasn't come out sooner. Um, it's, well, I would say partially my fault. It's probably entirely my fault. Since coming back from Adepticon, I've been hellishly, hellishly sick. Uh, so much so that we haven't been able to record. But yeah, this is it. This is our reminiscence. This is our recap. This is the behind-the-scenes look at <laughs> Adepticon. Right, All the stupid, I'll, stupid things we did. I'll, I'll switch off for a while and read about Mark Six from Heresy then. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, tonight we have uh, Darren, our passive observer, JP, the very special guest, Alex from the oh. Death Betrayal podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. And also a very important component of Adepticon Heresy. Um, unfortunately, yeah, uh, Alex had a car. 
Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was yeah, very yeah. helpful. Because I had the car, yeah. Because <laughs> Alex had the car, yeah. <laughs> Uh, before we go any further, I just want to shout out uh, Zach, who was originally supposed to join us, but then uh, we had to reschedule and we rescheduled onto Easter <laughs> and he has a family and could not join us, but um, we'll be chatting with him soon. I have no doubt, but okay, let's, uh, let's talk about, about our experience. Uh, one of the things I'm excited because uh, Alex and Miles, both of you, this was your first Adepticon experience. That's correct. Yeah. So, um, well, I'll ask for a recap at the end, but let's, let's, let's go through uh, everything that happened. So, um, well, first of all, uh, Miles was a bit late. <laughs> Day late because of uh, well, various factors with my immigration, I wasn't logged correctly on their system. Um, I, I don't really want to bore people with the details. <laughs> uh, no, the uh, more I, administrative I, I, details we need about the immigration policies is that's why people tune in. That's why that's why yeah, we have I, listeners. Uh, so after having sort of like a mini breakdown, uh, I had spent the night in Dublin and flew out the next day. So we'll start with the um, the Thursday. I know most people got in. Did you get, um, Alex, did you get in on, on the Wednesday? Uh, Wednesday right? No, I actually got there Tuesday. Oh. Yeah. Um, I want to say I got in, I think I got in around five or six. Uh, I think I got caught in traffic, um, which was real dicey because like I had to go to the bathroom as I was pulling up to Chicago and I was like, oh, I'm only like 20 minutes away. Uh, and it took me like two hours to get oh, that God. 20 minutes. Yeah. That's cool. Go-go traffic. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just had every, I, I screwed my timing up like all over the place. I ended up like leaving and getting there early and then leaving there, uh, earlier than I, I had intended originally too. Um, but no, I got there like Tuesday night. Uh, I want to say Zach got there Tuesday night too. Um, but I might be mixing it up. It might be mixing up Wednesday, but I knew they were going to be doing setting up and stuff. And so I, I came to help with that. So let's start with the Wednesday, actually. Let's start with, um, because everybody at least got to experience the, I guess, the uh, Adepticon uh, reveal, like the Warhammer um, mm, like yeah. uh, reveal party. Um, well, you were there personally. I was only flying out that morning. So I was still up trying to finish my Falcon while watching it while you were already at Adepticon. I, I was driving to the airport at two. So I started my journey at two o'clock in the morning and I was able to catch it driving over. Were you watching it <laughs> while you were driving? Yeah, I, yeah, I had it sort of like loaded up in the, um, uh, the, the where you put the, like the sat nav. That doesn't so sound I, safe. You should, probably shouldn't do that. I was concentrated on the road. Absolutely. Doesn't sound like it. So it just had background music on. That that's that's uh let's move on. But <laughs> <laughs> well, what do we all think? Okay, um there's a lot of cool shit that that was previewed. Um the whole Necromunda stuff is, is fantastic. But let's not talk about that. Um what did you guys think about that uh, video? As soon as I saw it, I immediately uh, <laughs> I immediately messaged uh Darren. I was like, Darren, watch this right now. And it was like three in the morning at the time because I'd watched it like 15 times by then. Uh, and so uh, three in the morning, I, I knew Darren was up because he's probably getting up for, for work. It's like, Darren, watch this right now. The message not, he not sent me was so morning, cold. Three in the morning. Oh, was it three in the morning? Yeah, it was about six. And I did message you say, look, I'm trying to get ready for work. I'll, yeah. I'll watch it later. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was one for me, right? So one for me, it's six for Darren. I made the calculation. He's probably getting up. No, it was so cold. It was, mate, I'm getting ready for work. <laughs> I'll watch it after. So it's like, okay, I was just excited. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not I'm not my best that time in the morning for anyone. <laughs> it's a, it sounded like I was getting castigated. It's like, 
I was, I was being sent to the corner to think about what I did. <laughs> yes, but I did watch it. I did watch it later on. So and and well, I, I can. I, there's just so many good bits in that video, isn't there? There's so many good bits. I mean, quite a, obviously, it's Sons of Horus, so I'm going to be highly engaged in that video anyway. Uh, the things that stick out for me was the spear tip uh, drop pod assault. Just oh seeing that, because that's what that's what my company is based on, isn't it? That's what my company's been on since book one, and just seeing it in action is just like. Dear God, yes, this is what I want. And seeing warlords destroyed by orbital strikes. My God, it never yeah. works like that into the game, though. In Titanicus, it never happens like that. I will point that out. Well, it'd be no fun if everyone was well, just like, ah, orbital strike here, here. It here. would if it wasn't your warlord. Well, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> but yeah, there was there was lots of good things in that video. Alex, what was it like live? Uh, well, it was pretty cool. I was still on Cloud9 because I won uh, a Primark model for like the second time this year. Oh, yeah. yeah um, there was a trivia, right? Yeah. And I'm a massive nerd. So uh, I got second place at Ovia and I got first place at Adepticon. Um, and uh, so I, I, they gave away a Horus, which uh, I think was a big hint. Uh, like that was the first place prize. So I was like, okay, like we're 100% getting heresy uh, right now. But I, the video was unbelievable. The energy in the room was palpable. Um, there's a lot of guys, I think, that were just like, oh, man, man I'm, I'm going to have to buy into this, um, mm-hmm. which was cool. Uh, some like one of my favorite parts was there's um, kind of a scene where like a Titan is walking and you can really see how fast the Marines move. Cause they're like running and like almost keeping up with a Titan at like a mild sprint. And that, I don't know that, that, that was the part of the scene that really just jumped out to me, but uh, the, the energy in the room was electric. Oh, it must've been, I wish, I wish I went a day early. I was trying to game the Canadian system and only show up for the amount of time that uh, PCR test was good for. <laughs> I mean, it worked. Yeah, it worked. Yeah. <laughs> I, I played them. They got played. Yeah. Um, I got so stressed I, out and I, I spent like a whole day, all day Thursday in my room trying to find someone that'll test me. <laughs> but um, uh, uh, the video was incredible. Like that jazzed me so much. I painted so much faster after that. I was so stoked for heresy. So stoked to finish my, cause that's the last thing I need to finish was Falcon. I've been working on it for like a month before Adepticon. And of course I finished in the last two days. I literally took the last day off work completely. Just, just to finish the, that's all I did. <laughs> I barely ate. I was just like, I was just painting. Um, so uh, yeah, the, the videos, I just, it's the, the scale of it is something that I harp on yeah. um, constantly on the show is that what one of the, the, the key factors that brings me towards heresy that makes heresy the variant of, you know, 40 K um, of this universe that I love is the scale of it. It's so big and adding all the Titans and all like half the scenes have Titans on in them. And I think that's an important um, I guess aesthetic choice because it just shows you how big this f- war is, this universe is. And the key word there is titans. Yeah. Plural. You know, in, in 40k, you normally have one titan reference in a, in a battle group or a campaign. Heresy, we're seeing manipuls of them coming out, and they were warlords as well. So they're not, you know, it's not little ones that you'd expect to run around with good old warhounds. We're seeing manipuls of titans engaging in combat, and they're seeing how void shields are activated. Seeing the princeps on board, yeah. On it's a nice link to Titanicus as well because well, obviously we know that's a heresy setting, so that that's nice to see. Mm. But like you said, it's the scale involved, isn't it? And even the starships. And come on, is this potential teaser for Battlefleet? Heresy? It has to be. It Pot- has to be. You know, 
dear God, would I heavily invest in that game. Um, but it would be nice to see it, wouldn't it? Good catch. Yeah. Uh, I feel that this is the best video that has come out of this universe since the Dawn, Dawn of War trailer in like 2003 or the Dawn of War. You know, oh, the, the, yeah. when you boot that up, the, 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 the Blood Angels versus the Orcs. When I saw that, I lost my shit. And I haven't lost my shit at a video uh, of this universe uh, until now, until the Horse Heresy. And But it the contrast is, is fascinating because that old video that I think everybody loves, everybody's watched it like a million times, probably has like 70, 70 fucking million views on YouTube and probably half of those are me. But it shows you the scale difference between the two universes. Because on the one hand, you have like a, a squad of Marines, a Dread, and like, what, a Predator? And against a few dozen orcs. And then in this Horse Harris video, you see you have a galaxy shattering, two galaxy shattering forces hitting each other. Yeah, it's, uh, what, what, it's like two unstoppable forces. But anyways, that's, that's all we got, though. That's all we got. For the first day, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a Wednesday. So I showed up on the Thursday. And uh, by then, I think that you were already working on uh, the Istvan, uh, the return to Istvan um, uh, uh, event that was that, that evening. Which, by the way, thank you yeah. mercifully. Thank you so much for having an event in the evening. That works so much better on my schedule. Uh, you know what? I like. I really like the evening event. Uh, if I run something in the future again, I, I think I'm going to try to hang on to that slot. Because, um, uh, yeah, it just, I don't know. The The feel is different. Everybody's drinking. Nobody's taking it seriously, which is perfect. Um, and it, it was just, it was a blast. Uh, and, and I mean, you guys were able to like create house rules on some of your tables to increase your immersion. No one was worried about it. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a different vibe, and I I loved it. Oh, uh, okay. So how how the event go? Because I was really concentrated on my table. I can talk about what happened. <laughs> what happened uh, yeah. to my Falcon <laughs> uh, uh, in, in a second? But like generally speaking, how how did it, how did everything go? Did it follow the the storyline? Are we in an alternate heresy? Did we start a new timeline? Uh, no, actually, it, it followed the timeline uh, pretty well. I think. Um, my my Raven Guard had to jump in to kind of balance stuff out, but the, the way that we executed the format was I kind of had three major engagements. Um, and uh, I kind of mapped mapped uh, those three major tables, which were double-sized, pardon me, double-sized tables. Um, so uh, we put three, three people per side on each one of those double-wide tables. Uh, so you're looking at 9,000 points a side, which I felt really reflected like the main offensive the main front line on on isfan 5 um and we mapped that out kind of to represent the map that's in the black book um which worked out perfectly uh, i i think and then because that's not everybody's shtick like not everybody likes kind of playing big matches like that or, or team battles uh, we had some surrounding tables as well and the missions were designed so that people could play them either as centurion plus if they'd prefer to do that or if that's all they brought uh, or they could play them as like a 3000 point front line um, and the missions worked well uh, for both cases um, and then uh, which, which you probably uh, i'm not sure if anyone brought you a, a tactics card or not jp but i didn't get um, a card no Okay, so I I had uh, Freddie bring me um, Freddie the Swede uh, bring me some of the Varangian Heresy tactics cards, and so if one of those people playing on the surrounding tables, like sort of the supporting battlefields, uh, if one of them won, then I gave them 
a tactics card. Uh, like I'd shuffle the deck and they could pull one out. And then they were able to go and take it to one of their allies on one of the major tables. Um, so what they were doing was actually still having an impact on the sort of quote unquote pivotal uh, battle that's happening on Istvan 5. Um, so a lot of the time was me walking around kind of managing that and managing those folks. And then we we did something a little bit differently as well, where uh, instead of ending the first game and then saying, okay, great, here's game two. Uh, at a certain point in the night, I came by and kind of gave everybody updated orders. So the situation had evolved, the situation had changed. Um, score yourselves out uh, to kind of see how, you know, because it's still nice to have a measurement. Um of uh, what's happening in the campaign, sort of a, a quali- uh, sorry, a quantitative component to allow us to interpret the qualitative outcome. Um, and uh, so what what I did was I walked around and okay, the situation's changed, it's evolved. So that's when I would have come by to you when you because you were on one of the the main engagement tables and said like, okay, here's your new orders. Like the situation has changed. Uh, adapt accordingly. And so at that point, some of the guys on the surrounding tables had the option to play somebody else if they wanted to, or they could keep playing somebody. Um, and the mission could easily just shift into this new, uh, this new scenario that was happening. So if you guys like, uh, like Dan and, um, and Murray, um, shout out to Canadian Remembrancer on Instagram, he was actually pivotal in helping me pull this together. He helped me get everybody checked in and, and actually gave us more game time because, uh, he helped speed everything up um, and he helped me set up uh, earlier in the night too. So pull the tables together, get the terrain situated to actually reflect Istvan 5. And uh, and then because we needed one more person, um, I said like, you're getting a crash course in Raven Guard. This guy hasn't played his uh, word bearers before like today. So uh, you can play him and the two, you can figure it out. So they can, they decided to just keep playing each other because they were going a little bit slower um but some like freddie uh had finished his game and so he got a card and he went and gave it to somebody and then he switched opponents um played somebody else and um that's that's kind of the major gist of how the tables functioned uh however there was kind of one caveat on the main tables like the table that you were a part of because you were playing iron warriors um you were part of the uh loyalist wave that the Raven Guard Salamanders and Iron Hands didn't know uh, were not so loyalist. And so I, I changed the deployment a little bit, which I wasn't sure if it was going to work out, but it did. And, and I think your table did something that I really liked uh, where you kind of house ruled that when you came down, the loyalists couldn't shoot on the uh, fake loyalists until the fake loyalists opened fire on the real loyalists. Well, what's so, happening is um, uh, the, the the deployment because uh, the way it worked, we had three thousand points of, of of death guard that were camped out facing nine thousand points of salamanders, and the salamanders were driving towards them. And the way and then there was six thousand points. Uh, there was uh, there was two armies, two three thousand point armies of of iron warriors, and our deployment was going to be behind the salamanders. Uh, but you had written it that it had to be with further than 12 inches. So I couldn't deploy within 12 inches, but yeah. Uh, so it was really tough. We couldn't really deploy anything on the first turn. And we figured that um, this isn't going to work because they could just smoke us like every, just turn around and just smoke whatever we put on every turn. Or yeah. the way that it's written is they could have just like redeployed and just prevented us from actually deploying our army. Um, but the thing is, it's not that kind of event. It's not that kind no. of event. So we just, uh, so every, everybody was uh, agreed. It's just, you know, we're playing this narratively. The salamanders are, 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 are playing as if 
the Iron Warriors are there to support them and are going to continue driving against the Death Guard. And until um, a, an Iron Warrior actually shoots or you know attacks a Salamander, then then we can't be attacked or they can't turn around. And that had to be house ruled. And but again, it's that kind of event. Everybody understood what we were trying to do, and it it was incredibly fun. Yeah, and that that put me over the moon because um, you're right. It's easily something that if this was like a tournament style or you know a more competitive focused event, like yeah, they could have just boxed you out and just waited until they scored enough points. Uh, it was great. There's this one Iron Warrior. I I, I, remember, I fucking named him too at the time, and I don't remember what the name was. Um, but uh, I named the Iron Warrior that starts the heresy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because so th- there was this... I think there was Iron Hands on your table as well, right? I think he shot an immortal in the back. Yes, that's right. Um, and, yeah, he shot an immortal in the back, uh, did nothing, and then that whole squad that started the heresy the next turn got completely smoked by a, a, a Salamander's Contemptor, just <laughs> completely swept out. So it's like, well, that was a that was a good decision, Gracchus. I think it might have been Gracchus. I don't remember exactly Gracchus, what I named him, but it was something like it was some some Greek name. Yeah, you'll have to get uh, a Verstappen terrain nameplate and just put it on that. Congratulations! One guy. This yeah. was a, this was a good heresy. You heresied well. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, anyways, that that was kind of my view from the, the EO's table. Uh, we we had a, a number of prizes, and uh, including some from Miles uh, Little Legend Studio. Uh, we had some from Versatile Terrain. Um, Tortuga Bay had signed up to uh, provide prize support, but obviously current events uh, impacted that. Um, however, they're back up and running. So if you like their stuff, uh, don't hesitate to order from those folks. Uh, and then we had some support from Artel, who uh, I don't think you can order from right now. And um, Liber de Monica is in, in that boat as well. But everybody got, uh, everybody got some bits. Um, in line with other events that I've run, everybody got a Lodge coin. Uh, which you can trade to your opponent for a reroll, uh, and you can keep that. And if you come to other events that I run, uh, that currency still exists and persists. Um, so if you bring lodge coins you got from previous events, you'll have more rerolls. And uh, I think there were stickers. There, there was a, a lot of stuff that oh pins. Um, and uh, our our podcast, the Death and Betrayal podcast, provided uh, all of the pins for the event as well. So nice little. Um, sort of commemorative 10th anniversary uh, drop pod pin. Uh, I haven't drawn in forever, but I think I did an okay job drawing that drop pod, <laughs> making it a little stylized. Uh, yeah, but that, w- that was kind of the view from the the uh, organizers table. Uh, why don't you give us kind of the, the player level? Uh, it was a fantastic event. And this is the kind of event that I like. Uh, I did the team tournament a few years. Um, and every time the team tournament, we made it fun. Uh, we made it fun. Um, I remember when you're uh, Freddie and I, uh, as Team Flak Jacket, we were playing against Chris Pretty and Jake. Yeah, uh, forgot Legion um, and Covenant of Fire, but, but, but it was just a, like a basic scenario, right? And you know, it, it, someone's eventually going to get a medal at the end of it and all that stuff. But we didn't want to play like that, and we got our, our mission, and then we invented this whole storyline based on this Thalax that needed that had important information that was like destroyed in the center of the table that we needed to recover. That was going to be the objective. So you have to kind of make it narrative. What was fun about Return to Fan was it was already narrative. Everybody, you know, you know the story and you know what we're trying to do. And it was incredible. And again, we already made some some tweaks um, um, uh, because, again, we were all in this. We, we all understood what we were trying to accomplish that night uh, over beers and dice. Um, but uh, it was a brutal game. 
And honestly, the Iron Warriors didn't do that great. <laughs> so even with all the uh, the advantages of, of surprise and heresy, we still managed to pretty much lose. <laughs> uh, um, we managed to bring our stuff on. Uh, I was rolling like shit as usual. Uh, most of my infantry got like smoked by, by, by contemptors. I, I guess the culminating point, if you will, uh, was when our objectives uh, changed. And uh, our objective, because uh, halfway through, uh, as you mentioned, uh, we got a new objective. So instead of playing a new game, I really love that, by the way, I like that mechanic. So instead of starting a new game, you're actually just starting a new like phase of the game. So everything still stays where it is. But our objective is now just to kill Vulcan. That's the only objective. If we kill Vulcan, we win. So it's like, yeah. we, were, we, we were chatting. It's like, oh, man, we got this. We got so much shit on the table. Like we, we, we I had like. There was like 20 tyrant terminators on the table. Uh, Vulcan was in a, um, a Spartan, I should mention. My uh, Falcon had come in, super heavy tank destroyer. Come on. I, I had two uh, laser destroyer, not sabers. What are they called? Uh, vindicators. Uh, vindicators, yeah. Oh, like we had so much material on, on the table, so much firepower. It's like, oh, Vulcan's fucked. We're going to get this guy. Uh, so we decided, okay, we got to just bust the Spartan and then just smoke Vulcan. We, we failed to bust the, the Spartan. <laughs> we fired everything at it. I took a my Falcon, my super heavy tank destroyer, like put like a single hull point on, on the fucking Spartan. Next turn, <laughs> Vulcan comes out and just, he, he destroys my Falcon in one shot, pretty much just walks up to it like, like Babe Ruth. I use this joke about <laughs> like Babe Ruth, like just pointing to the, pointing to the sky and just like, boom, this Fal- Falcon <laughs> is destroyed. And he ran through all of our Tyrant Terminators. We did not kill Vulcan through everything we had at him. I think we might have stripped. I didn't I didn't write it down. I don't remember exactly how many wounds we stripped. I think we stripped a couple. But yeah, Vulcan was fine. Iron Warriors, not so much. Maybe don't screw with Vulcan. Yeah, sounds like the Salamanders make good stuff. Yeah, they make good stuff. I was very surprised. Uh, I really thought we had it. And it's nope. (laughs) But it was it, it was it was it was a blast. And I assume right after that engagement, that's when. Uh, 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 um, I guess Mortarian comes in because Mortarian is the one that wounded uh, Vulcan, right? I believe so. I think so. Uh, I haven't read Vulcan Lives in a while. But anyways, yeah, it's been. Years. I'm assuming that's what happened. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, because uh, um, he gets and, wounded and then uh, Kurz like takes him. And it was the first. It was the first time of many times that weekend that my Warsmith Creos Reconitides died. Uh, this was a very unusual weekend for me. Usually he's pretty tough. Not at Adeptcon 2022, but we'll get to that. <laughs> so after, I guess, uh, after that event, uh, we went shopping and uh, that was the night. And we couldn't find Freddy. Freddy disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I disappeared too. I went to bed like right away. <laughs> I was like, I'm out of here. Today's been long. Yeah, well, we, went to the, we went to the Bits guy. Um, oh, shit. That's right. Yeah, we, we went did to, go to the Bits guy. We went like to the Bits two in the morning. Bought, yeah, it was really exciting. I was looking for a, because um, I, I want to do that that old hammer project that that I've been that's been on the back burner for two years. So I went looking for the parts that I needed. So I bought a bunch of old second edition uh, or no, that would be fourth edition Warhammer Beastmen and a bunch of old Skaven sculpts that I actually I absolutely adore that I wish I would have had as a child. I was the only thing I was looking for and I could not find because this is a guy that always everybody that's been in Depthcon knows this guy. It's like just giant bins of model of old models and bits. Uh, I was just looking for a chaos dwarf with a big ass hat. And I asked them, do you have a chaos Store sorcerer with a big ass hat? And they did not. So um, that's going to be an eBay purchase. But I got everything else I need for my warband. So that was that was fun. So I dropped I dropped a bit of coin. Dropped a bit of coin, not for the last time. But that was Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, 
that was it. That was it for Thursday. But maybe if a listener has a spare chaos dwarf, they can with the big ass hat, with the big ass hat, big ass hat, sorcerer. Yeah, um, get in touch. Is it, is it like a pope hat with like two banners on it? Um, I'm looking for the old chaos dwarf sorcerer, not Astrogoth. Um, the the the, the base uh, chaos dwarf sorcerer, the old second. Uh, again, I'm getting mixed up with the contemporary uh, 40k edition. Darren, that's fourth edition, right? I'm thinking of. Yeah, it will be. Yeah. Yeah, Chaos Force. Okay. Well, they've, they've always been in since third ed, but the ones with the, the massive, massive hats uh, are all fourth edition. Okay. And I'll have a dig around. I may have one, or I might have a friend who might have one. So Ooh. I'll dig around as well. I'll, I'll see what I can do, but no promises. But on the plus side, I got the other two, the, the two units that I rolled up my um, beast bin and my uh, my Skaven. Um, that's sorted out. So I'm one step closer to actually working on this project. So that was Thursday. How was your uh, Friday? One, one quick on Thursday, oh. actually, because uh, I forgot to announce this the night of because I was having a few pops while I was running it. One of the things that that I've I started doing at LVO and I, I did it here as well is I have like an achievement system on your uh, campaign contribution record. So like longest small arms fire kill, like most number of characters killed in a challenge, things like that. Um, and the previous record was from Adepticon. It was like 22 or 23 inch like plasma gunshot. So the, the stipulation for small arms is anything that like wouldn't cause instant death on a Marine. And uh, David Malafarina had actually, he holds the current new record for longest small arms character kill. And that's 55 inches. Oh, wow. With what? Uh, okay. Lightning or um, with a uh, photon thruster on a Thalak. So it's like 72 inch, like strength six AP two or something. <laughs> Excellent. Well done. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's the shot to beat at future events. Is fifty five inches. I'm gonna have to come up with something to really commemorate that. Maybe get a little cup, start engraving it. <laughs> <laughs> like, this fifty five inches is insane. Like that's a crazy shot. That's a good shot. Yeah. So let's go into Friday. Uh, how was your Friday morning? Uh, we, had, we had to ju- we had to judge a painting competition, which was interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, I got up. I got up early. I can't remember what I did. I got a coffee. Oh, I got a coffee. I met uh, Carlos, um, the guy who uh, works for Corbus Belly, like helped invite uh, invent Infinity. Chatted with him for a while. I like, had a coffee with him. Um, he was cool. If you like Infinity, there's lots of cool stuff coming out for that. But I'm sure you would have seen that already. Uh, and then I spent more time trying to find someone who will test me. Um, and then. Then I, yeah, then I met up with you and we, we judged the doubles painting comp. Well, Zach yeah. had, had, had uh, so much to deal with. Like he was running like events the whole time and uh, he didn't have anybody, ju- he didn't have time to judge the painting competition and have it. So, so when we showed up to go, uh, to go hang out that morning, it was like, can you go guys go judge the painting competition? It's like, I am not qualified for this. Goddamn miles. Like that's the person you wanted to ask, but no, I have yeah. to be in Dublin. Yeah. Well, he was on a plane at that point. Yeah, I, I was so. on a plane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we went Still around. No ju- use. Still no use to you guys. <laughs> but I, I didn't. I didn't actually do anything. Alex like judged everything. I kept getting distracted, <laughs> and always like having to run back because he was always like three tables ahead. While Zach was like, "You guys, like, we're behind. I need you guys to speed up." <laughs> like he came up and talked because I was getting distracted too. So many of them were fantastic. I know there was not one hundred armies. Yeah, like, okay, tell me about this now. And he came by, he's like, guys, like, I have to start the next round. Can you fucking hurry up, please? <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, okay. You asked um, the wrong person. Yeah. So I just got into management mode and I, I assessed it. Uh, I, I don't know if I qualify to really be assessing it, but 
Uh, Who won? I don't remember. I uh, so uh, Imran. He was partnered with the Raven Guard player, and I can't remember the Raven Guard player's name, but it was it was Imran's Alpha Legion, whoa, which whoa, looked whoa. fantastic. Hang on a minute. So, Alex, you're telling me as a Raven Guard player, you chose a Raven Guard army to win? I did, but it was so close. Uh-huh. It was um, okay. No, I remember that army. That was fantastic. Yeah. So he worked some green undertones into his whites. Um, and like he was one of the guys that we were talking to, uh, because we were like, this is a really interesting color. And so his camo cloaks were all actually done with camouflage patterning. Um, and still actually had like shading transitions even on the camouflage patterning. Uh, were they in um were, were they in Mark Six armor? Most of them were. Um, oh, I, I if, yeah. Uh, so th- okay, this, just... well, this is, um, no, this was the uh, team tournament. This was the, t- yeah, this was the doubles, uh, event. Um, but, uh, his were based around the Raptors. So he was like, all of these will eventually become the Raptors chapter. Um, and so for those who don't know the Raven guard lore, the Raptors chapter, it's like, it's made out of the remaining smooth skins from, the Raptors contingent, which were like the super rapid space Marines that uh, Korax made. And all of them were, um, or the majority of them were initially outfitted in Mark six armor. But so he worked these green undertones in to kind of give a little bit of visual storytelling. Um, And then he had, he had strong weathering, great use of weathering powder. His bases uh, and Imran's bases as well were like very diorama esque. Um, So they weren't, like, you know, just my lazy bases where I just put like textured paint and weathering powder on it, call it a day. And, uh, his, his black had transitions in it and undertones. It wasn't just like, okay, here's flat black edge highlight. Um, in there, Zach had like a score sheet that we used and I think they won by like a point. Like, so it was, it was super close. There was a couple other like fantastic armies. And then there was a few, pair ups where like one army would be huge and then the other one uh was like not didn't get the same sort of love that went into it right so like one half of the army would have like all these diorama-esque bases and then the other one would just have like you know my bases minus the weathering powder which is why personally at, at my events when i do best painting i don't i don't like using a score sheet but i followed the parameters of the event and the parameters of the score sheet and that's that's what determined it. So purely from a technical perspective, um, these guys deserved it. Uh, and Im- Imran had like a number of conversions. Like he's got a Zyphon that's converted to look like even more streamlined and aggressive. Kind of reminds me of like an Avro arrow. That should probably help you remember which Zyphon I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, it's just the, the love and the care and the skill that went into those two armies. Um, I think it just created the perfect matchup to actually. I mean, all of them were good. Yeah, uh, I, I I always struggle with, uh, with 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 picking. We had the same thing. We'll talk about Golden Demon um, uh, shortly, but uh, I have the same problem, right? Like for me, they all look fantastic, um, but definitely that was well deserved. Yeah, well, and that's why I like at, at the events that I run. If I'm doing a sort of painting or best character or best in show or whatever, I'll typically like give out. I'll give everyone like a glass bead, and then while everything's set up over lunch. Like you can go by and just drop your glass beads sort of anonymously next to the army. Hmm. Cause like then, that. yeah, well, um, because like, let's say somebody doesn't do diorama bases or they don't have the money or they don't want to spend the money on something like unreal 
um, bases or, or dragon forge or whatever. I, I know there's a ton of companies out there that do it now. Um, and you know, but they might have like this really cool conversion or a really cool theme and, you know, the paint job's still pretty good. Like that might be enough for you to be like, I, this one I love. Cause you know, maybe, maybe you've seen that meticulously, fantastically technical painted ultramarines army at the last three events. And, you know, maybe it won the first time, but now you're just bored of seeing it. So now, you know, it's not the same thing, like sort of winning over and over again from a technical standpoint, it actually provides a bit of uh, qualitative and, and community inclusion when you do it that way. Um, Cause you, you made, you made a great point where you were like, I don't know that I'm qualified to do this. And, and I don't think that I'm qualified either. You know, I'm not some amazing painter, but everyone has an opinion and art is subjective. So let's say that even there was three of us judging that all it's going to do is come down to the three of us basically taking a vote probably on which, which one was the best. And all you've done is reduce that pool. And for some people that might discourage them from improving or changing or, or even creating their own sort of stylistic uh, attempts, I guess we'll call it. Um, Cause Lord knows I've attempted stylistic changes that don't work out. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it, so that, that's why I like it. It gets everybody involved and then everybody feels like it. And then nobody, nobody feels like they have to paint a certain way. And that kind of comes from, you know, my experience in, in my current area where Kenny Boucher's style of painting is very, very popular here, but it's not something I want to do, or I, I particularly, I guess, appreciate as some of the same as some other styles. Um, so typically armies that are painted in that sort of style with like, I'm, I'm going to call it comic bookish, you know, there might be like some big vibrant colors, which is something my co-host Craig really enjoys. Like he likes using bright, vibrant colors and, and that's fine. Like that's, that's what he likes. And, and that's how he chooses to, you know, showcase his art. Um, but if we're going from a purely technical, like judged competition, he'll probably have a likelier chance of winning something than I would because my art style is different. So it kind of, I feel like it puts us all on an even pain. Um, if you're going to judge like best painted or best in show or, or whatever. I really like uh, that. It's my philosophy oh. on it. Miles, have you ever uh, judged a competition? Would you, if if you were there, you know you would have been asked. Yeah, I, I mean, I've I've only done them at sort of like local, um, uh, like gaming weekends, and uh, I think uh, Alex hit the nail on the head. No matter what criteria you apply to judging the army, it's always subjective. It always comes down to like that gut feeling of preference, and uh, I think the heresy has a certain style. Um, so I think if you're judging a uh, maybe a 40k army, Elder tend to do quite well because they're big, bright, beautiful miniatures, eye-catching color schemes. But if you put that in a heresy setting, I think the lack of weathering, the lack of grit, would go against it. So you do need to take sort of like these these extra dimensions uh, and the context in which you judge in the competitions into account, which might not be entirely fair doing that uh but it, yeah it, it it does feel unfair whoever you do pick and it does feel unfair that you can't pick like a couple of people to win the win win the painting prize yeah it's um not a nice feeling judging these things no and and that's why i just put my manager hat on and got like dissociated from it mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah i mean like, if, it happens, uh... 
yeah, I, I think the glass bead thing is a good thing. At least there, then you have some kind of like metric to judge it against, and it's not just a purely subjective thing that you're that, that's based solely on your opinion. Yeah, and and maybe I'm biased, but I feel like when that happens, you don't see anyone get bummed out that they didn't win. Yeah, yeah, like because they they probably voted for that person, particularly if they're close. Like if they're close mm-hmm. to that running, they'll be like, "Ah, oh, yeah, man, that was awesome. Like I voted for that. That deserved to win." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not like, "Oh, that's stupid." Like mine's definitely better. <laughs> I don't know. So, I don't know if anyone's yeah. even like that. Like, it's just speculation. So Miles was lucky enough that his plane was scheduled at a certain time that he missed being asked to do that because he definitely would have been. Uh, but after the, uh, t- uh, well, during the team's event, um, um, I guess we had to go pick up miles. So yes. miles finally yeah. shows up to this story. Yeah. Well, yes. first, uh, uh, I'm driving and, and it's starting to get to like traffic mode and JP is like, man, I don't, I don't really like being in the car. And, no, I was like, I'm not a fan. <laughs> and he's like, ah, like just accidents and stuff. I'm like, dude, I'm a good driver. It's fine. And he's like, yeah, but it's it's other people that I'm worried about. I'm like, don't worry, I'll dodge the accidents. And almost like as soon as I'm done saying that, like some guy almost nails us. Like, yeah. And I dodged him and I'm just like, yeah, see, I'm a good driver. It's fine. No, I, I live in the I live in the city, right? Like I I walk everywhere. I'm I'm just not used to being in a car a lot. And 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 so like, yeah, it stresses me out a bit, especially like heavy traffic like yeah, areas. I just got back from Mexico City. Chicago got nothing on Mexico City. Oh yeah. Uh, oh fuck, man! Just like <laughs> God, like uh, uh, motorcycles, like weaving in and out of traffic between like cars, mm. and it just stresses me the fuck out. Anyways, yeah, I hate lane chain. I hate lane switching uh, or lane uh, but, splitting. Sorry. So we went to to go get Miles, um, and and of course you can't miss Miles because he's about as tall as the terminal. <laughs> I was like, there he is. <laughs> Can see him a kilometer away. Yeah. So uh, maybe we'll get Miles to give us like his perspective. Yeah, how was it to finally arrive? This is coming back for three weeks solid. I've been dreaming. I've, I'm still in an airport. Like, I'm working through something there. Um, but it was just lovely being outside in the clean, fresh air. It was quite cold. Like, I needed that. Um, we did a little segment as well, driving from uh, the airport back to the Schomburg Centre. Um, but unfortunately, the way... I was holding my phone. It covered up the uh, microphone. So you can oh. kind of hear us, but yeah, it's awful, awful quality. So I'm not sure whether like, I want to release that with the caveat that, that the, um, yeah, it, it's just awful, awful. But it, I mean, it's things we're talking about in this episode anyway, so it's not really you, you're missing out on anything. All right. So uh, I, I arrive in Chicago. Uh, we go straight to the hotel, get checked in. No, we don't. Uh, make. No, you <laughs> needed you need you needed to try the deep dish. Oh yeah, we decided we we needed something to eat first. Um, so yeah, deep dish pizza. Now I've I'm I've come to the opinion after this that you should only try Chicago Town deep dish once in your life. Yep, because it's a once once in a lifetime experience. Like I I tried it with my wife and I went out there for a wedding. Amazing! It's it was such a unique thing. Uh, it's as deep as a pie. You have like this almost like uh, uh, short crust pastry it's it's very thick very dense uh, and very crumbly and then you have a stack of cheese on top of it the sauce sits on top of that and then you have the toppings uh, i think we all agree i mean we each bought one uh took it back to the hotel i think we ate like one two slices each yeah. from yeah, the pizza it's so fine it, it's it's monstrous yeah i couldn't eat any more than that uh, i just let 
the the thing fester than in my room for like two days. Yeah, you can't fit it in the little mini fridge that they have. It was it, no. in hindsight, we should have just gotten one pizza for all of us. It was it was a terrible decision. Yes, very much so. Uh, and also, so, yeah. I, I I was talking to my wife after this too. Just like so, had some deep dish. Just like yeah, it's not, it's kind of overrated. And it's like yeah, I've had it before, and I didn't like it then. And it's not bad. It's it's a pizza. It's like you can't go wrong with pizza. But like, I'm sorry, people from Chicago. I love all of you. I love Chicago. You have so many better like iconic dishes than the deep dish. The Chicago style hot dog is fantastic. The Italian. Uh, we'll sandwich. talk about that later. Oh yeah. Anyways. <laughs> I'm just saying it's that, like, guys, yeah, it's, it's a little bit. I, I, I don't like the Chicago deep dish. I'm, I, I'm, I, I'm sorry. Uh, it, it was great. It was great for what it was, but I feel like yeah, I've already had the experience. Yeah. I didn't need to repeat it again. Um, yeah. Anybody visiting Chicago for the first time, definitely one billion. Try percent. it. Try it, and Try you might it. like it. Yes. Where did we go for? It wasn't Luminaries. So uh, it was uh, Giordano's. Giordano's. Yeah. Giordano's. Yeah. Go yeah. with either of those two. That apparently they are the best uh, in Chicago. Oh no! Someone um, from Chicago is going to write us and tell us that no, no, no. My local pizza place is like you didn't, yeah. you didn't, you didn't try this one. You just had the Giordano's. You didn't try this one. Um, okay. I, I, I don't know. I'm, a, <laughs> I, I'm with you guys. Like it's not. I couldn't imagine living in Chicago and being like, oh yeah, like it's Friday. Let's get pizza, and then uh, get yeah, deep dish every Friday. Like no, I'm sorry. I'm in the camp of like, I mean, you know, authentic, authentic pizza coming out of the mix, like oh, New man. York style. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to check our 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 metrics and see how many people from Illinois unsubscribe. (laughs) Fuck you guys! Uh, Yeah, they never do. They just they want to convert you. Um, Yeah. Yeah, we finally Uh, get to the convention center. Yep. And this also checked in. Double check where where I'm teaching, uh, what what classroom, what time, etc. Just to make sure I don't turn up late. Then we yeah grab a couple of beers, chill out, relax. Oh, that was the Caravaggio um, class was that night, right? Yes. First first evening. Um, started at 7 o'clock. I arrived at something like 3 in the afternoon. Um, I think they changed it around. I'm sure I was teaching that on the Saturday evening. No, no, nine. no. We, we, we already it, had this conversation. Always... The brushwork was always Saturday. The Caravaggio brushwork, was always Friday. Okay. I'm pretty well, damn sure we had this conversation. Okay. The Caravaggio course. So both of you guys were in that course. What, what did you make of it? What do you think of it? Oh, I had a great time. I just appreciate because you had given very specific instructions on what to bring, like a bunch of different heads. I mm-hmm. finished my Falcon, which was the last model I needed for my my Adepticon army. I finished it at uh, three in the morning and I was catching a cab for the airport at six. So I did not have time to bring a bunch of extra heads. And then I freaked out. It's like, no, oh, don't worry. I got I got a bunch of naked space Marines. So it's mm-hmm. all good. And you also uh, brought like you brought everything that everybody needed. I appreciate you thinking about that. Um, yeah, and- so I, I very much wanted it to be more of like a laid back thing because it was a, a Friday evening. People have been gaming, people have been drinking. I didn't really want to throw like a very heavy session that people, and we only had two hours in the course. Um, so we, we I, I very much had to fit it to the audience. It's oh, a fast two that- hours though. Yeah, yeah, it was it was super fast. I, I think people really appreciate it. And this was similar to your your usual approach, like when you did the course in, in Montreal, is that you have smaller classes and you sit down with each individual person. Yeah, that, that's really important because I've had students before who have um, been with uh, other painters on their courses and they pack them like 40, 50 to a room. And there's you may as well be watching a YouTube video, the amount of interaction that you get. So I'm very keen to have smaller class sizes and have a little bit more uh, uh, back and forth. But yeah, the Caravaggio course is basically... Uh, a little talk through Caravaggio's life, 
uh, how just crazy the man was. Um, it, it turned out through f- f- forensic evidence that he, uh, a lot of his uh, eccentricities may have been caused by lead in the water. Uh, I mean, he almost killed a waiter for serving him the wrong kind of artichokes. Uh, he murdered, I mean, it's confirmed he murdered somebody from uh, a rival crime family, but he could have murdered multiple people. Uh, he was just an overall very yeah, eccentric human being. And then alongside that, he was also so, so happened to be one of the greatest artists that ever lived. And he used a technique called tenebrism, where he, he, he would build on top of a black background a white outline, so basically pre-coating. I wanted to impart on students the importance of light and shadow, especially stark light and shadow, and how you can incorporate it into your work to create more moody atmospheres. And uh, it's great when applied to skin tones, especially in the Return to Restaurant series, where a lot of the skin tones are very uh, uh, desaturated, very moody. Uh, it's ugly, old, bald men butchering each other in the dark. I, I, I like to think of it as. Um, so it was part theory, part practical, part piss up, of a course. Well, that was the intention at the, at the very least. Well, I, I think it definitely came off. I mean, I, I've got the guy, uh, I've still kept the the naked space marine i was painting and <laughs> um i i think i've picked up something from it i, I don't know if jp wants to talk to oh, him absolutely like um, this is the best skin i think i've ever painted and i think it comes exactly from that that tenebrism that black mm-hmm. background with the white pick all all the layers out yeah. and then yeah. it's just mixing what you need to and it's something i've i've personally been trying to work on is contrast and shadow, mm. which is traditionally something I've been so poor at. Um, and I think why a lot of my minis in the past have come off so flat. So yeah, I, I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was good. Fantastic. And now I'm obsessed with Caravaggio. Oh yeah. The dude's awesome. The dude's yeah. awesome. <laughs> so that was our Friday evening. Um, I, uh, went to bed after that. I, no, we did. Uh, okay. We watched <laughs> wrestling. Remember? Was that that? That was that yeah. night. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Oh, God, yeah. I didn't stick around too long for that. Yeah, you were screaming like 2 o'clock in the morning. You <laughs> yeah, I know. Screaming it. At the well, TV. it wasn't 2 o'clock. It was, it, was, it was probably midnight. Yeah, it was pretty late. Yeah, well, uh, Dark Order was fighting Red Dragon. It was, uh, it was a good match. I would not want to be the person trying to sleep next to you screaming at the TV. <laughs> you weren't excited that um, Swerve Strickland is an AEW? That's huge. He was kill shot back in Lucha Underground. <laughs> like you're saying words like scramble <laughs> together. It, it means nothing to me. Yeah, you're fucking busting my balls the next day. It's like you you were yelling yourself raw about of, uh, of, of 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 men in underwear fighting. It's like, yeah, it's fucking wrestling bot. <laughs> and they were doing pretty prosaic things as well. Like they're rambling towards each other and then lightly tapping and flying across. And you were screaming, like, oh my god. Oh my god, yeah. It was- you have to get into it. You, fight. Oh man, come on! Like you have to get into it. If you don't get into it, it's not fun. It's a kayfabe, like right? Like I, you, been, you I, have to get into the mentality that this is real, and you have to enjoy it like if it was real, knowing I've that these are two like people putting on a performance. Point. No, I, 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 uh, yeah, uh, late night TV though, uh, because I couldn't go to sleep straight away. Watching like, uh, like late night American t- television is a very unusual experience. I, I, I don't know quite how to sum. Uh, it, like these long sketch shows that seem to bleed into one another and, and go on forever. But anyway, that was our Friday. That was our Friday. So Saturday morning. 
Saturday I morning. Um, I think you guys had a different Saturday morning. I'll, I'll tell you about mine. Um, it, it, <laughs> okay. okay, this is how I remember Saturday morning. I'm sleeping soundly. Uh, very uh, because uh, it must have been like 11 or noon or something like that suddenly the door barges open this <laughs> yeah. welsh giant standing over me it's like jb you missed the entire fucking day it's like what the fuck is going on you were so keen you were so keen to what get down the to the fuck? vendor hall and you slept through the entire day <laughs> yeah yeah and, and you look out pointing at your watch it's like it's fucking six you missed the entire day. I was like, oh, my fucking God. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I was so pissed. And then I like, I clued in. Oh, you Welsh motherfucker. You motherfucker. It's not yeah. six at all. It's only noon. I hadn't corrected <laughs> my watch. It was, it was still. But you had me time. for like, a, you had me for like a minute or maybe not less than but a minute. Enough time to I get my, to... but you woke me the fuck up because Zach gave you my yeah. room key. Because yeah. I knew if I told you, oh, JP, you fancy get up there. If I took like the softly, softly approach, you wouldn't get up. So I needed that high intensity spike of adrenaline in your system and it worked and i thank you after yeah yeah i know i I know you what did you guys do before i got up though i slept in i was tired it was a rough Um, couple days so my body clock hadn't quite adjusted i was still on british time so i woke up at like four five in the morning and i couldn't go back to sleep so instead of just fighting it and lying here uh, like an idiot uh, I'm just going to get up and walk around and see see a little bit of the convention center. And I wondered whether the painting stall was open. So that I'd go down four o'clock in the morning and just paint something. But I have to say, it's the best time to view Golden Demon entries. We mm. haven't talked about this, but... Yeah, perfect segue, into, perfect segue. Yeah, we, we can roll this into here. Like, uh, So Golden Demon, I've never, I've never liked Golden Demon. I've never liked trying to view the entries because... Uh, there's a lot of people crowding around a small space and you feel like you're being jostled along constantly. Uh, so I've always felt very uh, I don't know, claustrophobic and more worried about the people around me rather than looking at the entries. Uh, at the Deptacon, it's open 24 hours a day. Uh, so the security guard there uh, who's watching episodes of The, the, uh, the Good Life uh, and nobody else. It's fantastic. So I really got to spend some time looking over the entries, pouring over them, and, and really drinking in every detail that I could. So yeah, if you if you go to Adepticon and you want to view the entries, get up. Don't get up a ridiculous clock in the morning, but get up early in the morning, or maybe visit them late at night because it's a great time to view them. Solid pro tip. Okay, so yeah. here's the big question: What was your favorite? I know the answer, but uh, or maybe yes. so instead of a- talking about a favorite, maybe just talk about the things that stand that stood out. Uh, things that stood out. Um, things that stood out. Um, I mean, there's the obvious, I guess there's the obvious entries that kind of like shout out at you, you know who they're done by, uh, and they, they, uh, because you know who they're done by, they have a certain like gravitas to them and you think, okay, they, they're going to be winners. So I, I don't think there's really much point talking about them, uh, because it, it, they're great. It, it's very obvious that they're great. Everyone can see that they're great. Uh, one of the entries that really stood out for me was a diorama. Uh, I can't remember the name of the artist, uh, but I believe it's a she. Um, the, the the way they painted it, it was a salamander, like a Primara salamanders versus a Chaos Forge Fiend beast that was trampling on top of the Tyranid. And um, when you were looking there as well, JP, I'd give you a little tip that if you looked at the scene, squint, and you were able to detect the color, co- uh, co- color composition a little bit easier because you're not dealing with individual pieces. You do, you're dealing with a scene part of a diorama so when you squint you can see the color composition of it 
And you had the green sort of like battling off against the purple. She had this really nice uh, uh, contrast in tones. It was technically executed very, very, very well. Uh, yeah, I, I just thought it was one of those entries that really, really stood out. Uh, there was another one that was done in sort of like a uh, wooden box. And I think it was called something like the Clockmaker. And it was just, it was a simple scene of uh, like this armorer, I believe, just uh, tooling up a gun. Another entry that really stuck out for me, and JP, I think you uh, really latched onto this as well, but it was uh, like a Xiphon uh, fighter interceptor from the Titanicus. No, not. Oh, it was a Thunderbolt. It was a Thunderbolt. It was a Thunderbolt, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. From the aeronautical range. And they used a, a, a plinth bus with a background. So, uh, this is quite a common thing now, especially with competition painting or, or uh, uh, pieces, uh, like higher art pieces, where uh, there's a backing to the plinth. And artists are able to like paint a context, paint the scene behind it. And what this artist has done is sort of like painted streaks across it to give the Thunderbolt a sense of movement, which was brilliant. Which was, uh, And the Thunderbolt itself was very well executed as well. It was very well painted. Uh, so those are the entries that, I remember the, uh, that 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 really stood out to me. I mean, there were uh, really obvious ones like the Sanguinius versus Commander. Uh, there was a Mephiston, uh, like a three-up scale of it. That when you looked at it, it was very obvious that those entries sort of like screamed winner. Um, but yeah, the, the the ones that stuck with me, the ones I just mentioned. There was another Thunderbolt that I also thought was just as good. There was two Thunderbolts that I thought were fantastic. The other one was um, it, it was sort of like. Uh, um, I guess prone, it was like landed and uh, the canopy was open. Uh, it was. Uh, uh, oh, that's right. Yes. Really yeah. cool. Just beautiful, beautiful painting. My favorite problem. Wasn't it? Pardon? That was a full size Thunderbolt, wasn't it? No, no, no. That was, that was AI scale. Oh, I missed that one. It was With tiny. The canopy yeah. open. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's because you have to so like precise. cut that open. It was so precise. It was, yeah, it was, it was so technically gifted how, how they did that. Yeah. yeah. There's a couple that I thought were absolutely fantastic. Uh, probably my favorite was um, the Scabathrax uh, uh, on a uh, Planquin with a giant mm, oh, like, God, old yes. back banner, um, just beautifully yeah. painted. And then you kind of look at it more and then you notice, you don't even notice a Planquin at first, but you notice it's just a bunch of like nerglings underneath, like holding him aloft. I thought it was fantastic. I always have a, mm. a soft spot for a Papa Nurgle. Um, there's also the, the Tinkerer's Workshop which I think was dedicated to the artist's uh, um, uh, uh, father, I think, or something like that. Um, oh, that's the one. Yes. In the that, that's what box. you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. That was yes, so, tink- so cool. Yes. That's the one. Yeah. That was, that was right. I wish we would have written down. We did not take notes. We did I not know, take notes. Yeah. Um, but they, also, they don't give, they don't give descriptions of the entries either. They don't say who it's by yeah. next to the, oh. uh, next to the pictures, unfortunately. Yeah, okay. There's also Sean's Alfarious. I got to say, Jesus Christ, Sean, you've gotten good at uh, fucking painting. Mm. Um, uh, all, all the, the prime primarchs were, were fantastic, but like that, that, that really stood out. Um, uh, just, it, it, it was very impressive. It, it was very, very impressive. Do we know who won? The Slayer Sword, yeah, the Skink. Yeah, uh, Which... Gavin Garza. Oh. Mm-hmm. Here, I, I've got the, actually, I just happened to have the article open because I'm trying to find that, <laughs> that AI scale. One that you're talking about, JP. Um, uh, here, I'll throw it in the chat. Fuck, we should have done that before <laughs> before we started the segment, so we could actually right. uh, uh, credit all the artists. There we go. Uh, yeah, there you go. Should be in the chat now. Oh, here are the fantastic. Oh, there you go. Mm-hmm. 
the plinth, the nurgling uh, being carried was it, it won bronze. It was Sam Lens. Oh yeah, that uh, the diorama in the church against the demons. That was a good mm-hmm. one. Oh Sam Lens, yeah, yeah that's, that, that's that's the one I'm talking about. I love that one. Well deserved. Stephen Garcia with the duel between Lehman Ross and the Lion. Oh Golden. yeah, I didn't. I, I don't think it, it was there when I saw it. Yeah, I don't yeah, remember, I don't remember this, one this either. One. Yeah, I, I think it was a later entry. Yeah, uh, and then the Cabanda one was Ben Comets. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the, the Thunderbolt you were talking about, uh, one small scale gold, James Cordwell. Yeah, brilliant piece, brilliant, brilliant piece. Fantastic. Like, g- great, um, uh, great imagination to conceive in the first place, and then a great execution. Mm-hmm. And then um, the Mephiston you were talking about. Open competition, Eric Swanson mm-hmm. won gold. Yeah, that, that he had to have like sculpt that one from like ground up, right? Like, uh, I think it was a three D sculpt for a uh, client. So there's there's a few collectors out there. They're a little bit crazy, and there's one guy who likes recreating, um, uh, like Warhammer art, and then farming it off to painters to uh, do miracles with. That's so rad. Yeah, that was really fun because we went through again. You went in the morning, and then we went through again after we went shopping. Yes. So, uh, shall we go on to your shopping list? The shopping. I think there's, there's, <laughs> there's two main there's two main topics we need to cover uh, from a DEFCON. Uh, now, it's the shopping because we always fucking do this as a po- it seems like a podcast thing. That okay, we're a heresy podcast, and then what do we end up doing whenever we meet up, we we end up doing the new game system. <laughs> Hell yeah. Right. And, Al- and Alex, you're, you're a part of this now as well, because you've gone into a game system as well. Yeah. I bought into Bushido uh, just because the minis looked crazy good. And then when I was back around, I saw them play some of it and it looked phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and then I almost bought into Carnival at the same time. Sweet. Bushido is a good game. Have you played it? Uh, yeah, I've played I've played it a couple of times and, and Simba Systems. It's um produced by a company over in the UK that uh, tends to use the same game mechanics for different eras, but they adapt it slightly. It, it's very quick, it's very, very, very playable and very fast, but a lot of fun. So yeah, you'll have you'll enjoy that, Alex. Yeah, and awesome. And the models are nice to paint as well. The models awesome. are unreal. Yeah. They yeah, made, yeah, you were showing us they're fantastic. The sculpts yeah, are beautiful because because they're historical. There's quite a lot of ranges you can look at for different periods as well. So enjoy, have fun with that. Yeah, well, and actually, yeah, shout out to the company. It's GCT Studios. Um, I was actually going to prep uh, one of the like he looks like a straw hat Ronan, um, mm-hmm. and I was going to prep that for the Caravaggio class, but he was missing the uh, handle on his katana that he has over his shoulder. Um, and I'm like, I'm not, I'm one of the farthest spots in Canada away from like England. Um, and, uh, I've already got, um, a whole replacement mini for that guy, uh, just cause he was missing the handle on the sword. So great customer service too. Fantastic. Um, yeah, uh, the, the, the sculpts looked, looked great. Yeah. I, I also screwed myself over. Um, uh, yeah. What was the game system you got into? So here's what happened. I, I met up with Jason Tick, uh, and he knows I love horror movies. Uh, and, and he pointed out, I think this was still on the Friday, and I hadn't gone shopping yet. Because uh, so, so much going on, right? Remember, uh, uh, Miles, I was telling you, like, don't load up on events. There's just so much going on. You won't have time for, to do mm. everything you want to do. Yeah. I didn't have time to go to the vendor hall till Saturday. And, uh, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, Jason was telling me, 
uh, it's like, yo, there's a, like, there's like a slasher game. There's like a game that, that you're literally just like, it's a slasher movie. Okay. That sounds cool. So I finally found it. It's everything I wanted in a game, right? Um, it's, uh, it's called don't look back. It's made by black side studios. Um, and already, um, uh, George was talking about, uh, about black side studios. Cause he bought this game called lunar, which is just like astronauts fighting astronauts on the moon. <laughs> you can have Soviet astronauts, Chinese astronauts, us astronauts, and they're like fighting over moon bases it, it, and the models look great. So, uh, and, and so it's the same company. So I went there, they had a, like a demo going. I didn't really participate in the demo. I didn't need to, because as soon as I saw that they had, um, a miniatures pack that had one of the robots from chopping mall, it's like, that's it. I'm done. I'm good. I'm buying this right now. And so I, I, I bought that and I bought, Oh, the other thing is the the, the packaging. The other pa- the packaging is the other thing that sold me because all their expansion yeah. packs come in VHS tape boxes. I, like, and that's a common theme throughout the rest of their collection, right? So the astronauts be astronauts kind of had, uh, how do you describe it? Like astronaut, they were packaging like astronaut foods. Yeah, freeze, freeze-dried baggage. Yeah. Yes, yeah. there you go, yes. Yeah, that's a... Uh... That was a hard. That was a hard one for me to fight. I had I left JP at that booth because I knew I was going to buy into the fucking astronaut game if I hung around. So this was, <laughs> uh, so I bought like the starter set. I had disposable income uh, going in. Like I had a budget, but like I had some money that I was comfortable throwing away. I also bought like a little FT seventeen like resin tank at tw- at uh, twenty eight millimeter, just because oh, yes. I wanted one. Um, I just want to paint it. Like I I'm not gonna because oh, yeah. there's the, this like war, this weird World War One game, Weird War One. Game looked interesting, and it's like, um, but like I wasn't, I, I don't know, I, I have to think about the game. But like they had a little FT seventeen. I actually asked the, the lady because they had like Mark fours, they had A seven uh, um, Vs. I was like, do you have a FT seventeen? It's like my favorite tank, and she did, so I bought it. Um, so I had money to just burn, right? Um, so it's like, so I bought the starter set for Don't Look Back, and I bought uh, the little horror expansion pack with the robot from Chopping Mall, which also has a definitely not Freddy from Nightmare on Elm Street, because obviously they don't have the license for this stuff, but it's generic enough and so i bought that and one of their expansion packs i don't remember i think i bought the uh, uh death on the line which was which is the Ch- texas chainsaw uh, uh expansion where you have definitely not leatherface they call him uh they call him um boxcar willie but it's it's yeah, you know who it is it's fucking it's leatherface um so i bought a couple packs and i was like oh this is great i'm gonna i can't wait to play this then i saw that they have a, an mdf cabin in the woods like a full-on cabin made of mdf Pre-painted and everything, because I think Miles and I were talking earlier that we fucking hate painting terrain, and mm, it's just yeah, like, fuck that. okay, and, so, and I just blew the the the, the cash that I had on me, and it's just like, okay, you know what? There's a reason I only had cash on me. Let's let's go let's go to the room, um, let's get let's get let's let's leave this, and then on my way is just like, no, I'm not done, I'm not done. I went all the way fucking back, and bought the cabin and pretty much all the expansions they had <laughs> available, which was like six of them or something uh, of VHS boxes of, of, Oh, they have uh, like, they have the like, uh, supporting characters, uh, which is just like people that like show up in the slasher movie and get immediately murdered. Uh, the f- a final girls expansion, which is like four character models, beautiful sculpts, by the way, it's so cool. Um, so I went back and I blew more money. Anyways, I spent a lot of money on this game. But as you'll know from Two Week Hobby Challenge going forward, it's been an incredibly good investment at the end of the day uh, because I've painted more models of this game since I've gotten back from Adepticon mm-hmm. than in the two years before Adepticon. I, I'm really having fun with this. And that's also, awesome. uh, it's a game that's, although it has a lot of the complexity of a miniatures game, 
just because of its theme and aesthetics and everything like that, like my wife wants to play and everything like that. Like it's, she did not get mad at me when I brought back a cabin in the woods. Like that looks rad. It's like, I know. So was was Uh, there an evil dead expansion? No, there's no ash. Um, I I didn't, uh, because obviously they're expanding. They're they're not like licensed or anything like that. So, so, but like, you know, you have the character. It's clearly Freddy. And the base yeah. game uh, has like the 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 killer in the base game has different heads and weapons, so you can make him as Michael Myers, you can make him as Fre- uh, as uh, not Freddy, but you can make him as um, as Jason. You can make him as actually two different Jasons: Jason in Friday Friday the Thirteenth Part Three and Jason in Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. So you can actually have the burlap sack that he had in that movie. Uh, like just uh, the presentation, uh, the models are incredible, and the game is really fun. You can even play it solo. <laughs> Because the uh, the killer's on an AI track, and you play uh, uh you, you play it uh, cooperatively uh, with all of the like the you know the murder victims <laughs> and trying to like fulfill the scenario. Really cool. I'm so fucking stoked about it. And when I got back from Depticon, what did I do? I immediately bought more shit. <laughs> I bought another like two hundred dollars worth of stuff for this game. I'm just really stoked about it. So that was this okay. year's Man of War for me. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, hundred percent. So after that, um. Uh, after uh, and after that, we painted Max. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So this, this, um, Darren, we didn't neglect you. We didn't. Um, uh, we wanted you to be a part of the journey as well. Um, yeah. So we, to be we fair, did. You, you, oh, go ahead. I was going to say you. You guys kept sending me messages, didn't you? Which had no context to them, which was quite amusing to read. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, no, no context. My Facebook messages are always the best things to wake up to first thing in the morning due to the time difference. Um, yeah, yes, you, did, you did message me, didn't you, saying that I, I was going to get a gift? Yes. So we did buy you one of the, I guess, North American exclusive box sets. I'm not sure which one that we bought, but we it was one of the ones you requested. Um, I have them. I haven't got them in box because they wouldn't fit in my case, but... I have the mechs, I have the cards that they come with, more importantly. It's just I've been so hellishly sick for, well, since coming back. I haven't been able to send them off. But, yes, we, we have got you mechs. We have got you um, we have got you something from the event. So you can uh, be, feel, be a feel part, part of this as well. It. Yeah, feel part of it. Yeah. Thank you. And it was very much appreciated as well when I got that message coming through. But I did kind of um and ah about, oh, God, what do I want? Because... You know, as we've said before, Miles, we've got Warhammer World a couple of hours up the road, so it's easy for us to get to. So it's just like, oh, yeah, what, you what? know what? Um, my impression as a British person at the vendor hall, uh, it was it was nice, but I didn't spend anywhere near as much as I thought I would. Uh, yeah, partly because I didn't want to travel back with it. Yes, and partly because because yeah. because we because I'm British. I mean, I can order this stuff and get it the next day anyway. Like it's yeah. super easy for me to get the stuff, but for JP and for you, Alex, especially with the scale seventy five stand, I mean that must have been like Christmas. Oh yeah, actually, I I, I found that there's a shop here in Edmonton that sells that artist series stuff that I bought. Oh, um, amazing! Just by the by the individual, so I've actually mm-hmm. bought another four tubes uh, since I've been back, but I only just got my um, hobby area like appropriately set up. Mm-hmm. Um, like yesterday. So I haven't had a chance to paint anything, but um, yeah, I bought, I think I, I bought three or four of the artist series sets. Um, it's one of those things. As soon as you buy one, you want the entire collection. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
I, I should have just bought like the full like $320 US yeah. <laughs> like set. Um, but it's fun because I can just make any paint color that I want out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually one of the other things that we bought was a couple of busts. Yeah. From journeyman miniatures. So mm-hmm. um, we were talking with that gentleman and uh, he had like a lady orc or goblin head or something. And he said that everything mm-hmm. painted on there was painted using the same colors. They were just mixed together. Mm-hmm. And I, I really liked that effect. So I think that's mm-hmm. what I'm going to do with these artist series. And that bust is I'm just going to select like five colors. Learn how to colors. Learn, yeah, but mix, mix, match colors. Yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, and then try to work in some of uh, my new tenebrism and uh, contrasting skills that I've been working on. Yeah, superb, superb. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it would go really well on your Bushido stuff as well because I yep. think that that leads itself to much more of like a, a painterly art style rather than the heresy, which is like military scale modeling. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that would be brilliant for you to practice on. Um, anything else to say about the vending hall? Uh, I... Again, it's it's so different. If I had encountered this game just online, I'd be like, this looks great. I would love to buy it one day. I would have put it aside. But just the tactile joy of being able to actually mm. grab it off the off the shelf yeah. and, and and leave with it. And and, and again, there's there's a limit um, to what I could have done, but since this is a skirmish game, right? I could fit I could fit this in my luggage. Uh, but it's always frustrating. Like the, I, I understand what you mean, like coming from overseas, uh, even like I still have to fly, right? And I don't like check check luggage. So there's limits to like what, what I could purchase too. Um, mm-hmm. I still mm-hmm. managed to uh, <laughs> to buy a lot of stuff, uh, but I had a little bit of uh, a, a, a flexibility. Um, but yeah, it's I, I love the vendor hall. It's it's a lot of fun. You can see stuff that you would never normally see, um, mm. and 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 shows that there's still a lot of use for physical like commerce, right? God, yep. yes. It was lovely to be able to talk to the producers. Yeah, of, exactly. of these games. Yeah, I mean the Bushido guy. He said he sold out most of his stock by the weekend. Uh, so it, like his yeah. store was practically bare. Uh, he's like, yeah, I, like I brought so much stock this year, but people have gone crazy for it. So like the the weekends are like our heaviest trading period. I got, I'll have nothing to sell, which is which is really nice to see, especially after a very lean couple of years for these kind of companies. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it was, I think it was. Thursday morning or, or Friday morning, um, whichever day was the second day that the vendor hall was open. And I was down mm-hmm. like talking with Zach, just waiting for the vendor hall to open. Because mm-hmm. um, we were we were literally right next to the vendor hall uh, this mm-hmm. year. And as soon as it opened, um, I didn't like walk around through the door. I just like, they kind of put the wall away. And so I mm-hmm. waited for a hole in the wall and then I walked through um, Cause I was going to buy the two player starter set and it was already sold out. Like there was a guy two mm-hmm. or three ahead of me. Like I got to the Bushido booth second day and there's a lineup um, wow. to buy stuff. And like there was, yeah, two, three, maybe four people in front of me and the guy in front of me is buying the last starter set. So they like, they manufactured a whole bunch of these starters basically mm-hmm. just for Adepticon. Hmm. and they were all gone by the first like by the realistically by the first day because they had one left that's awesome to open the second day so hmm. um i i wouldn't be shocked if they actually have like bushido events at adepticon next year um how big that might be i, I don't i don't know but i know we were talking a little bit about um since everybody bought like a new game <laughs> just yeah doing like a 
a new game introductory night next year. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm scrolling through the Bushido stuff now, so I think Bushido will be quite a nice one to do. Yeah, yeah, we were talking about like in the Heresy community, just uh, one one evening, um, and just we just all play each other's games, like uh, Don't Look Back, uh, Lunar, all the stuff that we we purchased, just uh, give them all a try, because they're all like one-hour games. We got plenty of time. Mm. Yeah. And I can bring this stuff. I can definitely fit everything I need for Don't Look Back in Carry On. But anyways. Mm-hmm. We'll, did we'll, you we'll... did you glue the uh, cabin? Did I not send you that? I sent that those pictures to everybody. Yes, I did. Um, we'll make like a cardboard cabin and we'll just, uh, have it ready to go. I, and then I you don't have could... to, you don't have to fit that in your carry on bag or worry about it. Yeah. It's pretty big. We got, we got like 48 weeks to think about it. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that was, that was the shopping excursion. And I guess we got, uh, miles, you had, you still had a painting class on the Saturday. I did. It was a brush course. Um, go? I, I, was... I, I, was, I didn't participate in that one. No, no, you were too busy set with Alex setting up yeah. the wrestling ring. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a sec. Uh, and, yeah, um, yeah, we didn't really set it up because <laughs> we'd been drinking all day and couldn't figure it out. So we kind of passed it off to another guy from Edmonton, Scott. And we were like, hey, you're good with MDF, right? <laughs> He's like, yeah, I'm like, great. Here's some glue. We need this assembled. In like We spent so minutes. many hours because uh, yeah, we had this idea. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll, you know what? Let, let's save it. We'll talk. All right. Let, okay, let's do yeah. let, let Miles well, talk the, about the painting class. We'll... I, I just want to I want to go very briefly because it was a brush course. Um, this, the, the, there was nothing really uh, uh, like grandiose about it. It was a very limited course. Uh, I only took on like ten people maximum, and it was just showing people the correct uses of a brush and me giving like direct feedback. It was a two-hour course. Like it was just me physically manipulating people's hands to paint Goodera. Yeah, it was one of those courses like I've taught a million times before. Like I'm very confident with. Uh, I know people get very good results, even in such a short time frame. Um, and that felt like such a relief because then I felt like I was off the clock. Yeah, you kept I, talking I, about that, how stressed you were before. And as soon as that was done, yeah. you could like see it in your like in, in your, your general demeanor that I was, I was like, it's done. I can relax. <sighs> I didn't need to report myself professionally. I didn't I didn't really feel like I needed to be on and answer questions anymore. I could just like kick back, relax, and uh yeah, I mean, should we talk about the evening? <laughs> I, I think <laughs> yeah. I, I think we should we could preface uh, this next uh, the next part of Adepticon with a <laughs> with a message I got from Miles on Sunday morning, and I quote, Did a wizard give me drugs last night? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and I tried to save him from that wizard. <laughs> Uh, okay, okay, so let's lead up to this. Let's run up to this. All right. So uh, we were uh, uh, okay. Uh, the next phase was uh, was our, our new uh, wrestling promotion. So uh, a s- Saturday afternoon, I was talking with Zach, and and again, Zach Zach got me back into wrestling. I've been watching AEW like regularly, and and, and we watched wrestling on on Friday night. So we were chatting about it. It's just like it would be fucking rad to just like have because uh, uh, we did this at Scandis a few years ago where at the end of the event we just got everybody because uh, everybody has named Praetors right uh, or or Praetors they designed themselves that like they gave them names and everything like that it'd be cool if we just had like a big death match so we did that after Scandis let's chat with that it'd be cool to have like a you know that, it'd be cool to do something like that fucking Zach the goddamn legend went into the fucking vendor hall and there was this there was a fantasy wrestling game and he bought an MDF ring I was just shooting the shit. It's been fun to just like throw everybody's praters in a, into a dojo and, and fight it out. Um, no, he bought a fucking ring. So we spent while miles was doing, well, we spent, I just said that we didn't, 
we, uh, Alex. <laughs> yeah, we can't take credit for that. Yeah, we can't take we, I mean, we tried. We, tried, we swung yeah. the bat. <laughs> we had uh, to borrow super glue that I hope that we gave back and accelerated. That was my super glue. We borrowed the, we borrowed Acceler- the accelerator, yeah, yeah. but it was my super glue. So I had to uh, wander cause... around the hall to find some with accelerator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But so, so anyways, the ring was put together. Uh, it was Scott, right? Uh, yes, yeah, Scott. Yeah. Shout out, Scott. That's awesome because, yeah, we couldn't fucking figure it out. He, he had it. <laughs> Um, so we, we, we had a wrestling ring and someone we managed to get almost everybody there that was participating in heresy events. Everybody was in that had, uh, their own Praetor with their own name. So, uh, and every, and we, we said, okay, this has to be after miles's class. So, uh, cause Zach was in the, that class too. So, uh, I think we met up at like nine 30 or something like that. And mm-hmm. everybody showed up. It was fucking awesome. And then we had to make up rules on the fly. So we figured, um, number one, uh, you have to have a ring song, right? So you have to have actually have a, a, and unfortunately we just had a little phone next year. If we do it again, we're going to have, we're going to have to actually bring a proper um, like Bluetooth, like speaker. Mm-hmm. The, the people that were playing X-Wing had a whole sound system. We were talking about stealing, but we didn't after, you know, we, I, I don't think we were drunk. Yeah, they, they, were pa- they were packing up at that point and they just yeah. didn't need a bunch of drunken people trying to <laughs> hey, hijack their very we expensive need your sound system. system for her fucking hey, bro, quick all your sound system. So it had to be on the phone. Everybody had to have a like a ring song, right? Had to present their Praetor. So you have to actually say like, okay, who this person is. And then we had like four-way matches in the wrestling ring. So you have a, a Praetor on every corner and you just roll off and go clockwise. And you couldn't charge on the first turn. And also if you touch the ring, uh, sorry, if you touch the, the, the ropes before charge, you got Hammer of Wrath because you're going off the ropes, right? So uh, we did multiple rounds. I think we did, had to do like five rounds because of how many people were actually participating. In this. Yeah. Um, uh, it was it was a stupid idea that turned out to be like probably the highlight of the whole weekend. I think so. Yeah. 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 I mean, the heresy community that was there, it was especially when you compare it to like, I mean, how many people do you say in the would be in the 40K hall alone? Like 300? 300. Yeah, minimum. I went to and go then, see Sean end, when he was doing. He was in a uh, um, Age Sigmar t- tournament. There was at least like fucking three hundred people there. Yeah, the yeah, AOS. So th- there were two huge halls just rented out for one for AOS, one for forty k. Um, and I think, I mean, it, it, our place. Uh, it was next to the X Wing. Uh, uh, sorry, the Armada and Star Wars uh, Legion uh, too. Yeah, Star Wars Legion, and then there Mark was Infinity, and then there was us. Um, and it was. Um, not 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 sad to see, but it was a little bit. Seeing the amount of people for forty k and AOS, it was a melancholic moment. Seeing just how uh, the community kind of dwindled. But well, we were louder that, than any of those fucks that evening. Yeah, even though it's a small community that we had there, by God, is it a tightly knit one? Is it an enthusiastic one? Because the uh, we were roaring so loud that other people uh, from from other game systems. But come on, it's like, hey, we're going to check this out. What, what the hell are you doing? Uh, Miles, what was your ring song? I, I, I don't remember. Uh, mine was the Mortal Kombat theme tune. From oh, the that's right. That was oh, yeah. <laughs> because it's my boy's favorite film. Uh, it's got a badass taste. soundtrack. Yeah, it's a badass soundtrack. What about you, Alex? What was your ring song? Oh, uh, I knew you were going to ask me, so I started looking it up quickly. Um, just trying to... You didn't think you were going to be next? I'll go next. Uh, yeah, you go I, next. I couldn't. So. I couldn't. I couldn't resist. I was. I was mulling it over. I have a better one now for next year, but like uh, I was mulling it over, and I just couldn't resist. I went with. I went with Chris Jericho's fucking ring song, Judas. It's just a perfect ring song. 
but I have a better one, a more creative one for next year. I have to think about it afterwards. I think I made it too complicated in my head and I was going through options like the fuck it. Give me Judas. Yeah, I think uh, I think I've got a good one for for next year, but I'm coming with a, a different different contender. Um, I did Shoulders and Giants by Claps Under the Empire. Nice. Um, and because uh, it kind of felt like it would fit since my guy had a jump pack and he has, you know, he looks like a crow. I had I slowly lowered him from the roof like sting. <laughs> like sting. <laughs> and so I played like 20 minutes of theme music while I just like painfully made everybody watch me like lower a mini <laughs> to the ring. Um and then uh and then I unceremoniously ended uh Jake Busey's Eternal Warrior Salamander uh and then laughed at him about it. Was but was Jake like, yeah. had the best ring song. Though, for Eternal his... Warrior. <laughs> Do you remember what Jake's ring song was for a Salamander's uh, 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 Praetor? Oh, I can't, man. He's I was like, crop the down the rock. wind. Oh, fuck. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it's all worth mentioning. Like, we were all r- roaring drunk at this point oh, yeah. as well. Do you remember uh, who won? Because oh, I remember the, 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 it was the World Eater. It was right? a, what? World yeah. Eater, the one. Yeah. But um, then so I managed sure to make it through. Right, I think me and Alex managed to make it through the first round. Fucking Creels uh, just I, smoked right away. Oh, I was so pissed off. I was about to win the second round as well, and I just needed to connect with a power fist against a, a thousand sun praetor who'd whiffed his roll for for iron arm. But I got him here with my rolls. Rolled all ones, and he passed his invulnerable save, and he, he rolled iron arm and completely mashed me up. Oh, so pissed off with that. But yes, it uh, it was a uh, well. I guess it's unsurprising, right? Uh, world Eater will win that. No, kind of King but of the then uh, Jake and I were talking in the back, and we decided to have we we're gonna have a twist because out oh, of yeah. nowhere, yeah. was the World Eater one? Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly, so, it's like, like we're like, oh my god, oh my god, is is that Vulcan's music? Oh my god! And then we put Vulcan. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. it escalated even further. Then yeah, they tagged in Angron. <laughs> <laughs> and then Fulgrim turned up, and then uh, uh, Jakate Khan. Yeah, it, it turned into like a prime off. And on the jet bike, just like rolling around the ring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, uh, before I, that, I, JP walks up to me, like beer in hand. He goes, Hey, hey, check it out. And he just like opens his pocket to me. And I got very anxious about the fact there's just a loose Vulcan <laughs> in his pocket. <laughs> I'm like, What are you doing, man? <laughs> <laughs> I was being very careful to not to like fall down or like bump into something. <laughs> yeah. Like that'd be embarrassing. You're Jacob broke, broke your Vulcan. I finally got revenge for what you did to my Falcon though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, who won? Like, you know, once everyone else started, I don't even remember. I don't think anybody at that uh, point, it was, it was just, everybody was just had, it was the con. It was the con. Yeah. That's the perfect capstone. Oh yeah. But, Wait, there's more because we did. We did. You had to go to bed, but we 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 still played a game at night, and that's when I fucking really did something dumb. Yeah, I had to yeah, drive so, for um, thirteen hours the next day <laughs> because we yeah, still wanted uh, to play I mean, a, a full on game after that. Like, so we went to the twenty four hour gaming area, and uh, we had, I, yeah, uh, like I couldn't really see straight at this point because that's after um, the wizard gave you drugs. <laughs> after the wizard gave me drugs, yeah, um, and uh, I. I but I remember one thing very clearly from this game, or the sort of half game that we had, uh, and it was the challenge. So it was my newly minted um, Sons of Horus Praetor, Gedefron Marissi, found himself 
in co- close combat with the legend that is Draken Tides. Oh. Uh, JP, do you, to, do you want to take us through the story? Okay, yeah. So we're playing a game. Um, uh, it's with uh, uh, we were playing with Freddy the Swede. Um, everybody was around, and by by then everybody's just like we, we we've gone to the party part of the night, right? Everybody's just like hanging out. Mm-hmm. Like um, we're both like half paying attention to the actual game that we're playing. <laughs> but we did go down to a um, uh, to 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 a challenge. And uh, Chris Dragontides, of course, I'm I'm very boastful with Chris Dragontides. Usually, does very well. I fucking slayed one of Alex's uh, praetors. Um, and yeah. and during the whole campaign, we killed each with, other. Yeah, they Just killed like each other. To... That's true. But he usually does well. <laughs> and and all fucking all weekend, he's been doing very poorly. So I should probably have not been so arrogant. But I definitely made some boasts uh, about how Momentum Mori will will end you. Uh, or some shit like that. Uh, Momentum mm-hmm. War being my Paragon br- uh, blade, uh, which I named. That's how much I care about it. It's a very important relic. I mean, this blade is legendary. Any legendary. long-term listening to this show oh, yeah. w- will know how legendary that blade is. And so, the heads is taken. It's taken and, many I mean, heads. My, my Praetor is like this newly minted dude on the block. Like I, I was fully expecting to get diced up. To be clear, that... Paragon Blade, Momentum Mori, once slayed Horus. Horus mm. of Warmaster fame. <laughs> that Horus. So, anyways, so we go into the, the, the duel. I fucking whip on my, my, all, all my attacks. Fucking uh, Miles just, like, pounds him into dust. Like, it wasn't even close. It wasn't even a close <laughs> match. It was, the, it was the power fist that did it. Um, it I, I kind of banked on uh, surviving or not getting my head cut off and just like pounding you into the ground. And it, it, it was a strategy that paid off. Yeah, it, it worked well. Because <laughs> I failed my invulnerables and it's like, okay, well, Kroos died again. That's three times this weekend. We upped the ante. Yeah, I said, like, I'm going to take your Paragon Blade. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to take it as a souvenir. Uh, and I thought, okay, if I roll a six, I get Momentum Mori. I mean, I, and I know how special this blade is. It's, it's just bluster at this point. I roll a dice. That, it's not going to happen. I roll a six. Gedefront picks up Momentum Mori. And, uh, okay, in, in real world, JP, you really bust up about this. Like, I mean, you're practically in tears. Like, you're falling around. And well, I wasn't in tears. <laughs> you were in, <laughs> it's like, it's okay memory, if you were. You were in tears. They were screaming <laughs> down your face. Like, you were tearing the... the, the te- you're like the Flipping tables over. Just yeah. raging like Alex Jones. You were scramming down <laughs> your face. You were bleeding. You were a mess. And you you picked up Dragon Titans and you you sort of like you were holding it like a man holds a grenade. Or you you, <laughs> you were and you had the look in your eye of somebody <laughs> who is at the top of a building saying they're gonna jump. And it's like, do you want me to fucking jump? Do you want me to do this? And you you look like you're well, it doesn't look like it. You're holding the blade of your miniature, of your actual physical miniature between your finger and fourth thumb, and you're looking at me dead in the eye. Do you want it? Do you really want this? I, I, like at this point in the evening, I'm going to call you bluff because I don't know what planet I'm on. <laughs> like, yeah, I want it. I want the physical blade. Give it to me. Go on, do it. <laughs> and you're dumbass. You snap the blade of the miniature. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah, yeah. I it's snapped the blade snapped off and gave it to you. And gives it to me. Yeah, I, you want it fair and square. I, I, I still have square. it. Yeah. So are you gonna okay. incorporate it into your miniature? You I'm, swap I'm the think, blade on yours. 
so um what i'm thinking of doing yeah because it's a it's a chainsaw uh, i want to embellish it a little bit i think i'm like gonna give it like a eye of horus i'm thinking of crafting no! it actually oh. because get get Gedefron's really into sort of like uh like his wizards and his demon worship so i might put in the a pommel of the blade like an eye of horus uh a gem uh that has a corrupting influence on the pure Olympian steel. Oh, I actually yeah. really like this. I want this to become like a mainstream thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you challenge a guy, roll a six after you beat him. You can just take yeah. one of the weapons from him. Oh, there's years ago that um uh I think it was Ollie and Mike French who played what they called a hardcore heresy match. And I don't remember who won it. All I remember is that uh, the penalty for losing was getting your uh, uh, your your super heavy smash with a sledgehammer, fully oh painted. God. Yeah, it was Ollie's. Yeah, all, uh, it was Ollie's Death Guard uh, glaive, I think. Yeah, and, and there was a video of it. You remember this? Yeah, yeah. I've I've seen the video and I've seen how far that glaive explodes. Yeah, resin blows up real good. Uh, but you know, it got it, it got incorporated into terrain from in bases, as far uh, from what I understand. But yeah, it's hardcore heresy. Is you know, you 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 got the blade. That was fair. It's also yeah. When I got home, I started looking for a replacement. <laughs> but that model's out of print. So well, that was smart. Also, I had it in my head. It's like, oh, it would be fun. You know what? Like, I'll have to win it back from Miles. Like, when the fuck is that gonna happen? Depticon twenty twenty three. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, anyways, so that's that's that that was hardcore hardcore heresy after dark. Yeah. <laughs> so I am now the proud owner of uh, uh, Memento Mori. It's fair. I, I I hope it rolls better for me than I hope it rolls better for me than it did for you. It usually rolls well. I had a bad weekend. <laughs> you had a really fine. bad weekend. <laughs> So and that was pretty much it. I, I don't remember anything else from that fucking night. <laughs> All I remember is waking up at seven in the fucking or no, I was like, well, yeah, it was about seven in the morning to go take my plane. But uh, that was Adeptcon 2022. So I have to ask. Let's start with uh, it was both your first experience. Let's start with Alex. Alex, what did you what did you think of your first uh, Adeptcon experience? How does it rate or compare to other events you've been in? Uh oh man, I I loved it. Um. I'd argue it had the best vibe, uh, the best venue for events that I've been to. Um, I didn't get to play, uh, even though I was signed up on Saturday, but the only time I could find someone to test me was in the middle of that event. So, uh, as again, Zach carrying like the whole weekend on his shoulders stepped in for me. Um, but, uh, vendor hall, the open hobby space, the lighting, uh, the, the restaurant in the hotel was, Uh, fantastic as well like yeah it 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 was quite good and um i mean i I don't know maybe they'll (laughs) i I just i gotta fill out the uh lvo event submission form after this but um maybe they won't take that submission (laughs) after after my uh raving review because it was like hand over fist um better than lvo I, i think um not that lvo is not fun but it particularly on the heresy side, it just felt way more laid back. Not that I haven't been trying to help shift that um, mentality on the heresy side, but just there's so much to see so much to do. Uh, You're like Chicago is an amazing town. 
I, I don't know. It, for me, I, I fell in love with it um, after the first one. Uh, I'll, I'll be back every year for sure, particularly if it's still held at that that hotel and that convention center. Yeah. Um, but like Golden Demon being there, the paint classes that are available. Um, yeah, I mean, you could spend the whole time just doing paint classes if you wanted to, mm, if, if yeah. that was more what you felt like. They got a board game hall, which is huge. Like it felt like there was so much more to do and it was so much more of an inclusive, inclusive event um, because of that. Um, so I just, it felt like you had a better, better distribution of people and varying interests. Like there's always somebody interesting to talk to or, um, like the, the display boards, even like there was one point where miles and I were just walking around to the 40 K and the age of Sigmar. And we were like, Holy shit. Like we got to come with display boards next year. Like, this is crazy. There's one guy that had like a six foot tall castle. Uh, it was like five guys and they all, they all shared it. Um, mm. and then there was some iron warriors players who were like dressed up like cultists and had like a, a full display board. It was, it's phenomenal. It's such a, such a crazy, like positive vibe that I just, I, I loved it. Um, it was fantastic. Uh, yeah, fully agree with everything. It's, it's however you want to engage with it. it th- there's availability. If you want to play, I'm sure like five hardcore games of, uh, 40k or AOS or uh, Heresy. I mean, the Heresy is a little bit more laid back. You can do that. Uh, if you wanted to take paint classes for the entire time, you can do that. And you have world-class tutors there. I mean, real top-of-the-line guys. Um, they're all concentrated there in one space, and they're all happy to talk to you. you even people who aren't teaching, you still have very top, really top-notch uh, uh, people there. Uh, who are happy to talk you through projects, happy to talk to you. Um, my God, uh, what open gaming as well. So if, you, if if there's something there that you, if you didn't sign up for anything, you just fancy the casual game, there's plenty of room for that. Uh, but the the overall thing that I, I that my overall impression of is just how well organized it is. Uh, the organizers do such a good job to make it seem effortless. Uh, it was so laid back. It was so, like, I never felt like, uh, I didn't know where I needed to be or what was happening or what were, what I was doing. And that was important for me as an instructor because I'm already stressed out enough about delivering the course. But everyone's so helpful in getting you to where you need to be. Uh, yeah, like you say, Alex, you, you just fall in love with it because there's so many interesting people there to talk to. You can engage with it in any way you want to. Uh, it's so vibrant. And the hotel is gorgeous. And you know, it's not that expensive either. Uh, and it's uh, the, the room that I had. We didn't mention this. The room that we have, there's TVs in the toilet, bathroom. Uh, with, you uh, can uh, watch uh, wrestling in yeah. the bathroom. Yeah. Well, you take or I guess something else. Yeah, I watch um, news um, most of the time. <laughs> can I just ask, with the hotel room, could JP operate the lights? Yeah, because it's not as far as I know. Like in the UK for some reason. They're so worried about energy consumption that you need to put your hotel room guard in a slot for the lights to work. This is North America. So you, so you we have all the just, energy ever. So you weren't just laying in, in the bed, kind of eating no, Cheetos in the dark. Okay. Just <laughs> just wanted to check. No, no, that's the same round. Uh, better catch up to the future, JP. That's that's in a, like a lot of hotels now. Oh, really? It's just not in that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, the last couple I've stayed in Halifax actually had that. Oh, really? All right. Well, well I know now. I, I'd never seen it before. So I was like literally sitting in, in the dark. 
until Miles showed it showed up <laughs> and, and showed it to me. He's like, "Well, I feel silly now." Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the the the, the show, it, it's it's been there as long as I I remember. But I've only been going for I don't know a few years. Um, but uh, yeah, the, show, the the convention center is fantastic, and Adepticon is just it's 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 a special uh, uh, um, experience. So, uh, Darren, how much do you hate us? Uh, I have a time loads because I, I was stuck in work. So I was waking up every morning to some of the messages and the pictures you were sending. Um, I could see, obviously, pictures that Alex was putting up on uh, Facebook and so on. So I have, I have a time quite a lot. But I've, <laughs> I've forgiven you guys now. So I've forgiven you guys because I'm going to Heresy Open Day in a couple of weeks. So that's true. Balances out. You have that. Nice. So, so I've, I've, you know, I'll, I'll take that. But it, I... I would love to go to Adepticon, but I just don't ever think I will because it's right in the middle of term time for us. Mm. So I just don't yeah, ever think I've got time for you to go along. Yeah, it really, it yeah. really is the the only big negative because I have the same. I'm also on an academic ca- calendar, uh, but the difference for me is that it's a two hour flight from Montreal, like not even two hours. Yeah. So for me, even if it's if I just go for the weekend, um, if I'm teaching on a Friday, for example, I can still go. But for the UK, it's just really, really difficult, um, and uh, I sympathize with that. But you have Nottingham within a, a, a two-hour drive, so it should you do. But I think from what you're saying, I, I think Miles would agree with me here. We don't have anything comparable to Adepticon over here no. at all. Um, no. You know, we we have um, events. You know, our, our closest kind of vendors sale to that is something like Salute, which is once a year in London, but that tends to focus on a variety of gaming events. Um, it's And it's just a vending hall. It hasn't really got the games. It ha- and it certainly doesn't have like the uh, uh, painting aspect. It, it doesn't it. have the atmosphere at all, does it? The same atmosphere. No, no. And obviously we have open days at Warhammer World. Other companies have, you know, they're kind of open day. Like Warlord Games has an open day occasionally. Mm-hmm. We have Bring Your Own Lead for the old Hammer stuff. But it's not collective. There's no one big event that we in the UK can get to. So, yeah, jealous is a good word. I don't hate you guys for it, but, yeah, jealous is a, is a strong word. I wish we did have something comparable to that in the UK. Well, I do hope that one day things align um, and, and that you can uh, you can make it. But I'll just end it with this. Miles, can we expect you to be there for Adepticon 2023? Yeah, absolutely. I've chatted to the event organizer. I'm definitely <laughs> doing definitely doing a, a, a course again hopefully we could book a slightly longer uh, uh, session uh to do maybe like a an army painting course but yeah a million percent million percent coming back next year so this was our adepticon recap a few weeks late admittedly but uh i hope people still enjoyed it for anybody that hasn't been to adepticon yet and is vacillating not sure if you're going to come take our advice it is worth it you will have fun you don't even need to sign up to any events just hanging out um, is 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 half the fun. Uh, we'll be right back. And welcome back. So off we go with our third of the campaign series from the little dropping campaigns that Warcom is dropping for us. And today we're probably on to the best of some of the ones so far because it's an Iron Warrior one. And this one links to a lot of external material as a lot of these do so we are talking about the siege of hydrocordatus the sundering of the cadmium citadel and as all good things are this is a prequel so the 
final moments of this siege, we actually have in the novel Angel Exterminatus. Mm. This is one with that living citadel, isn't it, where all the defences kind of come out the walls and eat you alive. And this is explaining what happens before Pertraba arrives with the Iron Circle, which was also, I think, the first time we came across the Iron Circle. Yeah. Well, this it's because uh, Angel Exterminatus was the second uh, Iron, Warriors, um, Iron Warriors story uh, done well unless you count um uh the 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 one in um what is it the iron within uh, the short story um but this is the second major one after the novella uh uh about the battle of foul what the hell was that one called again uh crimson fist thank you crimson fist all right so this so this is the second major iron warrior story uh yeah this is the first time you see the iron circle because the what we saw before uh was essentially the iron warriors doing a terrible job at keeping their Primarch safe. And, and this is going to be a theme for uh, sort of for, 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 for this, uh, this mini supplement. Yes, it is. And it's very much a transitional one, this one, isn't it? It's, it's very much explaining how did we get from Crimson Fist yeah. to Angel Exterminatus. And I like it when Forge World do things like this. I like it when we get these kind of little expansions, a bit like we had with a Pluto campaign where it's just filling in the gaps with a wider war or a, a specific event that links into that. Um, a bit like we see in the latest Ultramarines campaign one, where they're talking about the uh, underground war in Kalf, which is also particularly good as well. But we'll focus on this one. We'll, we'll come back to the Ultramarines and their destroyer unit, their lovely, gorgeous destroyer unit <laughs> later on. <laughs> right. So this follows on directly from the Siege of Fowl, doesn't it? And regardless of whether you think the Iron Warriors won or lost the Siege of Foul, what we can agree on is it hardens Pertriber's ideas about his own personal defence. Because at the Siege of Foul, if you're not already sure, the dirty cheating um, Imperial Fists board the Iron Blood and almost gets to Pertriber's command chamber, his command throne room. Well, they do and kind of, they, they pretty much make it all the way in. Uh, and they're, they're, one does. Yeah, one does. And then Pertorabo kind does. of, <laughs> he, he deals with it. <laughs> yes. It, it's, then, a, it's a Hulk and Loki moment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, Pertorabo kind of like, he, uh, he curb stomps the, the one that makes it. But yeah, he, he realizes that. Um, he, okay. The, what is the one thing that you were not allowed to do as, a, as an Iron Warrior? Fail Perturabo. Fail Perturabo. And uh, what does his bodyguard unit do? Uh, massively fail Perturabo. Uh, yeah. So what is the solution <laughs> to, fair, to this? Oh, to be fair, to be fair. To, to be fair, we haven't actually seen a specific bodyguard unit for, for Perturabo before. Well, uh, and as, we hadn't seen an Astartes bodyguard unit for Perturabo before this supplement. The next, part, yep. the next bodyguard unit we see are massive automata. So, <laughs> you know, there's something about Petrobo's mindset here, isn't there? So but let's kind of bring it back onto the campaign supplement itself. So this is following directly on from Siege of Foul. And what happens at the set after the Siege of Foul and Isfan 5 is the Iron Warriors look for places where there are Iron Imperial Fists and make them bleed. And humiliate them as much as they can and this leads us to a world of hydrocodatus and the history of hydrocodatus and the iron warriors goes a long way doesn't it i don't remember that part yeah well, that one of the black books 
Yeah, one for Black Books deals with the Siege of Hydrocordatus. I think it's book three. Oh, yeah, book three. Mean yeah, the Battle of Par- uh, no, no, Paramar. Oh, Paramar is different, but there's there yeah. is Hydrocordatus is on one part. Uh, we've also had, I believe, it also turns up in the 40k universe as well with the Iron Warriors. Graham McNeil's Iron Warrior series. I think yeah, it was that's right. That's right. His uh, his Iron Warrior series does t- uh, take part there, and uh, I I actually haven't read that series. I gotta I gotta be honest. Everybody tells me I should because what I didn't realize is um, um, all the characters in all uh, all Graham McNeil's uh, uh, Iron Warriors characters in Angel Exterminatus are all apparently still alive ten thousand years down the line. So I never realized that. Yeah, which is unusual. After I read Angel Exterminatus, which is different to ADB's Night Lord series. <laughs> yep. Uh, well, it's two yeah. different approaches. Um, as much yes. as I love Graham McNeil, and everybody here knows uh, how much I, I appreciate his writing, I, 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 I do prefer ADB's approach. Not everybody can make it out, well, and they and they shouldn't. Yeah, and they shouldn't. Should and that's out. that's for one of the things with no spoilers about the Siege of Terror series. I'm enjoying the fact they are killing people off because yep. not everyone can make it through. There's a certain reason we know certain names amongst the traitor legions. Yeah, exactly. And not others. Right, back to the campaign. So, um, Hydrocordatus does have a company of the 7th Legion, the 42nd Company, and they are garrisoning the Camion Citadel. Now, the Camion Citadel is uh, Dark Age of Technology. It is, as we mentioned right at the start of this conversation, a living fortress. It has self-aware defences. So, for mm-hmm. example, the walls will open up and swallow troops, or random spikes will appear in places. So. The Imperial Fists, being fortifiers themselves, have occupied this fortress to embed in, but even before the heresy has taken place. Within the Iron Warriors, Pertrabo has withdrawn himself, and this is something Pertrabo does quite frequently when things are going against him, is he withdraws into his own kind of shell to consider how he's going to move forward. And in his absence, there's a lot of arguing and bickering and rivalry to try and gain his attention. Something we see quite often amongst the Iron Warriors, actually, is that competition amongst them all to achieve more than other captains around them. And this campaign not focuses on one particular siege captain, uh, Ascari Valkar. And he vows that he will take the Cabian Citadel within a week and then present the head of the Imperial Fist Castellan before the Primarch. Big words. A big boast to make, isn't it? Especially in the mood Pertrabo is in. This is where the new, the old bodyguard unit is introduced, and that's the Dominators. We'll come on to their units in a few moments. And the Dominators, particularly one veteran amongst Dominators, dismisses this, says it can't happen, says the siege captain can't do it. Um, and basically, Pertrabo does his typical response of, right, if you think you can do it, prove it. Mm. And the Cadmian Citadel is an interesting one because Pertrobo takes an active interest in this campaign himself, which says something about how he feels about it. It does suggest perhaps a level of importance or a, a certain message that he wants to bring across. Well, this is like the Iron, uh, sorry, the uh, the Imperial Fist's perfect fortress, and he will he will reduce it. Uh, there's there's a part of him that. Foul did not go as planned. Foul was still a victory, but it did not go as planned. And uh, no. he, and this is him. This is him giving a message to his legion, 
to Rogel Dorn and the Imperial Fists, but also proving to himself that most important thing for him, he is better. And possibly you could argue proving to the other traitor Primarchs yep. that he's worthy to be with them and certainly proving to Horus that perhaps he's as useful as Horus thinks he's going to be. Well, we know Horus is going to rely on him quite a lot in, in the end game. So um, how does the campaign start? Well, as always, the Iron Warriors are not subtle about it. So they bring the fleet into orbit. They do a better job of it than the Imperials do at Hoth. And they just drop magma bombs, mass driver cannons. Um, it's a bit like the Centauri on Narn, isn't it? The impression you get. That that great scene. Is it in season three, Babylon 5? Uh, season three. Fleet? No, it's season two episode. It's the, the before last episode, the episode like 21, The Long Twilight Struggle. Yeah. When they're just bombing no no out this Th- there's two episodes after so it's the episode it would be episode 20 21 would be come the inquisitor and, and 22 would be fall of night yeah <laughs> and the, the description we get is this was quite a agri world although there were these settlements on here it was mostly an agri world and it describes them how it's um the waters are boiled away the fertile deltas are turned to arid dust uh Arable earth has turned to barren wasteland. Land strikes, macro cannon shells, which are normally used in void warfare, are unleashed against the planet from mm. low orbit, wiping entire cities off the surface. This is the Iron Warriors doing what the Iron Warriors do. And they keep this up for two days before they even put boots on the ground. So what happens is the first boots on the ground are Siege Captain Valcor and the 33rd Grand Battalion. Now, I was quite pleased to see this. Because in book three, Black Book Three, some of the colour plates refer to the 33 Grand Battalion. Oh. And it refers, yeah, I looked that? it up. I, I double checked and it looks like, and they actually mentioned that some of those colour plates, because they should always show specific Marines, that they were killed during the siege of a Cadmian Citadel. So I thought that was a really nice little link in. That's it's, it's those little details that make all the difference. Alongside the 33rd Grand Battalion uh, becomes the Dominator Cohorts. And this is a lot, the fact that they have cohorts of Dominators. So we normally think of Primark Bodyguards as a relatively small unit. If we take, for example, the Death Guard, uh, the Death Shroud, there's only 49 of those. So you normally think of Primark Bodyguard units as a relatively small, compact force. Well, cohorts that suggests to me that they have a large number of these probably because of high mortality rates is what i would imagine honestly a big chunk of probably a big big chunk of the astartes on the iron blood are probably part of 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 perturabo's bodyguard they're probably considered all kind of a part of it right yeah it's probably yeah, like that's so. probably who got uh, who, who who got uh, censured because clearly we, we know from the story there were a lot of there were clearly a lot of bodyguards that got kind of put into uh, I guess what can was it a strath battalion you know a punishment battalion yeah, yeah. um so uh yeah so, it, it, so the dominators are essentially a punishment battalion and I, I'm I'm assuming it was most of the Astartes on the Iron Blood they, they all failed so. yes yeah. Yeah, you, you can imagine when that came through that the, the Imperial Fist had bought a breach for the command and throne room. Most of them were looking at, how do I get off this ship now? <laughs> where, where, where can I go? Yeah. Anyway, back to the scene. So the Iron Warriors 
um, are not subtle in this. And yes, the, the Citadel is being hit by artillery and mobile siege guns, but the way Valkar decides to attack the fortress is through an armoured assault. And there's a great description here about how like legions of rhinos and land raiders and Spartans are just barreling towards this citadel. And you have Soloxilia. And it's nice we actually have a named Soloxilia regiment again. And they've got hidden bunkers all over a place. And as soon as the Iron Warriors appear into range, they pop up from these hidden bunkers and just unleash. What was another nice little touch is a mention of the Legion Architil tanks, the, the, the new ones with the, the Bombard cannons, ones that look like they're an early version of the um, Death Guard play crawlers in 40k. Yes. And it was nice yeah. to get a kind of reference to those alongside a, an older campaign, because normally we get, we get used to these units being introduced in later campaigns because obviously the modelers appeared later. So it's nice to go back in fill that gap and actually see how they're being used in a, well, let's say, live fire exercise. They're being used as an infantry support tank. So it grounds down, doesn't it? We, we get to a typical Iron Warrior siege. The Iron Warriors go up to the close quarters. You've got bolter action. You've got close assaults going on. Uh, you've got the Citadel opening up to defend itself so you've got cavernous walls opening in the ground to swallow entire squads of legionaries graviton pulse generators flaring to life trapping iron warriors in place and throughout all of this we have the siege captain valkar who is leading the flanks of veterans towards the outer gates of the citadel and he's in typical iron warriors they're ignoring their casualties so all of his main focus, all Valkar's main focus on is breaching the gate and getting through. That is what all is important. If his grand company or grand battalion dies around him, fine. As long as he is able to achieve that aim of breaching the gate, which he does. He gets to the great gate and the Dominators, Pertrabo's bodyguard, are there with him, supporting him. Thunderhammers rising and falling upon any loyalist who stands in their way. They get to the gates, they use melters to burn out the hinges of the gates, and then the gates are smashed down with power fists and power mauls. I do like the reference to a power mall. I do love a power mall. <laughs> Everybody loves a good but, power mall. Yeah, you, there's, there's something satisfying about a powered club. But what's on the other side, JP? Uh, lots of robots. Yes. Uh, numerous, numerous robots. Yes, five manipuls. That's a lot. Yeah. That, that's a lot. If you saw that in a game, you'd be like, shit. Yeah, it's going to be a rough I, one. I, I haven't brought enough heavy weapons here. <laughs> <laughs> and, this, and this is nice. The fact we've got a forge lord with an imperial fist forge lord with them as well. So we don't often have forge lords mentioned, although, you know, we haven't quite often turned up on the tabletop. They're not often mentioned in the law that often. So it's quite nice to have these kind of mentioned as well. Does it go well at this stage, JP? Uh, it doesn't go great. It doesn't go great. And as someone who has frequently uh, faced uh, uh, Castlax with Astartes and used Castlax against other Astartes, uh, those Mauler bolt cannons are, you know, uh, brutal. Horrific. They're yeah. horrific. <laughs> They're horrific. Yes. Yeah, uh, I mean, like, no, Castlax are great. Castlax are just like one of the best units for cutting down um, uh, uh, um, 
three plus armor Astartes. Yeah, absolutely. Which is why the Dark Angels were set up to deal with them. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Oh, I've forgotten what the re- um, protocol was called. Oh yeah, yeah. Is it, um, is it the Eschaton protocol? I think you might be right. The, the emperor like assumes there might be a civil war one day, but he assumes it's going to be against the mechanical. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, and it was building, yeah. so you know why? Why not? But anyway, so we get into this massive crunch with these um, maniples of Castellax barreling their way through the Iron Warriors. The, dom- the dominators, the, the Perturized Bodyguard, are dead in there they because they've got thunder hammers and cast fracti armor so they kind of can stand up a little bit but it basically grinds down into this horrible dirty mess doesn't it and both sides are being absolutely worn down and mauled and ripped apart and as this is going on the siege captain is snarling for more reinforcements. And he's blamed the Dominators for why they're not being backed up. He He's blamed the Dominators and their late arrival for why this is not going well. And at this stage, two-thirds of 33-gram battalion are already dead yeah. or seriously wounded. And the Dominators realise that they can't hold the Citadel. They can't push forward. They, they can't complete the... Um, They can't, onto it. Yeah, they can't they, they can't complete the um uh the, the, the breach. Yes, yeah, that's the word I was trying to think for into, into a breach. So I love this. So four dominators surround the captain and basically knock him out <laughs> and then drag him off the battlefield. And doing so, they lose several of their own number once again. So once again, we see them extracting a casualty. And well, forced casualty in this case, and losing numbers. Different approach to the Atramenta. Well, uh, it, I, I think there is. Uh, there, it, it, I don't think it's that dissimilar from from what the Atramenta would do. Atramenta would just might let him die, but you see, um, in this particular case, uh, Galen Zion. I'm assuming he's French. Uh, <laughs> um, Galen Zion, uh, the, uh, the the veteran uh, who's leading the uh, Dominators. Uh, he realizes that because um, everybody at this point, all the warsmiths, and this is what we see at the very beginning of Angel Exterminatus, all the different warsmiths, all the different commanders of the Legion are trying to gain Perturabo's favor because Perturabo has been kind of a dick for a bit. Um, and, and in this case, it's like, yes, the assault failed, but everything can be blamed on, uh, on, on, on Valkar. So it's like, let's bring him to the, let's bring Perturabo, say it's like this guy, Spucked everything up, and it's not our fault. Yeah. So there, there, like this. there's a little bit of selfishness. This, this wasn't just extracting a casualty. There's a little bit more to that. Yeah. And they bring it him back, don't they? And Pertrabo's there in front of his Stormbird with his Iron Circle, and Valkar is tossed to the ground, and he doesn't even have a chance to speak, does he? All Pertrabo does is slightly nod his head. And the Iron Circle just open up with their bolt captains onto a siege captain. The bolt captains? Rip. Did I say that? Did I say the bolt, yeah, bolt, Sorry, bolt captains? The bolt ca- yeah, the bolt cannons. Yeah. So they They're just the literally throwing ca- captains at them, which honestly oh, I imagine Bertarabo awesome. might do. Yes, <laughs> you could see that. I'm going to throw all my siege captains out. <laughs> Here, have this. There's only so much power armor you can have landed on you before these problems happen. 
it's any other legion it'd be like that's ridiculous but like for iron warriors i i, I yeah, you might, can see maybe it. not maybe, maybe not no um but yes so basically Blast the them apart. Circle, absolutely shredding don't they? this is like the scene in robocop where um ed 109 is you know um, put down your weapons. You have 30 seconds to comply. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. The guy, although he tries to comply, still gets absolutely pulped. And I'm surprised that Paul Verhoeven had any squibs left after that, that scene. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> multiple. Pretty much sure we used just... up all the squibs. There's no more yeah. squibs left on earth. Where did the budget go? <laughs> <laughs> but yes. And at the end of that, the dominators were hoping that they would be recognized for what they've done, what they've done, and instead, Perdrabo just sends them back to the front lines. Oh yeah, that's the best part because yeah, they assume that okay, we've proven our uh, we've proven our valor. Usually, if you're in a uh, punishment battalion, if you like survive sort of this hopeless battle they put you in, usually you get you know, uh, usually the formulation is like you get for uh, you get um, uh, forgiven in blood or something like that. Yeah. No, the like, Rabo, it's like you're never getting for, uh, forgiven. You're going back in. Like this, yeah. you, you forget about me, uh, uh, me, me, me forgiving you. You will die. Yeah. You, you, you failed me. I'm not allowing yeah. you to fail me again. Yeah, just you, you're going that. right back in. Uh, yeah. So I'm assuming most of them did not make it out of this particular siege because we can see how like uh, how, how bloody this this mess was from the beginning of Angel Exterminatus. And this leads right into it. It sets the scene of what of the beginning of Angel Exterminatus where all the captains are trying yes. different things. It's like Pertorab yeah. was just like, show me, you know, like you, you guys all have all these ideas about how to uh, how to win this siege. Do it. You can do whatever yeah. you want. And, and prove, if, prove it to me. Yeah, prove yourselves to me. And that, that's, again, after having been failed. At least he didn't decimate the Legion this time. No, I think he... He, he got soft. Yes. Well, it's not a case of he's got soft. He do, he now does targeted removal of problems by saying, prove yourself. And if they're not good enough, they'll die. Absolutely. He per- he, they, they purge themselves. The, the whole thing ends with just a wonderful quote. In their Primarch's eyes, they were nothing more than fallible flesh and blood, and only iron was eternal. Yeah. And then we go into that amazing scene of Taylor's Exterminatus where Pertrabo and the Iron Circle land on but using jump packs on top of the citadel wall oh yeah i, I love that book. Yeah. that book is so good yes so let's talk about them in game let's talk about the dominators in game and talk about what they're like so um they are terminators so they come with all the joy that we'd expect terminators to come from uh 275 points so you know relatively expensive outlay and then we kind of look at what they get for that they are an elite choice, so they are competing in those very, very competitive elite slots, and you're only allowed a single Dominator cohort as well. You get five Dominators in a unit. Um, standard Terminator stat line, uh, apart from they do have an extra point of weapon skill. Yeah, weapon skill five is good. Quite nice. Yeah, weapon skill five is good. It, you know, it means they're just better in a fight against the average Astartes unit and certainly better in a fight against Battle Automata, which is where you want them to be going. Um, they all come with a combi bolter, thunder hammer, and cataphracty plate armor. Um, they are all get Legionist Astartes Iron Warriors rule. They're all implacable advance, so that's useful. They score. Uh, they're stubborn, so you can't reduce their leadership. So they're always testing leadership nine, so they are reliable. Um, and then they've got two unique 
rules just for those. So first of all, they have hatred, but only for anything with a cybernetic cortex. So hatred means that they're not going to be breaking in combat. And I think you re-roll ones to hit on the first turn of combat, yep. if I remember. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, they, they're going to really prove they don't like those automata. And then they have a special rule called those once honoured. Now, before we go on to look at that special rule, I just want to kind of mention their unit type, because this is one of these little things that can slip by, because they are all characters. Now, why is that possibly significant? If you are sneaky and you have models with different weapons loads out, it means you can pass wounds onto other models in the unit using Lookout Sir. So if you've got a special weapon in there, we'll talk about those in a few moments, or you've got like a chain fist in there that you want to protect, for example, you can pass wounds off onto other models in the unit. So that is something to be aware of. And it also means they can all issue and accept challenges, which nice. suits their role as a bodyguard unit. You know, that, that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? It doesn't matter who's left in the unit, they can all accept a challenge. So potentially, they could be nice a nice little bodyguard unit for a something like a Delegatus or a Siege Breaker. Yeah, because you could take these guys, um, unlike Tyrants, for example, uh, since they're, in, they're um, an elite choice, you can take them in a, um, what do you call it? Uh, what do you call the... Um, Oh, do you mean you know what I'm talking about? Pride of the Legion. Pride of the Legion. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. You, you could take them Pride of the yeah. Legion. Yeah, you could. So let's talk about this rule of those once honored. Now, this is for those people who kind of like the idea of playing a very early heresy or a great crusade um game. Because those once honored is when the dominators are per tribe's bodyguards. So this is for any events set before foul, if you are one of these strict people who plays only by timeline events. Of course, if you do an alternative heresy game, maybe the Iron Circle and other created, and Foul was a complete success. Um, so in this case, with a those once honoured rule, a dominated cohort can be chosen instead of a command squad for a bodyguard for Perturabo. If they select it in this way, they don't they count as a retinue unit, so they don't take up a separate force organization chart. So that means they go into the same slot as Per Tribe himself. And they all lose Hatred Cybernetica, but they all gain Feel No Pain 6+. So another restriction is, if you take Dominators as a retinue for Per Tribe, you cannot have any Iron Circle in your army. So it's, a, it's an yeah, either-or situation. Yeah. So, you know, it's not bad. Hatred Cybernetica or Feel No Pain. Depends on your meta, really. Um, I think personally, in the majority of games, probably Feel No Pain is probably slightly better. It's more widely used if someone, if your local gaming group's not using a lot of battle automata. Uh, yeah, um, I, I, I'm the kind of person that always takes a Primus Medicaid for my big, you know, the for the unit that accompanies the uh, Warsmith. So, but at the same yeah. time, uh, the Primus Medicaid could be uh, knocked out. Um, so uh, this is useful. Do yeah, pain six not... blocks uh, will save you a few lives. Um, yeah. I don't know. I I, I think it's, it's cool. It is cool. It's nice to have an option. I think yeah. the most important thing for me is there's an option here to play early heresy or great crusade yeah. rules, particularly you know if you're playing against some of the alternative 
uh, great crusade arm lists out there like the elder with all the lovely gorgeous new elder models coming out that is wrecking my wallet um but that's another point that, that's go on so what options does this unit have well you can have up to five additional dominators and for 40 points is so there is a save in here is the typical heresy rules of the bigger your unit the more you're saving um and then we have the standard thing for every five models one model can exchange their commie bolter for one uh, additional weapons so you can have a heavy flamer or reef water cannon that's standard or a multi-melter now that makes these the only other unit beyond just staring who can have a multi-melter in a terminator unit oh that's interesting a, i didn't catch that yeah yeah it's only otherwise just staring who get like, the access to a multi-melter so you know that opens and we all know yes it's a multi-melter you get one shot you're always going to miss <laughs> yeah pretty much it's true it's true yeah, it's a one yeah. shot it's a one shot weapon which means you will fire it two or three times in a game until you get into assault and you will miss two or three times in a game it's inevitable um any model can exchange the thunder hammer can exchange the thunder hammer for a chain fist and that's free that that's an important thing here and i would probably throw in a couple of chain fists regardless thunder hammers are great and certainly against Automata, they're going to be very useful because you can concussive in there if you don't kill them, which you're unlikely to do because of the number of wings they have. But a chain fist is always useful just for carving up vehicles. Um, and then anyone can exchange a combi bolter for a combi weapon as well. So fairly standard. Um, if they've got five or less models, they can take a Land Raider Phobos. They're not bad. It's as we've seen with a lot of these campaign units. They're not excessive, but what they yep. are is extremely narrative. It's a lovely modeling unit to put across. There's a not there's some nice modeling opportunities here. Out of curiosity, okay, say let's just let's just you know uh, be very uh, uh, hypothetical here. A ten strong unit of dominators um, yep. have a facing. What would be the equivalent? Uh, probably like five Castellacs would be the equivalent in points, just like ballpark. Yes, let's go. Let's go for five. So, who do you think comes out on top uh, in a, in 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 a situation where, let's say, the Donners get a charge out of the Spartan? Right, ten guys charge a unit of five uh, Castellax, a mana pool of five Castellax. Who do you think comes out on top? Well, everyone's striking at the same time initially because they're all using unwieldy weapons. Um, well, no, in fact, the, the battle automata are going to go first, aren't they? Because they're going to strike at initiative, if yep. I remember rightly. Yeah, they're going to strike at uh, initiative. So the advantage the dominators have is they've got a four plus invulnerable because that's going to be the only thing that's protecting them from battle automata. Um, they're stubborn. So I think, I think long term, I think the, the battle automata will come out on top just because they can absorb more wounds. Because the but problem with they, battle automata, um, especially. Uh, in my experience, battle automata, uh, but I don't use a, a, a huge amount of them. But m my experience, like where they struggle is they don't have a lot of attacks. So they tend yeah. to get outnumbered and they're striking with two attacks every turn, which is takes them a while to grind through a big unit. Yeah. I mean, if, you, if you're lucky and you can tank those hits on invulnerable saves, the Dominator is going to have the advantage. What it is going to do is slow those automata down and block those automata off from hitting other units. Yeah. So it's it's a I wouldn't say it's a hard counter, but it's certainly a decent counter against automata. 
and you're going to have advantages because you're not likely to break in combat because it's stubborn and you are re-rolling those ones in the first turn of combat. Yeah, you're hitting on threes, you're wounding with your thunder hammers, you're wounding on threes. And it's three, and don't forget, once they've taken a wound from the thunder hammers, they're going to be concussed for the following turn. That is true. So they're going to be so then everyone's striking at the same time. Oh yeah, I think these guys could probably could grind through a unit of uh, of castle axe. Yeah. It, it might be more even. I think that they could probably pull it off. Not every time, yeah. but it's not going to be a pretty fight, is it? I mean, the dominators are going to yeah. be really decimated by the end of that. But you know, that's why Pertrabi yeah. sent them into the line to do things like this. Because you're also re-rolling your ones on the first turn. I think it all depends yeah. on how many uh, castle axe they can bring down on the first turn. That's what's going to yeah. depend it. If they can bring down two, yeah, they're going to win. Yes, absolutely. Right, so let's move on to the missions because this was one of the, the nice sets, one of the nice campaign sets, where we get a mini campaign about the Academy and Citadel yes. as well. And it's nice because you can use these as one-off games or you can have it as a series of linked games. And like we said on previous campaigns, this is one of the things you could do in a day with a group of friends or over a weekend. You could have kind of a relaxed game weekend about this. You could develop this and make it a longer narrative event. Event organizers out there, I'm, I'm looking at you here. So you could have this as the endpoints for like, this is the big morning event, or the, one of these missions is the end of the morning. The second one is the end of the afternoon and so on. So you could have quite a nice weekend's gaming out of this, whether as a narrative event or with a, a gaming group of friends. Yes, they are Imperial Fist and Iron Warrior missions, but you know, the heresy community is adaptive. We could use these for other types of missions as well. You, you, we shouldn't feel that we're always fixed into those particular legions because the heresy is full of these little forgotten sieges and forgotten powers and perils, uh, battles all over the place. So just because Hydrocordatus is Dark Age of Technology doesn't mean there aren't other Dark Age of Technology fortresses out there. It'd be Beach shocking Garland if there weren't. Yeah, absolutely. Beta Gun was full of them, for goodness sake. So, you know, adapt these rules. Don't feel kind of stuck into them. So, JP, should we look at mission one, the Iron Tide? Absolutely. And uh, Iron Tide is, uh, if you actually do play it as a mini campaign, Iron Tide is one you might be playing a few times. Because uh, the way the can there's only two missions in this campaign system, uh, but the way it functions is <laughs> you play Iron Tide at least once. Plus, possibly as many as three times, uh, which I which makes which I which I love because you're trying to get a breach. If you get a breach in the first game, then you can just move on to the next mission. But it could take you three tries to actually get through, which is exactly what happens in the narrative. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's all about like in any siege warfare, you have to cause a breach, and once you're once you've got the breach, you're in. All the joy in the world. All the joy. Getting, well, all, all the automata. Uh, lots of automata. Yes. Mainly automata. What's nice here, mainly automata, lots of automata. But it's, what's nice here is something you and I have mentioned on multiple occasions. People always forget about how furious the Iron Warriors are when they're besieging fortresses and the breach is being made. Their reputation was as bad as, or amazing as the world eaters in assault when it came to sieges. Yeah, uh, well, that's that. That's that quote that we keep bringing up from um, uh, greatest, one of the greatest uh, Games Workshop publications of all time, the Chaos Three Point Five uh, Codex from Third Edition. 
the Iron Warriors are as savage as the world eaters, but only for in, in close combat, I mean, and but only for the time necessary um, for the objective to be maintained uh, to be taken. So they're yeah. not berserkers, they're not constantly fighting each other. When it's time to cause that breach to take that fortress, they can be as savage as blood angels or uh, world eaters. Yeah, absolutely. So let's look at this then. Mission one, the Iron Tide. The the initial strikes against the Citadel of the Cadmian Citadel. So clearly the Iron Warriors are the attacker, the Imperial Fist the Defender. You choose your armies as standard. Um, if it's being played as a one-off game, you roll a D6 to determine what kind of deployment map is used. And it's the usual Dawn of War, Hammer and Anvil, and Breakthrough. If it's being used as part of a campaign, you play each one in turn or until you make a breach. You deploy your objectives in accordance with mission special rules. And we'll, we'll talk about those objectives in a moment because they are quite vital. And then deployment, because deployment is one of these things where they specify you have to have fortifications. So this is a good opportunity to break out your walls of martyr, your bunker sets, your... Um, I want the vengeance weapon batteries. Come on, get them all out. We've got two yeah, get them all forces out. here. Get they're them all out. They're like, just sitting there on your shelf. Bring them out. Yeah. Narrative games this is what we want. So first of all, we defend the deploys any of their fortifications in their deployment zone. Then the attacker deploys any fortifications. Then the defender puts out their entire force, except for units. And then the attacker puts out their entire force, except for units in reserve. The attacker has a first sentence for defender concedes the initiative. And it uses for variable game length. So, so far, everything is as we would expect. Now, this is where things start to go a little bit different. So, let's talk about the objectives first of all. So, the objectives, you have D3 plus 3 objective markers. And it's the usual size, about 1 or 2 inches in diameter. You know, so your typical 25 to 40 mil bases. Um, before any deployments take part, you take it in turns, putting those markers down in any area of the board except for the attack's deployment zone. The defender starts off. They can't be placed within six inches of each other. And then the standard rules to be able to claim or deny an objective, you have to have a scoring unit within three inches. And a unit can never claim or deny more than a single objective. So fairly standard mission objective rules. But how do you score for victory points? Because this is one of these missions that I really like, where depending if you're the attacker or the defender, you have different ways to score victory points. And I'm really enjoying these asymmetrical missions mm -hmm. where both sides are trying to achieve different things. And I think that's one of the best things to come out of these campaign sets is picking out or pointing out that, you know, you don't always have to be playing for the same thing. And it's that interaction between those asymmetrical victory conditions that leads to a much more interesting game. What do you think about that, JP? I, I totally agree. But I think that the, uh, all these campaigns have been very narrative, obviously, uh, which we love, and also very asymmetrical. But none of them seem like so much. Of, none of them seem one-sided, if that makes sense. Asymmetrical, no. but not one-sided. Like I, I, um, I could play either side of this uh, the, the, this game and think I have a good chance to win. Yeah, absolutely, I would agree. And I think that's the balance that you that that's the that, that's the balance that you have to uh, you have to maintain when you do these kinds of objectives because it's no fun 
uh, playing a game where you know you're going to lose. Unless you're unless yeah. it's within a campaign where even with losing kind of affects later games. That's different. That's very different. Like, you know, yes. um, you have half the, the points of, of your enemy. And if you hold out a certain number of turns or something like that, it affects the next game. Those can be yeah. fun. Um, I, we, we did a lot of those uh, when we did the Hellfarian uh, campaign a few years ago, but it's no fun to know in advance you're going to lose if there's no point in the in the loss, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, I, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree with you. So at the end of the game, uh, the attacker rolls a d6 to see how many victory points they get for each objective they control. So, and it's important, and in some ways I'm a little bit disappointed by this, that it's at the end of the game because I quite like these ongoing score emissions, but, you know, we are dealing with what we're dealing with. So if the attacker has captured an objective, they roll a d6. On a 1, they don't get any victory points at all. On a 2 to 4, they get one victory point. And a 5 to 6, they get two victory points. Whereas the defender just gets a solid one victory point for each objective that they control at the end of the game. So it's much more consistent. So it's kind of, for the attacker, they're trying to get as many as possible because if they're really unlucky, they can capture all the objectives and not actually score any victory points at all. It's like War of Lies, but I don't hate it. <laughs> yes, because you're not losing victory points. Yeah, exactly. You don't have to. But War of, War of Lies is a great mission because it actually makes you think, it makes you really do a lot of mental calculations, figuring out it's like, do I even want to take this objective? Yes. Because if, if you can get all the secondaries and shit, you might not need it. Like it might not yeah. be worth the risk. So I like that for War of Lies, but it's also super frustrating when you roll that six. So yes, this is great. This, this might be better. Mostly. And mostly. And there's three secondary objectives. And what's quite nice here is the two of them are just for the attacker. The defender only has one. And it's the typical kind of defender objective. Blooded but unbroken. You have to have more units alive on the battlefield than the attacker does. And if you're if you have more units than the defender than the attacker, then you gain an extra victory point. Whereas the attacker. They have the end of defiance. If they kill the enemy warlord, the attacker gains one victory point. So it's important to notice that if the defenders kill the attacking warlord, they don't get any victory point advantage of that. It's just, okay, I'll kill the warlord. And then if you the attacker has at least one model from a scoring unit within six inches of the defender's table edge, they score the into the breach objective, and they also score a victory point. So realistically, what this means is the attacker has to be moving on. The attacker has to be pushing forward. But this is this is what's so fun about this campaign, though, is, again, you have to score the Into the Breach objective to move on to the next uh, mission. You can do that by still losing. <laughs> yes. Because it doesn't matter. You get wiped out and lose so long as the breach is made. That's the, I, I find yeah. that that's a little that's a really fun little nuance. And that's what I was talking about. Yeah. Sometimes losing doesn't matter if you, you know, if if it affects the campaign. Absolutely. It's it's very typical Iron Warrior mentality. Isn't it? It's like, oh, no, I've lost three quarters of my army, but I've got all the victory points I need to move on to the next stage. Let's the go. breach was made. All that matters is the breach but, was yeah. made. You could wipe me out, but the breach was made. And Perturabo yeah. will still be happy. Yes. <laughs> Perturabo will be happy. Well, happy-ish. Like, as happy as he gets. Like, he might, he might crack, like, a quarter smile. He may give you the nod. He might even nod at you. Yeah, that's right. He may, yeah. Maybe. I think the most important, the most important thing is he won't be unhappy. That's the most important thing. <laughs> yeah. Because you don't want to, you don't want your grand battalion to be decimated. 
Although no. chances are, if you actually succeed in this objective, it already has be- been. <laughs> yes. So that moves us on to mission two, which is Vengeful Strike. And this is after a breach is made. So you are now into the fortress itself. And what I really like here is it switches from a standard open table to a zone mortalis table. And we've seen so many zone mortalis missions in this in these campaign packs. And I'm loving that. I love a zone mortalis game. Um, I think it's fast becoming my preferred way to play Heresy because you've got smaller resources to draw upon. You don't have some of the sillier units interacting as much. I'm looking at you, Leviathans. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm loving how many Zone Mortalis missions we're getting. So, once again, we have the Eye Warriors as the attacker, the Imperial Fist as defenders. And just want to point out here just because it's Zone Mortalis rules, it doesn't mean you have to be playing a Zone Mortalis board. Zone Mortalis just represents dangerous terrain. So, it can just be very, very tight city streets, for example. It doesn't have to be the classic Zone Mortalis tiles we've seen from Forge World or the new Necro boards, things like that. So bearing in mind that Zone Mortalis can just be very densely put together other types of scenery. So that, I think that's an important point to, to recognise here. So setting up a game. So you set up using Zone Mortalis uh, scenery. Uh, it's a typical Zone Mortalis size board. So it's um, 48 by 48 inch, so two foot by two foot. And then before deployment, the defender places D3 plus three objective markers. And they represent semi-sentient defences. These defences where the fortress is coming alive. So shall we just spend a couple of moments looking at that for a moment, JP? Absolutely. So I like these. This is fun. So if at the end... Of, well, actually, let's just kind of read the description. So, JP, do you want to take that away? Read the description for semi-sentient defenses? Yeah, essentially at the end of the movement phase, uh, if uh, an Iron Warriors uh, unit uh, is within two inches of a semi-sentient uh, defense marker, you roll a d6 to defer- determine what it does. If you roll a one, it's dormant, so it doesn't do anything. Two to three crushing mass. You know, it's like a D&D trap, right? <laughs> uh, so- it's the trash compactor from yeah, the new hope. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Uh, so the unit that triggered the effect suffers D6, strength four, uh, no AP hits. Uh, you could kill a couple of sturdies. That's not bad. Yeah. Um, four to five, you roll four to five uh, on this. It's They're bioabsorbers. Um, so it's like a great maw in the ground that like starts to devour, like a Sarlacc, if you will. We're using the Star yeah. Wars references. Let's, let's stick yeah. with it. Uh, so the unit that triggered this effect suffers D3, strength six, AP three hits. That's a bit real scary. scary. <laughs> yeah, that could hurt. That could hurt. That, that, that's going to kill scary. a couple of starties. Uh, yeah. And if you roll a big six, uh, you get Graviton Pit, which is like, you know, a bunch of Graviton generators uh, reduce you to atoms, crush you with uh, with with gravity. Uh, we know all these things work. Um, so you must roll equal under your strength on a D6. Each model uh, of the unit must roll equal or uh, under the strength on a D6. The rolls greater than the model strength. They suffer a wound with no armor saves allowed. The unit suffers any wounds due to the special rule. They must take a pinning test. Models that a strength characteristic are unaffected by this result. That that that's pretty brutal. It is, but most Astartes have got a good chance to get through. Yeah. I, I think bio bioabsorbers is, is bioabsorbers are the one you don't want. Yeah, you got to lose <laughs> yeah. at least one submarine. Yeah, like no question. Yeah, 
by the, that that's not good that's not good at all so they are set up across the board usual rules apply to how they set them up so you can't have them more than uh, close than six inches together and then there is certain ways you need to organize your defend your your um, forces so one thing we should point out is the attack the iron warriors are taken using the attacker force organization chart and the def- the Imperial Fists are using the Defender Force Organization chart. And before they deploy, the Defender divides their army into two equal groups. And that's based on the number of units, not the number of points. So the Defender then designates one of those units to be the first line, and this, we have our units to be the reinforcements. The attacker stays as one compact group. The attacker deploys first, apart from any units in reserve. Uh, and any units that come placed in deployment zone are automatically placed into reserve. And then the defender deploys their first lines at least 12 inches away from enemy models. That's danger close. That's you are close starting right. remarkably close to each other, which you normally do with Zone Mortalis. And to be fair, with Zone Mortalis, just because you're 12 inches away, you may not be able to see them anyway, because there could be corridors or buildings or other scenery blocking you. So it's not as bad as on an open train setting up 12 inches away from each other. Uh, reinforcements arrive normally. So deploying coming in from your usual table edge. The attacker once again has first turn unless the defender concedes initiative. And I like that because in a lot of these games, the defender often goes first. So I like it how they've turned around that the attacker has the initiative and it uses the typical variable game length. So how do you win? This is very much a kill team mission. And at the end of the game, each player scores one victory point for each enemy unit that's been completely destroyed. Usual provisos, units that are falling back, units that are not on the board, etc. Counts as destroyed. However, there are then some subtle differences. The attacker gains D3 additional victory points for each friendly unit that is in the defender's deployment zone. So once again, it's representing that pushing on secure on the breach, making sure that you captured as much territory as possible. And the defender scores two victory points for each first line unit that has not been completely destroyed. So those initial units that are set up on the board, you have to play a little bit cagey with those. You need to try and keep those alive as much as possible. Other secondary objectives, you've got the typical Slaver Warlord, First Blood and Line Breaker. And then you've got all the normal Zone Mortale special rules, so you've got Deadly Ground, so that's making more terrain dangerous. Firestorm and Shrapnel, so that's where weapons of strength four and above get shred. Blast templates have to only um, scatter up to certain pieces of scenery. Nowhere to hide is affecting morale. Blind Panic is if units run through you, making uh, those kind of morale checks. Reaction Fire is... The classic Overwatch and full blister skill with your pass initiative check, reserves as normal. And then the defenders get a special one, first line. So those first line units, those units which are first of all set up on the board, they all gain stubborn. So, you know, it gives that little bit of an advantage to those initial units. So once again, the objectives are quite straightforward, but it's so mortalis. Half the game is surviving the scenery around you and the additional effects of that it's not just against the enemy combatants and the mission summarizes as push into the enemy deployment zone or stop the enemy from getting into your deployment zone nice and straightforward nice really. and simple nice and simple yeah 
No one said the Iron Warriors and Imperial Fists were complex tacticians. No, uh, when when battle is joined, yeah, it's just, you know, bash against each other, and eventually uh, someone will break. Yeah, absolutely, attritional warfare at its best. <laughs> and there we go, and that's the next campaign booklet got done. So, JP, what's your overall thoughts on this? What's your overall kind of feeling on the siege of Hydrocodatus? Absolutely love it. A little bit more content than uh, uh, the Sotha one. It's a lot of fun. Um, I salute Games Workshop for putting these out. It's keeping a lot of interest alive. It's fun that the community every couple of weeks is, is actually chatting about like what's the next one going to be. I think they went through all of them. There's this, That's all that we're going to get, right? Six? I don't know. I, I did, they, did they specify? Don't, I don't think they've actually specified anywhere how many we're going to yeah. get. My, my personal gut feeling is these going to carry on until fairly close to release of the new edition. Okay. Because I think these are transitional. Um, obviously designed with the current rules edition in mind to start off with, but we'll have to see where it goes. Um, you know, they're, they're fairly regular. They're about one a month for a moment, aren't they? So I think, I think we're going to see at least every Legion mentioned at least once because yeah, obviously so like far that. some legion some legions have had more appearances than others so far ultramarines for example i'd like to think that even if not every legion gets a new unit i think every legion will have a campaign that includes it at some stage i feel that i really must say i appreciate the level of polish of these um yes uh there's a lot of thought that goes into it these are the, the missions are 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 quite unique um, and creative. This uh, campaign system, I think, is really creative and really gets you the feel. Because the, the fact that you might have to run through, you might, but not necessarily have to run through three different missions, like or do the mission three times, but through, with different deployments, I think is is a lot of fun. It's a very creative way um, and a cost effective way to actually make a, make it a little bit like longer if necessary. Um, and and the order of the deployment maps, I think I was thinking about this earlier. The order of the deployment maps maps go from harder to easier because if you look at the th- if you have to run this mission a third time it's going to be breakthrough and you're pretty close from six inches from the enemy deployment line if you can't get if you can't get it <laughs> with a breakthrough deployment you probably suck as an iron wars player and you should probably be decimated by Perturabo. yes yes that that that's the pity deployment map you it? have to literally <laughs> move six inches if you can get six inches you should be able to <laughs> Uh, but anyways, it, it, but again, like it's nothing guaranteed. And uh, uh, but I, I think it's well structured. It's well thought out. Uh, I, I like the unit and I love the idea of having an early war version. And I really do hope and this is something we've talked about uh, many times. Um, it, it is still my hope that uh, heresy eventually moves into like an early war, mid war, late war kind of format, sort of like uh, Flames of War. Yes, we've, we've mentioned that quite a few times on this podcast. How realistic is it? Even if it's not as specified as it is in, like, for, for example, the Flames of War rule set, at least have those kind of very, very indicates of this was a this unit was created partway through the heresy. Well, they almost and ha- they, have, they a, have, and have a special rule attached to it. They, they have did it, um, uh, like because we have Crusade, Age of Darkness, yeah. and what I'm assuming is going to be Siege of Terror. Those are the three phases. Uh, and Siege of Terror, we mean Siege of Terror like starts. Uh, this would start uh, like at uh, um, 
at uh, a bit of Garmin, right? Like we're talking about oh, like, yeah. a while before when you really get the drive to Terra. So yeah, you have Crusade, which is, you know, everything up to and including the early battles of the Heresy, Isfan, Foul, uh, all of those. Then you have Age of Darkness, which includes Dark Compliance and all the like the, the, the mid-war kind of stuff. Medusa's like uh, um, sort of line in the sand. And then you'd have the uh, the Shadow Crusade and, and stuff like that. Thramus Crusade, that would be like Age of Darkness. And then you'd have uh, Siege of Terra, which is everything that starts with the uh, the end of the Dark Compliance and the and the drive to Terra, um, culminating, of course, in the actual Siege of Terra. I think that would be easy yeah. to do. It, it seems like they've almost... It, it seems like... They've implied they, it. They've implied it, and I hope that they yeah. actually do that. I would love if the new version eventually has, you know, you know, the Crusade era source book kind of thing. Yes. Right? This is how you well, play Crusade I mean, era games. Yeah, obviously... Obviously, we don't know how the format of the new edition is going to go. Obviously, we've got lots of rumours around it. Yeah, um, if, the, if they do go down this supposed idea of smaller expansions rather than black books, that would be a much easier thing to achieve. And Titanicus does it already, doesn't it? You, When we look at the Titanicus campaign books, they are spread out through the entire heresy, from yep. the very early heresy all the way up to the Siege of Terror and Beta Garmin. So there's already a precedent for it. It wouldn't be impossible to do. We just have to wait and see. Is always all yeah. it's coming to. But it's one of those things. Like uh, already, the community started uh, starting to think along these these term uh, these terms. Um, uh, started to think around, uh, uh, starting to you know feel its way around this. Um, for example, like I mentioned before, the re- the return to Istvan uh, event at Adepticon, and I know there was uh, at least one in Cardiff, I believe. Uh, so this idea that you, you, we already know what's an appropriate unit for this period, it would like I would like if there was a list that came out or something like yes. that, right? You know, what's yeah. an appropriate um, a unit for the early heresy that would specifically, you know, you can't take demons. Even word bearers wouldn't have access to demonology that early right well, it would no, be easy they, to they, do they don't really start using demons until chaos and even then yeah, it's yeah. only really erebus isn't it it's erebus which is summoning them all on chaos yeah. so lots and lots of possibilities we will have to wait wait wait, wait. just that I, I i just would you put kelf in this let's 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 be hypothetical let's be uh, Whoa, uh would you put kelf in in early heresy or mid heresy because kelf happens very be. early but it's it, it feels more like mid heresy I would put it to mid heresy. I think uh, it's yeah. one of those transition. It's one of those transitional campaigns that moves it from early to late, uh, early to mid. Yeah, yeah. It's it would be the Barbarossa. Of, yes, um... <laughs> yes, yes, it would. The Barbarossa yes. of the heresy. Um, it, I don't even play Flames of War, but I, I, I do. I, I do. I do like that. But we uh, are system. aware of the historical background. Yeah. <laughs> Slightly. Yeah. Anyways. Um, uh, I hope they move in that direction. But yeah, this is a great little, um, a great little supplement. They've all been good. I, I salute uh, Games Workshop for putting stuff out, for keeping the community engaged, for keeping the community talking, and and for the polish of these because they are nice and polished. Yes. I, I would like to have them properly printed um, as little booklets. Yeah, I think my plan, and I'm going to wait until they're all out, and then I'm going to get them printed off by our mm-hmm. resources department in work, and I'm going to get them bound. So I've got them all in one one handy location. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, again, this makes me feel like uh, the glory days of, of White Dwarf, this stuff. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You know I mean? It is like the early stuff we used to get, like the late 90s White Dwarfs when you know, it used to be full of campaign bits and absolute 
bits like that. Cool. So we will leave that campaign there. Next campaign, Armentura. We're going back to the world eaters. Yes. Definitely a bit heresy. <laughs> Though few understood the truth of the repugnantly seductive creatures that had birthed and gorged themselves upon the terror noise of the Maraviglia, Lucia suspected they were aspects of elemental powers that were older and more generous with their blessings than anything the Imperium had to offer. His perfection would be his devotion to them. Lucia sat on the edge of his bunk and strove to recall the substance of his dream. He could picture the ruined interior of La Fenice and the terrible gaze of the painting above the blood-slick stage. But for the eyes, it had been Fulgrim, as he had been before the Legion had taken its first steps upon the path of sensation. And as full of pain as they had been, there was a familiarity to them that had been strangely absent in the days since Istvan V. That battle had changed Fulgrim, but no one in the Legion appeared to notice the change save Lucius. He had sensed something indefinably different about his beloved Primarch, something impossible to pinpoint. But there, nonetheless, Lucius had sensed something awry like a harp string a fraction out of tune, or a picked image not quite in focus. If any shared his opinion, they kept their counsel, for the Primarch did not take kindly to questioning, nor was he merciful in his displeasure. The Fulgrim that had returned from the bloody sands of the dead world had none of the Venetian's witter in sight, and when he spoke of past battles, his tales had the hollow ring of one who had heard of their fury, but taken no part in their winning. The feeling that he had been summoned to Lefinis for a reason would not leave him, and Lucius looked up into the face of the painting that hung opposite his bunk. It was the last thing he saw before he took his infrequent bouts of rest, and the first thing he saw upon waking. It was a face that haunted him and inspired him in equal measure. His own. Serena DeAngelis had painted the portrait of him, a specially commissioned piece that had seen her delve further and deeper into her soul than any mortal should for perfection. Only the Emperor's children dared reach for such heights. But where the Legion had transcended, she had been destroyed. His ravaged features stared back at him from the golden frame, with the one thought that had been gnawing at his dreams and waking life like an itch that could never be scratched. Though it seemed impossible, the nagging thought would not leave him. Whatever wore Fulgrim's face and moved in his flesh was not Fulgrim. Welcome back to Tales of Heresy. Today's Tale of Heresy is one of our palate cleansers after uh, we do one of these series. And this is one that I think we've done before, but like seven years ago. So it would be cool to uh, to discuss once again. And this is the Reflection Cracked from the anthology, uh, the anthology of uh, novellas. Uh, this particular story is by Graham McNeil. So before we go any further, does anybody, I think we probably all have an efficient synopsis for this one. Let's go around yeah, the table. Very much so. Um, so this is the sexist. The sexist. I like it. The sexist. That's my efficient synopsis. 
It's more like a rebrand. But yes, that that is it. Derry, do you have one? Uh, that's what he gets out of hand. <laughs> All right, mine is Graham McNeil really likes Hellraiser. Huge okay. fan. And I can confirm because I met him. We talked about Hellraiser for a bit. His uh, cell phone case was the Lament configuration by, uh, by uh, from from Hellraiser. But uh, there's at least, I count at least three direct quotes from Hellraiser in this fucking short story. Oh, great. Oh, awesome. I missed those. Cool. It'd be nice to uh, pick them up. Uh, so anyways, um, Reflection Cracked. This is one of the, uh, this is a, kind of an early story, but honestly, probably one of the seminal uh, Emperor's Children uh, stories. How do you guys want to break yeah, this one down? Um, should we go through the basic structure of it? Um, because this this is one of those short stories that I think you could delve into a lot. It's not one of these things where you see like a lot of uh, like literary illusions uh, that that that's peppered throughout. Um, what was the last mo- uh, thing that we did? Last book that Death you guys Fire. did? Deathfire. Yeah, that very much is kind of like a classic structure. There's a lot of like throwbacks to it. This is just a fun story. It's not that deep. You can't but, read into it too much. I agree, but I think in terms of certainly. The stage we're at now with heresy, you know, over halfway through Siege of Terror, looking back at an early story like this, where you've got a traitor legion, particularly one of the great powers traitor legions in this period of transition, is really interesting because we don't have the Empress children here even full on crazy like they are in Angel Exterminatus. This is them directly after his fan five, and they're clearly on a shift to what we would recognize late heresy 40k, but there's still some of their early structure left, isn't there? There's still them to get into grips with the warp and the great power that's taken interest in them. There's even nominally a, still a hierarchy. Yeah, the, the, they still have the old legion structure. And uh, yeah, the, uh, I, I think, Darren, you put it really well. It's uh, it's transitional. Uh, they're still not sure what's going on or what's in the warp. Um, and And... They seem to be elements of the Legion is, are still concerned about the direction that the Legion is going, and especially the direction that Fulgrim is going, because this is really a story about Fulgrim. Yeah, it, it's a, a one of those, and I say this with no disrespect. This is a filler story. It, it feels like this is a bridging story between one point and another. It, it gives you a like flavor of what's going to come in angel exterminatus but it's also a nice ref- reflection of where like you said the, the legion is at the, the and just the madness that's running throughout and if it shows a little bit more light on lucius as well which is always fun to see yeah i i agree i think it's like if it was a tv show this is one of those episodes that focuses on one or two characters and their development but does it actually mm. massively impact on the whole arc yeah yeah, but it's fun. It's it's so much fun. Like uh, fillers can feel a little annoying to read because there's there's just no substance to them. But McNeely always throws in that extra little twist, whether it's like a bit of bullshit philosophy or like Hellraiser quotes. It, it's just a big jumble of fun to read. Uh, I I think this is a great novella. Um, it is I think like I mentioned a seminal Empress Children's story, but fundamentally it's. The lead up to Angel Exterminatus, it, 
And you don't pick up on this when you read it the first time, right? I, I think the when we reviewed it the last time, Angel Exterminatus wasn't out yet. Um, so when, when last we, we chatted about it, uh, but it really is, I, I think all four novellas uh, in the Primarchs are kind of lead-ups to other books, or at least two of them are. Yeah, Because uh, you have this one, The Lion. Um, the Lion being like the lead-up to, uh, I guess, Thramis. Or in... Be- yeah, the, the lead up to Prince Crows, which I guess wasn't a whole book. Yeah, I'm this book certainly looking looking back, you can see that this is clearly where the authors start to sit down and have their Lords of Terror meeting and start to plan <laughs> through yeah. story arcs and that actually starts to have a little bit more focus and drive behind the series as opposed to we're just gonna lurch from one story to another. Uh should we say right at the very outset that okay, normally you can listen to the show with the kids in the car when you take them to school, or what? Like you can... Who would do that? I, I think so. Like, there's not a lot of swearing, but I know one of my students. He he likes to listen to in the car, and, uh, like the occasional swear word. That's that's fine. If you're around other people, if you are in that space, please turn off this segment. This is not safe for work by any. And we are going to be quite blue in how we approach this. We're going to really delve into this. So, yeah, please turn off now. Listen to it in your own private time. This is this, this is kind of a messed up one. They tr- they tr- uh, I guess the, the main story uh, we can go in, uh, go into it um, like in order. Uh, but this is really about the Legion trying to torture a demon out of Fulcrum. <laughs> yeah, it's a very weird. St- OK, so the basic structure is Lucius picks up that something's wrong. With yeah, Fulgrim. Something's off. Something's off. Yes. Something's off about him. They invade a world uh, and they take up a shitload of this uh, like reflective crystals that Fulgrim really likes to look off. And of course, we know from previous reading that Fulgrim has uh, been taken over by a demon at this point. And Lucius picks up on this. And Lucius and his uh, cabal of upper commanders, they decide, okay, this isn't right. We're going to do something about it. They clubber, Fulgrim unconscious, chain him down, torture horn, <laughs> twist. We'll get to the twist right at the very end because I think it did. Directed by Eli Roth. Yes, that's the basic structure of the story. Um, the parts of Lucius are, are fun. It's always fun reading about him, just how arrogant he is. It's fun seeing the dissolution of the Legion. There's a great portion of it where Eidlund gets his head cut off and <laughs> his head. Is is bled into ewers of wine that the Legion then drinks. That's a that's a cool little touch. This is another thing I noticed. Um, uh, thinking about this novella, um, there's two novellas in this in the Primarchs anthology. There's two of them where uh, major characters get beheaded uh, by their Primarch. There's this one, and there's also in the story uh, the Lion, where Nemuel gets uh, decapitated. Of course, Nemuel doesn't come. Yeah, back. but only I was going to say only one of them deserves it, yeah. though, don't they? <laughs> I mean, well, Nemuel did. Right? He he did criticize. The, they 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 both stepped out of line. No, Nemuel was doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's the chaplain. He's there to keep the conscience of the legion. He doesn't deserve to have his head punched off by the lion just because <laughs> of that. Idlon, on the other hand, deserves everything he gets. <laughs> but what did Idlon actually do? He just asked where they were going. That that's it. Yeah. Like he wasn't. <laughs> where are we going, boss? What the fuck is this? 
and I love that scene because Lucius is thinking the same thing, but he steps back. He doesn't yeah. say anything. It's like that scene in meetings, and we've all been there in an official meeting where someone <laughs> some, says something. We've all been thinking it, but we don't want to be that person to say it out loud. He's only the lightning rod. Yeah, yeah like so, someone has to. Ha- someone has to tell Hitler that Steiner's attack didn't didn't go through, <laughs> <laughs> if you will. <laughs> Uh, it's yeah. The, 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 this is one of the. I think that's a shocking moment in 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 the heresy. Um, that like such a an important character gets unceremoniously killed, and then they drink his blood. Now, of course, they bring him back. Of course, they bring him back in Angel yeah, Stramnatus. This is just McNeil fucking with us because when you want to show characters absolutely one hundred percent dead in the heresy, you behead them, but that doesn't hold true for Eidolon. Because uh, McNeil, he likes playing with form, doesn't he? He likes fucking. Because Grant McNeil also loves Herbert West Reanimator. Yeah. <laughs> he also loves Lovecraft as much as he loves Clive Barker. So you you knew that there was going to have a conversation between <laughs> between. Okay, that's a, yeah, that's a great point. Okay, so we have cosmic <laughs> horror, we have body horror. Um, what else can we throw in? I guess it's like a run through of horror tropes that he loves, especially. I mean, you mentioned that there's how many direct quotes from. I think there's like or? three. There's a, we have such sites to show you at one point, like uh, like our variation on. Um, uh, we have such sites to show. Oh, I should have written them down. Uh, I noticed a few of them in there. You you could mm-hmm. tell Grammy and Grammy McNeil when you give him a chance to do some horror stuff, he's gonna relish it. He's gonna just duck it out of the park. I love it when they give him a chance to do some horror stuff. And we don't get that much in the standard heresy novel, do we? This is what makes this story stand out so much, is that it's very, very different to the other heresy stories we've had to this point when it was released, but also after this as well. There aren't many stories that show young children in this much graphic detail. A lot of it is just inferred or what you believe could be happening elsewhere. It's never quite as defined as what we see in this novel. Yeah, I mean, even the descriptions before we come to the like the grand climax, uh, even the descriptions of the um, upper command structure, uh, especially the first commander, um, Julius Caesaron, like the the ruination of his face, and the just utter like they love their deformity, they love what's happening to them, they relish it with such aplomb and gusto. So let's kind of, should we start moving through it a little bit chronologically? So we've, yeah, we've sure. kind of given a, a quick overview, haven't we? So what's interesting, it actually starts off with a dream, doesn't it, with Lucius? And mm. you, they do raise the point that Astartes don't tend to dream. So mm-hmm. it's already a, a unique experience, um, experience so far. And it goes, is it Lefenis? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's Which, being closed off. On Fulgrim's orders as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Lucius is exploring this in his dream, isn't it? And obviously, those of you who can remember from the book Fulgrim, Lefenis is where Slanesh first really takes hold of the Legion and lots of demonettes are summoned and it's a massacre in there, isn't it? But it's where the Empress children really dedicate themselves to the Dark Prince. Yeah. And kind of, Lucius is kind of exploring this and he comes across the, the mural, the painting of Fulgrim, that is described in a lot of detail in the Fulgrim novel about all the work. Is it Serena De Angelis? Yes, Serena De Angelis yeah. puts into mm-hmm. it. And he points out that it's quite bland now. 
according to the Empress children, you know, it's not that shocking. A mortal would think it was amazing, but to these Astartes who need this huge amount of stimulation now to actually get any kind of emotional response, it's average apart from the eyes. And yeah, because this is where we've kind of, yeah, gone, Jamie. <laughs> no, so th- this is a reference back to uh, Portrait of Julian Gray, right? In, in most of the, uh, the book Fulgrim, Everybody that looks at the portrait of Fulgrim is disgusted by it. It looks like, I, I think it's literally shit. Like, literally, I think feces yeah. were, like, put into it. It's it's a terrible, ugly portrait. And at the very end of the book, um, the portrait has magically become beautiful. Uh, and and, and the, the implication is that this is where Fulgrim's actual soul is. It's trapped inside this painting, mm. which is why the, uh, the the painting has suddenly become beautiful. Um, but yeah, the eyes, uh, that, that's how people realize that, oh shit, Fulcrum's in this motherfucker. Well, he doesn't quite realize it at this stage, does it? But that's, that's kind of his first indication that something is wrong, that possibly it's not Fulcrum. Yeah. As we, as we know it. And then he's summoned to kind of the gathering of commanders, isn't he? Um, mm-hmm. because well, first of all, he has, he, he has, he has to like fight his way into into there, a bunch of Phoenix guards uh, trying oh, to that stop comes him. Later. That's, oh, that that's later. later. Oh, that's later. Apologies. It starts with a dream sequence first. So he, yeah, he dreams what he, he dreams of then later on when he actually breaks in. Yeah, he butchers a bunch of Phoenix Terminators. My apologies, uh, Darren, as you were. <laughs> yeah, so he goes to this kind of command structure meeting, doesn't he? And he has to get there through the, key, the passageway. We've had this described in a lot of the Gloriana classes now, haven't we? The, the, the main command center you have to go along this main corridor to get to and it used to be a a place of celebrating the heroes of the legion and you know banners of victory and now they describe it as just full of what's the best way to describe it people who just want to see fulgrim and there's supplicants how about supplicants 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 is probably the best way but that implies there's some sort of order to it (laughs) and there's clearly not is there yeah, and this is kind of one of our first indications of a legion is slide. Yeah, uh, okay, and, I mean, oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, they've they've fallen already, right? I think we are just watching the fall at this point. They they've they've been destroyed. They've been ruined. Now we're just seeing the fallout from it. Yeah, the, I, I think it's mentioned several times. Like Lucius, Lucius is such an interesting character in that. This is expectations being subverted as far as uh, Lucius's um, uh, sort of storyline, especially in the first four books, right? Um, so the opening trilogy and Fulgrim, which really, like, it really is part of those three, like the opening trilogy, if you will. Um, but Lucius, everybody knows that he's, you know, a chaos lord, right? Everybody knows that he eventually becomes a uh, favorite of Slanesh, but he is uh, described or he, he he's really characterized as, as torn. Um, and that like, it's not obvious or automatic or inevitable that he becomes Lucius, the internal that we know from, uh, from 40 K. Right. It, unlike Typhon, the first time you see Typhon, you know, full well, like where this is going. Lucius, they made him a more interesting character than perhaps he even deserved to be. Yeah, he's very much resisting 
the call as much as possible, isn't he? he? He's doing things entirely for himself rather than looking for that external pleasure, that external stimulation. He's concentrating fully on making himself the best swordsman and everything is de- devoted to that, isn't it? Which is, I, as we've spoken about before and how Slanesh and views of Slanesh have changed over the years, this is, a, I, I really like this because it's focusing on the devotion of extremism if we want to use that term, and maybe it's not the most appropriate term to use, but it's taking that pleasure to an extreme level just for him. It's not that external stimulation like a lot of the emperors do, like the Carcophony, for instance. It's focusing on his eternal pleasure and taking things to excess that he is personally focusing on. So like it mentions at one point, doesn't it, but he's got hooks inside the shoulder plates of his armour that unless he's using his swords in a perfect way, it will cause him pain and agony. But it's another point, though. The, the, this is the whole Hellraiser in in the Empress Children, uh, the whole Hellraiser thing. You know, at a certain point, pleasure and pain sort of meld into each other, and they become uh, one and the same. Or not. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, yeah, I fully agree. Uh, just trying to, <coughs> to push on to the next scene. Um, so I guess the next major scene that we see is this uh, well forum descend into his supplicants and there's a great image online a great bit of um fan art that i think captures the scene where fulgrim is in full rich imperial panoply he has uh almost like burning wings behind him like this is fulgrim as apotheosis that is most beautiful and uh he gets the whole court and tell everyone what the next big plan is and this is done at the pre-drinks party at the uh, pre What's they call it? Uh, so they have the children, they have a tradition of celebrating a victory before the night they actually go to battle. So they celebrate the victory before it's won. And that's what they're doing here before they mess up this. Um, uh, is it a forge world, like a forge complex? Yeah, it's like a mechanicum controlled world. Yeah. I don't know if it's a forge world, but uh, uh, definitely controlled by the mechanicum. And they're all talking. It's like, why aren't we at Mars yet? Um, like, aren't we driving direct to Terra? Uh, and and there is an amusing kind of like discussion be, uh, uh, amongst them uh, about like, well, when are we going to attack terrorists? Like you don't, you don't. Oh, there, yeah. There's another. There's a Lord of the Ring reference. I do know something about Lord of the Rings. I've seen all the movies. And there's like you don't just you don't just walk into Terra, the most like high, the best defended planet in the entire like galaxy. You don't just walk into Terra. You have to. You have to like. You have to approach it with finesse. Um, so yeah, the, 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 the a lot of them are disappointed that they're not immediately attacking Mars. Um, so they're attacking uh, this place called uh, Pris. What is Prismatic? Prismatica Four, isn't it? I think Prismatica. It but that would be. But just going back a moment, that would be a really interesting. What if? What if the Empress Children Legion had gone straight for Mars? How well, by now, like Mars would be under would be in civil war right now. I mean, they could definitely land it, but like, do they have the fleet to actually uh, break the blockade? That's interesting. They have the co- coherency at this point. Perhaps they just waste themselves, or who knows? Perhaps they'd be able to be the tipping point. Who knows? Or maybe they'd. Uh, they 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 make an alliance with uh, Kelber Hall and the Dark Mechanicum, and then become. Oh, uh, you know how they, they 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 played around with the idea that the Iron Hands are like 
mirrored to the Empress children. Like they're both mm-hmm. seeking perfection. One of them through like martial ability, one through the flesh being weak and replacing things. But what if the Empress children actually become like the Iron Hands uh, and, and, and become like cyborgs and go full on Dark Mechanicum? That'd be a dangerous threat. Someone do that one for next year's alternate heresy. And you'll win. You'll automatically win. Tony, right you'll now. Automatically win. With, to be fair, in the last couple of episodes, we've mentioned quite a lot of possible alternative history ideas. So there's, there's, we've given people a lot of yeah. um, ideas already this year. So, you know, make a note, people. <laughs> yeah, we are, we are very arrogant and we will definitely have someone win that uses one of our ideas. That's how arrogant we are. Yes. Especially if you then throw Malau into a mix in some way as well. Yeah, throw in Malau too. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Take all the prizes. Yeah, hand it to us. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, there's a lot of discussion about uh, like what the plan is. Yeah, so uh, the attack prismatic of five. Um, I just had to look it up. Um, bunch of wild Mechanicum stuff and Fulgrim uses like the power of the warp to like destroy this Mechanicum engine, right? And Lucia sees that just like, uh... Well, it's not just Mechanicum, it's a Warhound. Was it a Warhound? Yeah. It's a, it's a Warhound. Oh, oh, apologies. That's pretty, yeah, it, that's pretty wild. Yeah, he basically does, well, I suppose the easiest way to describe it, it's like the flesh changing with Thousand Suns, isn't it? It turns him into a massive spawn. It turns all the, um... Oh, what's the princess of a moderati mm-hmm. in, in the bridge into a giant chaos spawn? That's right. And of course, it really throws Lucius, doesn't it? Because we've never seen Fulgrim use the power of the war. And they mm-hmm. specifically say that, like, I thought only Magnus had such powers. Uh, Lucius is interested. Can I learn that? Yeah, is that something that I can learn? It's just like, not from a weird, Jedi. He's walking around, yeah, he's walking around with the layer blade. I mean, there's already like a touch of the warp on him at this point. Yeah, that's right. He has the lair blade now. I forget. Yeah. I was rereading this today and I, I, I forgot. How did he get the lair blade? That's Fulgrim's uh, blade. Fulgrim yeah, Fulgrim. It. Uh, yeah. At the end of, in, in the book, Fulgrim. He I don't remember that. The, the lair, yeah, he, but I wonder if the lair blade isn't as sentient as it was because that's the demon that possesses Fulgrim. Uh, yeah, maybe. So mm, yeah. it's a bit like the old school demon weapons in the Slaves of Darkness rules. Once the demon's out, it's just a magical weapon. Mm. So I wonder because the demon is walking around in Fulgrim's body, the Lair Blade is just a very, very well-crafted blade with a few possibly uh, special abilities, but not the demon weapon it was previously. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I had forgotten about that detail. Um, so they they succeed. They take this Mechanicum world, but like clearly Lucius sees that there is a problem. This is when this is when they go, and uh, well, this is when Lucius decides to uh, go check out the painting for himself. Right, mm-hmm. something's off. Yeah. Yes, but before that, there's a key scene with Fulgrim himself, isn't there? Oh yes, when he's wandering around the um... yeah. The, the, how do you describe it? Sort of like a garden, a, a forest? Of... Crystal forest, isn't it? The best Crystal, way to describe yeah. it. Yeah. And this is one of the first points where McNeil starts to play with us a little bit, isn't it? Because Fulgrim, or the figure we think is Fulgrim, starts having a conversation. And of course, we've been led to this point thinking, and we don't want to give away the twist at the end, 
that there's a trapped version of Fulgrim communicating with the Fulgrim, which is interacting with the Emperor's children in, in the bodily form. And it's making us go in one direction, isn't it? It's making us think that this is the trapped version of Fulgrim communicating with the demon. Yeah, he has a conversation with himself. He's gone mad. Yeah, and it's uh, yeah. very much... Well, yeah, the, the conversation is, I mean, how do you say it? Like, um, if you give me a, another crack at your body, the things that we could do and Fulgrim, uh, or the being that is in control of Fulgrim's uh, body, like, nah, chance of it, I've learned everything I need from you. You could do one now. Oh, yeah, and uh, there's that whole bit where uh, <laughs> Fulgrim's cold and alone. Yep. It's, it says, please uh, it's, don't it's leave me dark. here, I'm cold and alone. Yeah. Yeah, this yeah. is this so, but, is also again this this is a horror story. This is like a possession story, mm-hmm. until it isn't. But anyways, uh, yes. So uh, uh, after that scene, where do we go next? So the next part is Lucius is practicing on the planet, isn't he? He he's going through various sword forms, and uh, Julius Kesterin interrupts him mm-hmm. and suggests that. Kesra knows that there is a problem with Fulgrim. And up to this point, Lucius thought he was the only one that was recognising that there was a problem with Fulgrim. And it, it now start, makes start Lucius thinking that, well, actually, possibly, do other people think about this? Do, are other people spotting these problems? At the same time, as this is all happening, this planet is being stripped forth of its crystals, which... Come is they come back in Angel Exterminatus, don't they? It's what you Fulgrim uses for his, his uh, for his apotheosis, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, you yeah. know, it's that's quite a nice thing, but obviously, the Legion doesn't know this, does do they? they they've just come to this out of way planet and now they're just stripping with crystals. And a lot of the Legion are quite unhappy with the fact they don't seem to be making any advancement in the war as such, and they're very disappointed with fighting mechanically because they don't feel pain or loss or suffering. But with uh, Kisaron, Kesserin kind of suggesting that he knows there's a problem. That's what drives Lucius on to actually breaking into La Venice in a physical way rather than just in a dream. Again, everybody realizes there's a problem. Well, not everybody, but um, so yeah, he decides to break in and get stopped by uh, several uh, Phoenix Terminators. And uh, you, you, you don't you don't screw with Lucius. He's pretty good at what he does. So uh, does he does he kill them? Like uh, he 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 neutralizes yeah. a, a, a few. No, of them. He kills them. He kills them. He kills he? them. Okay. But what was quite interesting here as well is, is this symbolic symbolically his Terran blade is broken. So that you know you have you have that kind of metaphor of him breaking with his old legion past. I didn't even catch that. That's great. This is honestly, there's just so much in this story is less than a hundred pages. So he gets through. Uh, he gets through the Felix, uh, Phoenix Terminators. There's a lot about how, like, uh, Lucius. He's still, you know, he still he still has that arrogant belief of being the best and wanting to measure himself. And actually, this comes later. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that later. But there, there, there's a whole bunch of stuff with the Fulgrim with, uh, with this. Anyways, he goes into uh, Lefinis. Um, is that is that Italian? How how should we pronounce that? I think it's called La Fenice. La Fenice. Uh, La Fenice. Um, I don't know if it's Italian or not. I think. Yes, he goes into it. He finds the portrait of Fulgrim. And uh, he notices that, uh, again, something is clearly off. Uh, it's not the same 
portrait that he remembers from that night a few, I guess, what would, would have been a few weeks ago. Yeah, it all comes back down to the eyes again, doesn't it? The eyes yeah. are full of pity and pain. Um, kind of very much for windows into the soul, aren't they? So, and like you say, it's, it is very much pitch, um, painting of Dorian Gray. So it, there's a lot of similarities here, isn't there? Um, and it's then that he recognises that his Fulgrim has trapped him in painting. So clearly whatever is wandering around in Fulgrim's meat bag is <laughs> clearly not Fulgrim. It's a good way to put it. Yeah, we've got to do something about it, lads. What are we going to do? Um, so yeah, I guess like, you know, Lucius, he gets in touch. Uh, he decides to, uh, put the, uh, you know, put the team back together. So yeah, the Phoenix Brotherhood or whatever it's called. I think it's the Phoenix Brotherhood, um, which hadn't met since before is fan five, all the captains, you know, all the, all the important people in the Ember's, uh, children, they all, uh, meet without Fulgrim. And it's weird that Fulgrim doesn't notice. Or I don't does remember he? if they mentioned it, or does I mean, he? Yeah, it does. It doesn't mention in the book that he knows it. But do you really think Fulgrim wouldn't know yeah. all of his key? They do captains. talk about it later that he sprung his own trap. Like, yeah, that that's that's fair. Yeah. Um, but so so he's, all, it, go ahead. It, it would all be a game to Fulgrim, wouldn't it? He would he would be really enjoying this. Yeah, the idea that they would they could plot against him without his knowledge is ludicrous and it speaks to the hubris and the arrogance of lucius <laughs> the very idea that fulgrim wouldn't know what the hell was going on speaks to his arrogance and i really like this scene because you get a real sense of threat here don't you the way the, the captains are acting the way the other members of the brotherhood of the phoenix are, are tr- acting around lucius so lucius in the center of them and then you have a group of them who are just slowly circling around him, aren't they? Yeah, they, they don't. No, none of them. All of them were busy with their own. They're they're already, you know, falling. They're already falling to chaos. They're they're already don't really care about a lot of you know the 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 the, the, the important things of war, right? Um, they're already uh, sort of falling back on their own hobbies or. Uh, maybe not hobbies. Uh, Entertainment. Uh, yeah, their own vices, right? Like, uh, yeah, Fa- Fabius. That's you know, uh, doing his uh, Herbert West stuff. Um, so yeah, they 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 don't give. They don't care what like. It's surprising that they even showed up. And 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 Fabius, you know, there there's a lot of yelling back and forth, and 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 lots of threats being made. Uh, but eventually, Lucius does does convince them that there's something off. Yes. Yeah, um, really what persuades him is when he drags Kestron into it, isn't it? So Kestron and Fabius are kind of sitting back and letting the other captains kind of challenge Lucius over him saying that, you know, Fulgrim's not who he says he is. And as soon as Kestron Im- strongly says that Kestron also knows about it and Kestron agrees, that's when the rest of them back down, isn't it? So it does... It is another indication that the Legion hierarchy is still there to a small extent mm. in that they're bowing down to the first captain. But then that's also very later Chaos Warband where you listen to the strongest member, isn't it? Yeah, I would I would accept that, but I think they are still listening to the strongest member. 
I mean, I don't think any of them can take uh, can take uh, Lucius. I mean, to be fair, even he, even Lucius says, if it came down to a fight against all of them, he wasn't walking out of there. Yeah, <laughs> well, not against all of them, but like one on one, no one's taking Lucius. A one on one, yeah, but that's he, he talks about it too. But, it's just uh, he, he it like um, uh, well, yeah, part of his, his disappointment. That's his. Of course, he's going to think that he's the best swordsman. He's just completely blind to his own faults. I don't know if he's wrong. I, 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 I there is a bit where uh, he's dis- in in the section where he's disappointed about uh, attacking uh, Prismatica instead of uh, driving to Terra, and uh, he mentions how disappointing, I guess, disappointed he is that he can't face a swordsman uh, that would put a challenge. And he's like, "Who could challenge me?" And he he well, mentions Sharokin would disagree. <laughs> Yes, but that's that fair. But he, he he mentioned Sigismund he, as the only person that could challenge him. I I, I don't know. Savitar? Yeah, I think Lucius's fault is that he would try and that, like engage him as a swordsman. Savitar wouldn't do that. He he would might just murder him. Yeah, he put yeah or he, <laughs> he put a chain glaive in his atramenta, Yeah, the Atramenta would gun him down. <laughs> that's right. It's exactly like what we talked about uh, earlier. Um, with the, with the night lords, <laughs> yeah. Why fight fair if you can win? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It doesn't matter. Um, the like why the blade is being wielded. All that matters is the will to use it, or something to that effect. Yeah, if you're the last man standing, who gives us rats about honor? History is written by the winners. Yeah, the dead guy could be honorable. But it doesn't come. It doesn't come to that. It, uh, they 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 they, they no. reach an understanding. Okay, we got to do something about Fulgrim there. This is not a great thing. He's clearly got a demon in him. Um, and that's a really interesting point, because this is the first time they start talking about demons, isn't it? And they're still quite uncomfortable about the idea of talking about demons. So even though they are so far down this path of Slanesh now, they still don't recognise it for what it is. And they're still getting used to the idea that demons are a thing. Yeah, but these they saw demons. Literally demonettes. Ripped through what is Becca? What's her name? Uh, uh, during during her opera performance uh, at uh, Lefidus, Demonets literally ripped through her into yeah, the material they, universe. They've seen them. Yeah, but that's just warp xenos. That's easily explained. You have that all the time when Gellerfields go down. Yeah, but like that's what they are, though. They are warp xenos. We know I mean, that this, this isn't this isn't a magical universe. I mean, uh, uh, that's what. That's what demons are. Yeah. But going back to this scene, what's really interesting is Fabius goes, yeah, I've known about this for quite a while. We can see it happening in his blood works. And he completely goes into this whole thing about, yeah, of course, what Fulgrim <laughs> is changing. I've seen it. I've seen it in his blood work for, for like months now. Don't know why you actually could why you actually having to talk about this. It's a proven fact. And everyone just turns on me and goes, what? <laughs> what is this for the first time we're hearing about this? Yeah, Fabius is uh, Fabius is one of those characters that I think they all really love to write. There's a few of them in this series. Uh, Fabius Pyle, um, just fun, mad scientist shit, right? Mm. I still view him as like a mix of Herbert West uh, from Reanimator and uh, uh, Peter Cushing's Va- uh, Frankenstein. Like, it's it, you can tell they have so much fun writing this fucking character. Yeah, we do get the impression that there are quite a lot of characters like that, don't we? So, but yeah, it's it's good. So 
they agree to do something, don't they? They agree to check how it's going to work. They, they agree that, okay, if there is a demon in Fulgrim, we need to drive it out. But to do that, they need to capture Fulgrim first. So what's their plan <laughs> for capturing a Primarch? Because it's going to involve more than just a big net, isn't it? Honestly, if it was just a big butterfly net, it would have been a wonderful cartoon scene. But oh, no, they got to beat that? the shit out of him. They got all ambush him and beat Lucius the fucking shit out of him. Lucius jumping behind a statue of a huge butterfly net. I want to see that image now. <laughs> Um, so yeah, they they have to they're gonna have to ambush him, they're gonna have to beat the hell out of him. <laughs> and the ambush scene is so great because they put so much violence against Fulgrim um that would like pulp most uh most transhumans. Uh but like yeah, they just they just kind of like barely knock him out. Barely. Well, is it at one point they mentioned there's there's about 50 involved in this isn't it you've got the main captains and then a whole load of carcophony at one point lucia says well there's about 50 of us i hope i wish that we had double the amount <laughs> <laughs> they power fist him to the head and he still gets up he doesn't just get up he then punches one's one of the captains in the face <laughs> so much the guy's face goes inwards <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and this is so the violent. first part, isn't it? This is the first part of this book where we go, oh, so we're not holding back on the violent side here, are we? <laughs> yeah, this is after a beloved oh, beloved, a beloved villain got decapitated and we're still like ramping up the violence. <laughs> yeah. One of the other guys stabs stabs Fulgrim in the chest with his knife and gets his arm shattered. <laughs> and a lot of them, like, he kills a lot of them. Um, after after the ambush, uh, Fabius talks about this. It's like, yeah, like half of these people are dead. <laughs> yeah, they didn't make it. <laughs> and the way they knock it, I loved how they knocked him out. So they took one of it's one of the Sonic Shriekers, isn't it? One of the um, cacophony weapons, like right up into it, right up against his <laughs> yeah, neck. right yeah. up into his neck, and just trigger it. And that includes Kesselron punching him with the back of the head with a power fist as well. And what is Lucius doing through all of this? Nothing. Nothing. Just standing Nothing. back and waiting. It's like, and it's yeah, not Ful my Fulgrim's like taunting him too. It's just like, oh, you, you, want, you, you wanted to see if you were as good as me. Why don't, why, don't, why don't you face me instead of like having like all your goons beating the shit out of me from behind? <laughs> and the fact he's taunting Lucius as yeah. he's taking all these other captains out and they're all <laughs> jumping all over him. And he mentions something to the fact that like, you know that if we did fight right now, it wouldn't be fair. And I'm pretty sure, like, Fulgrim, give him a good handicap. Give him a good handicap. He's making <laughs> Lucius. And Lucius is, yeah, he might be the greatest swordsman of the Astartes, but he would last a fraction of a second against Fulgrim. Yeah. It's just, it, it, it's, it, a, it, it's a beautiful scene, just a total beatdown, but it just shows what's necessary to take a prior down even if you're not trying to kill him if you're actually like oh man it's it's, it's brutal it is very, it's very well described isn't it it very much captures the brutality of that fight but also really highlights how challenging primarchs are because you know and we're seeing this more and more in the novels aren't we how difficult primarchs are to kill and we've seen it quite a lot in the Siege of Terror books. We've seen it throughout this series. But 
these Empress children have the additional problem they're trying to take Fulgrim alive. Have any of the Primarchs been killed by non-Primarchs? Not in Sigismund the Heresy. tried this best. Sigismund tried this damn best. Oh, oh yeah. Because not all, not a lot of Primarchs are dead. A lot of them are just missing. Because... Kurz, yes, Kurz was killed by someone that wasn't. Oh, that's right. Prime, but he allowed himself to die. That's not quite the same. Yes, that's not quite but, the same, but he is technically still killed by an on Wasn't Dawn torn apart by a bunch of cultists? Uh, he's killed by Chaos Space Marines. Space or allegedly, they, they only find his hand, don't they? Yeah. Oh. Find his fist. So Dorn is the only Primark that was killed that did not allow himself to be killed. Uh, uh, by non-space marines, uh, by non-primarchs. That's pretty weak. Yeah. That's that's very weak. I'm I'm unimpressed. Should we go to the fisting scene? <laughs> <laughs> so let's kind of bridge the gap. <laughs> so once they have Fulcrum, they drag him off to Fabius's. Well, laboratory is the best way to describe it now, isn't it? Yeah, this it, scene. It, it, Mentally, for me, is like, like that um, famous shot of that poor little girl sitting on the couch with like five guys behind her, all looking at her very hungrily. You all know what picture it is. Are you? Are you? Are, are you audio memeing? Are you audio memeing? Yes. This? Yes, we're audio memeing this. Those captains are looking at Fulgrim and licking their lips. That's... So they're looking down in that soft white flesh. It's ready and raring to go. <laughs> we've got melter guns. We've got power fists. We got poisons. We got poisons. We've got, uppers, we've got downers. We've got poppers. We've got the lot. We're ready to party. Uppers, downers, laughers, and screamers. Um, yeah. So, yeah, they decide. Uh, <laughs> but it's such an Emperor's Children thing to do. It's like, what do we do about the fact that um, our Primarch? Has a demon in his soul. It's like I don't know. It's, you know it's, what torture him? It's like ah, that sounds good. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That that sounds like it let's just torture out of What What are we gonna do to a demon prince of a god of excess? How are we gonna extract it out of him? Oh, I know. Let's torture him. Yeah, and the way this is written, so there's lots. The way McNeil writes this is lots of thrumming energy pods, and okay, uh, so. One of the sections, uh, I was uh, taking quotes from this. Um, you were talking of good and evil, said Lucius, taking hold of a plain wooden handle and uh, all and pushing it in deeper. Oh, you wield that spike like a master craftsman, said Fulgrim. You're as skilled with a small weapon as you are with a larger. I practice, said Lucius. I know, said Fulgrim. Oh! Yeah. That's... Uh... Marius shrugged and worked his. You could put some like porn music on the back of it. Marius shrugged and worked his device into position with a series of grunts. So you got this runer stuck. As Julius lifted a series of silver wands, some long, some short, and tapered. Is there an audio story? Is this one by one? Caseron peer one by one. Caseron pierced Fulgrim's body. The seven needle tip wands running in a line from crown the crown of his head to his groin. <laughs> Primark shook his head as Caseron stood erect and said, 
your positioning of the Swandaska Chaka needle is slightly off, Juliet. Yeah, so that thing you're plunging in out of me is slightly off. Um, a little higher might be better. Yeah. All the while, Kastron's grunting in the background. And this is after they've used some, a melt device to melt off his foot. <laughs> yeah. And the description of that, where, you know, the flesh is melting away, the bone is starting to come through, and then you start to get the bone charring and burning. The, the description McNeil uses for this is really horrific. And then as they're standing around talking, the foot starts to heal itself, doesn't it? Which makes them realise, we'd better get a move on here. Yeah. Yeah, we better, we better up the tempo here. The battle captains took position either side of the <laughs> and turned on their devices from the bound Primark. Caseron crushed knuckles with clamping pliers while Verosian worked the flesh at uh, a flesh plane across Fulgrim's chest, peeling back long strips of skin with each caress. Each caress. And Caseron was grunting all the while. <sighs> Come on, guys, he's healing. Let's up the tempo. Let's go faster. Let's go faster. Come on, let's get in there. Come on, quicker. We have such sights to show you. Yeah. Um, and this is all the. I, I love Fulgrims. So this does feel. I don't know. It, it just feels like, uh, like just some kind of like bullshit cosmic horror philosophy just thrown in you. Uh, I might miss this torture form of how everything leans towards complexity. The universe leans more towards complexity. Well, yeah, he's trying to make the case that uh, um, the opposite case of chaos. Actually, I didn't really I didn't even really think about that conversation much. Um, That's the opposite. He's trying trying to think of an excuse to make himself into a fabulous snake snake man. He's just just playing with them. And that's what you realize. It's like they're doing all this horrible shit to him. Right. He's enjoying himself. This is awesome. This is his best day. He's encouraging them. He's giving them tips. Yeah. Put the spike in higher. Oh, they're giving him more than tips. Thrust deeper. Go faster. <laughs> Go on, Kastron. Grunt. Grunt more. Uh, uh, yeah, but like, he's, he's, Where's he's playing with them. We could, we could get that involved as well. Get the head. <laughs> uh, I realized that like uh, at the beginning of the segment when he said, um, uh, 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 turn this off because <laughs> it's going to get blue. Um, I didn't realize it's because you had a bunch of quotes ready to go. <laughs> Do you know what? I don't know if there's an audio story of this. But I tried to audio... find one. I, cu- I couldn't find it. I don't know. If not, then we just got to get Miles to do it with the sultry yeah. Welsh tones. I'll do it. It's, uh, oh yeah. They're, they're just messing with, uh, like, he's just messing with them. He's, he's taking all this pain. But again, at a certain point when you're down... Uh, this this road uh, that that Fulgrim's on, pain and pleasure, and this again, this is the Hellraiser coming up. Pain and pleasure uh, uh, are indissociable, and so for him, he's evidence. Well, yeah, and it it's not so much. I mean, the, the physical pain doesn't bother him at all. Fulgrim's Fulgrim's looking to get off here. Um, Fulgrim's looking to get off in a big way because he's trying to fuck with their minds. Um, JP, I know you're a fan of All um, Sunny in Philadelphia. When Dennis uh, pretends to be that dead guy, to get off. <laughs> this is Fulgrim here. Yeah. And it's just building and building and building until the uh, until climax. 
uh, like they they try to exercise this demon. They they try to really work Fulgrim hard, but he's healing. Like he he doesn't give a rat's until first one of his arm free, arms free. Yeah, and then he beats the shit out of all. <laughs> and Lucius takes the knee and apologizes, and, and he asks him, "Oh, okay, Lucius, what's this? Contrition before you die? No, nope. it's respect." Because you were Fulgrim all along. You were Fulgrim all along. Yeah. And that's where Dennis gets off. Oh, God. Yes. That's where Fulgrim gets off. That's his climax. It's not the physical pain. It's with fucking his high, with his higher command structure to the point of I don't know what. Okay. So let's discuss this because um, when, I, when I was reading rereading this earlier today, because um, I'd read the story a few times before. It's just a, a classic. It's so good. I realized that we have done this, uh, but like we, we have talked about this, um, uh, this short story before, this novella before, but like seven years ago, I remember getting into a big argument with Mark about it, about whether or not Fulgrim is lying or if the demon is, is lying. And I recall uh, Mark being very insistent that like why would you believe this demon everybody's like okay oh well turns out fulgrim is turns out this this is fulgrim he's defeated the demon but like that I, and, and i remember mark being very adamant that that's exactly what the demon would say right so is this fulgrim or not what do you guys think um i think it is you think this is really fulgrim I think this is really Fulgrim, yeah. What about you, Darren? Do you think this is Fulgrim? I can see it being a bit of both. I think it's more likely to be Fulgrim because the actions that lead into Angel Exterminatus and his apotheosis into a demon prince. If it was the demon, why would he want to be collecting all those crystals to transform himself into a demon prince? That's fair. I, I agree with you guys. I do understand the point of view that says that, or that or that would argue that the demon, if you're a demon and you're inhabiting someone's body and someone's trying to torture you out, you could just say that, hey, I'm not the demon. I mean, that's what the demon would say. Um, but yeah, like with everything that goes on with Angel Extremnatus, um, I, 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 I was going to say, I believe Fulgrim, but it's like, what a stupid thing uh, yeah. to say. <laughs> Who the fuck would believe Fulgrim? But like, it but seems I think like it's probably view, what it was happening. That point of view is only reinforced by uh, what we know in retrospect, rather than at the time. I think at the time, they could have made a very valid argument yeah. either way, and it would just be what you just so happen to feel. Um, but yeah, in, in retrospect, I, I think it is Fulgrim. Yeah, I think it's, um, again, Fulgrim makes it clear uh, he was trapped inside, uh, like that movie Get Out, right? He's like yeah. trapped inside uh, of this body. Uh, he had to learn, um, you know, the Lair Blade Demon, he had to learn its weaknesses. And then like he kind of usurped his body back. That's what he says. Probably true. But I, the way that it's written, I do feel like there's some space for disagreement here. And I, I think it's a, it's a strength of the novella uh, that, you know, we could debate whether or not 
this is actually what's going on. I think it's it's it it, it, it shows how well written this thing is. And We're I not think supposed to know a, the, the the right answer. If it was a slashy demon, if he when he got his hand free, he would have grabbed one of the instruments and started diddling himself, not trying to kill his upper command. <laughs> Darren, your rebuttal. I can't. <laughs> I love how Darren's discomfort is like audibly. Uh, <laughs> you can hear it through the internet. How uncomfortable Darren is. Well, you two, you two are professionals, so you better pray nobody from your workplace listens to this. Someone, someone from Darren's workplace does listen to this. Oh yes, shit! I do. <laughs> this, this is not Darren's views. This is just some sordid. But story that you got involved in that I forced upon him because it, it's fine because I'm their line manager, so they'll do what I tell them anyway. So it's fine. there you there's go. A, there's, a chain, okay. there's a hierarchy of command. Yeah, you can tell them to put the <laughs> knife higher. Oh, that's no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh... That, I mean, I mean, looking looking back on the story, that was like the overwhelming. Um, memory I had from this story it was that Fulgrim gets well fucked by his command that's all I can isn't, remember from the story but go isn't back that and reread it that's the way we reminded ourselves the week before we recorded this but which one were we going to choose wasn't it, it was like are we going to do that story where Fulgrim gets fucked by his legion yeah, yeah so we wanted to do something like different and weird and we didn't uh and again like the last time we discussed this like seven years ago so i mean and this is um, i think this is the most unusual short story as an editor reading this why on earth would you commission this why on earth would you say okay let's slip this in here because someone told graham mcneil to have fun and graham mcneil had fun he wrote one of the best fucking stories of the whole series <laughs> i mean uh, like i respect because Fun. It's it's like, a great great story. It's it's a horror story though. You have to like approach it like that. And like we said at the beginning, it's a transition from the Empress Children we see at Ispan Five to the Empress Children we see in Angel Exterminatus. It explains yep. that that bridge between those two parts of the Legion because at Ispan Five, they are still very much the Legion of the Empress Children. When we that first description of the, in Angel Exterminatus, where you have that parade of cultists and then the empress children arrive yes the views of the the views of the iron warriors towards them there's a big jump unless you've read this kind of short story and a couple of others which fit in around it yeah this is where the empress children essentially go all in um this is where um because i think it serves an important purpose because at a certain point um uh, fulgrim he did not have the loyalty um, of his entire legion uh, for the way that he wanted to go forward, right? As essentially a cult legion, one of the four cult legions. Um, and, and there were still recalcitrants, um, including Lucius, including um, uh, Eidolon. Uh, and this is the one where Fulgrim really takes control of the legion. This is, this is where we're going. We are going to de- dedicate ourselves. We're gonna uh, we're gonna dedicate ourselves out to the Dark Prince. Uh, we're a cult. We're one of the cult legions. It's gonna be awesome. 
But it's such an unusual story to actually commission as an editor to say, okay, yeah, we, <laughs> because I mean, th- this story or the the Horus Heresy or Warhammer in general uh, is uh, homo- uh, Homeric retellings of ancient myths, right? It it's uh, built upon its um, quest narratives, but then you veer so sharply into this. It, it, well, it, I don't. Are there any other short stories in Games Workshop collection that have this level of, uh, I guess, a torture porn in there? Games Actually, Workshop. some of McNeil's, yeah, Ariel Ventress uh, novel, there's the Incapula. Do you, do you know what those guys are? Where, uh, no. Um, hold on. Uh, so it's um, like a forced breeding program invented by the Iron Warriors. What? Uh, and, really? Yeah, yeah, hold on. Um, it's the most nightmarish thing you can imagine. Uh, Incabula Warhammer. Because some weird shit in this story, like, uh, they, 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 they describe how, um, uh, like, the effects of, of, you know, what they're doing, you know, falling to Slanesh, has awakened kernel desires that haven't been there because I think, like, you know, Space Marines are child soldiers that are, I'm pretty sure, uh, especially eunuchs. Like, they're maybe not, like, physical eunuchs, but, like, they're, they, they, they don't technically have, like, sexual desires. Um, uh, and, and which, which is, like, probably one of the most nightmarish things of this entire universe is Space Marines when you really think about it. Like, it, it's horrible. They, like, kidnap children at, like, nine years old put a bunch of organs in them and, uh, and, and turn them into uh, super soldiers without their consent. It's a dark universe. Okay. So I found this thing. It gets even darker. Demon Cabula. Uh, it was a name given to individuals used in an attempt to create new chaos space rooms from mutated wombs from human females, uh, making use of the corrupted gene steel stolen from Imperial Fist repository world on Hydrocodatus. What? Yeah. Where where where's this from? Uh so this is from Dark Dead Earth Dead uh it's one of the Irreal Ventress novels. It's the Ultramarine novel. Um wow, okay, that's Demon dark. Cubula, yeah. And the uh images are really nightmarish. So whew, okay, it, it was a a hellish fusion of demonic power and biological science that permitted iron warriors to create new chaos space marines. Um, okay, the system began with fattening human female slaves who were shackled in cages, force fed nutrients. Okay, we get the point. It's um, a dark universe, and Graham McNeil is one sick puppy. <laughs> <laughs> I go back to my official synopsis Graham McNeil loves Hellraiser. <laughs> Uh, what's your opinion, Darren? <laughs> it is terrific, but then we also know the Imperium uses, uses background troops. The Goliaths and Necromunder are all background. That's true. Mm-hmm. For example, it's so a horrible universe all it's around. A, it's a horrible, it's a horrible, horrible universe. universe. I, think, I think the key difference is a lot of the descriptions are left left out. So, for like in Necromunder, they just describe that the Goliaths are background. They don't describe the process behind that back growing. 
Whereas clearly Graham McNeil has thought about it in depth and has shared that with people. Yes, yes, he has. <laughs> and now we're sharing it with all of you out there. <laughs> yeah, so this is, I mean, when you think back at the collection of short stories, this one stands out for so many reasons. It stands out for so many reasons. And there's more to it than the fist fucking scene of Fulgrim. There's Lucius development. There's the just falling apart of the Legion. Um, Eidolon getting beheaded. There is some good stuff in it beyond that. Uh, but it's one of those fun stories you don't need to read too much into. You don't have to look at like classical uh, history. You don't, you don't have, have to. Hold, hold on. You don't have to read too much into it. Like, like we've been t- chatting about this for an hour. <laughs> but that's, yeah. What do you mean we don't have to? For us. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> And I think you do need to like read. It. I think there's a lot of content in this little short story. And uh, like, uh, oh, Marcus, I like, I think you're a hundred percent right. Like, who the fuck <laughs> greenlit this fucker? This is a dark yeah. one. It's so, and it's very different. Like, um, uh, it's it's very different than a lot of the the the, the stories that they've done. Is when they go down to darker paths. Usually, um, it's it's this might be a very anglophone. Uh, this is a very anglophone thing where like graphic violence no matter how much graphic violence you have doesn't really matter but like certainly don't show a titty uh yeah (laughs) a lot of these stories are incredibly like graphically violent but this is this is very different this is this really does feel like um I, i guess what was once called like uh torture porn you certainly have to read into it that yeah. yeah it's i mean the sexual overtones are very much implied the language he uses you have to read it but it's brilliant it's also one of the fucking oh, so best good. stories of any uh, like, so fun it, it, and i think it is essential um and i would disagree uh with you when you say that it's sort of like a uh a buffer or or or, or something no um, that was me okay that was you filler um it's just i feel that like it does serve an important, like a really important role. It's like, what the hell happened to fucking Fulgrim? I don't think Angel Exterminatus makes any sense without this story. It's a, one of the better novels that shows the Empress children and what they do without going into cartoonish versions of what they do. Yeah. Without, yeah. without caricatures. It's, I hesitate to use the term, a more realistic view of what the Empress children are probably like. How about grounded? How about grounded as opposed grounded to grounded? Is, grounded is a better term to but use, yeah. I have heard criticisms of this. I know uh, one of my students in Empress Children Fan hates this story. He hates the side of the Legion. Um, like the side that's struggling? I, I the sexualized side. Uh, the, like the torture porn side of it. What does he think Slanesh is? Slanesh is it? <laughs> Slanesh Games Workshop has always, always had a tortured. Um, I didn't mean that as a pun, but like uh, had a, had a difficult relationship with Slanesh. Like, what do you do with this? This is not kid friendly. There's no way around that. <laughs> no, you can make no. the magic god. You can make the blood god. You can do the plague god. The god of uh, sensuality, excess, and excess. It's like, ugh. they've always had. A what difficult- I'd like to do. So I'd like to leave this segment open ended. I want to pose a question to our listeners. Can this sort of story be made today? Is this a throwback to a more savage time in games workshops uh, or Black Library's <laughs> writing life? Could this short story be made today? I mean, this was only a 10 year. 
Wow, this was 10 years ago. This, yeah, this yeah. I want our listeners to, I, I really want our listeners to reply to this, and perhaps we could come back to this in the next episode. But yeah, I, I want to leave it as that open ended question Can this be made today? Would this get greenlit today? Well, let's leave it open. But yeah, this is one of, uh, honestly, one of my favorite stories. Definitely up there with Prince Crows as the best novellas they've done, like like long form uh, short story. Uh, it it shows how much, like how interesting you can make a hundred and, but I think it's a, it's not even a hundred pages. It, it shows how much you can actually do with it. You don't need 500 pages. Glad to have a chance to talk about it. I think this will uh, close it off for Tales of Heresy and uh, we'll be right back for to become a challenge. Alright, welcome to Two Week Hobby Challenge. Unfortunately, Miles could not uh, be with us for this segment, so Darren and I will have to do the best that we can to critique everybody's wonderful work, which is probably going to be better than anything I did, uh, as usual. Darren, what have you accomplished? For me, I managed to get a unit of Minotaurs finished for my uh, Fantasy Battle Beastman Army. I also nice. got a pair of chariots done for them as well. So I've got some heavy punch now because I've got done with beast heads. So I've now got some heavy punching as well. I also, because the new Elder Codex is out for 9th edition, so that sucked me back in. Not that I've played any of 9th edition yet, but I do like the book. Um, so I started on a seer council because what is an Elder Army without a bunch of witches? And then I've also started some Armagers for my house Ethigan Force as well. That's my uh, 30k night household. So I fancied it something different. Could never get that far away from big stompy robots. That's not bad. That's pretty good. It's not bad. It's 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 a good, but then I had time. So and JP, you said you weren't doing anything. You've been constantly sending us pictures of your serial killer project. Yes, okay. Uh, uh for once, like no joke. Uh, I have done more hobby since I got back from Adepticon than in the two years before Adepticon, since before the pandemic. I thought that maybe I was losing my love of the hobby. I think I just lost my love of painting space marines and big units. <laughs> or at least I needed yeah. a break. I needed a break. So I managed to get my not my not Michael Myers painted. Don't look back the game that uh, I'm, I'm uh, presently infatuated with. Obsessed. I they don't. Obsessed. They don't. Yeah, but like you know, it's fine. It's fine to be obsessed with if it's a creative pursuit. Uh, 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 they obviously don't have the license for, you know, Michael Myers, who I think is it New Line. I think the, the Freddy's New Line. I think it's New Line. They, yeah, yeah. They they don't they you know they don't have a license. So I painted a not Michael Myers. Uh, definitely not. Uh, I, I I've painted four survivors. One is definitely not Sheriff from Clueless. Uh, so uh, I, I did four survivors uh, who are like the, you know, the main characters that I tried to not get uh, uh, slashed by Michael Myers um, and also built my cabin in the woods. I have a whole cabin. MDF went together like Lego. Beautiful MDF kit from uh, Black Sight Studios uh, uh, is the company that makes it just wonderful stuff. Can't recommend it enough. And it's been such a wonderful breath of fresh air for my hobby. It's been so long since at the end of a long day, what I've wanted to do is paint a model. Like, I, I don't know how to how better to put it. I, I completely understand. And for, for the benefit of listeners, because JP hasn't bothered posting anything up on the, um, the hobby challenge. Oh, well, I'm um, going to do that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that today. 
he is, he is, trust us. Um, but for the benefit of anyone who can't see JP's models, because we're not in a visual medium at the moment, is they are really good. They, they look really nice sculpts. They are recognisable as the characters you know from the movies, but different enough that they dodge around the IP issue. So they are they are good. And the cabin is amazing. Which prompted a long conversation on our message group about um, Cabin in the Woods, which we all thoroughly enjoyed. It is pretty much Cabin in the Woods, the movie. Because yeah. you're running around the board, like collecting items and, you know, you know, getting into some trouble. And then at a certain point, the killer shows up. And then you randomly generate the killer. Again, it's I, I talked about it earlier in the show, and I can't recommend this game enough. It's it's super fun. Um, and the models are crisp and beautiful. Um, well, and also terrible because, you know, it's a horror game. But it, it's yeah. just been a lot of fun to paint. It's rejuvenated. Uh, it's really rejuvenated my 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 love of of, of painting and hobbying, uh, which I thought was extinguished. You know, I never stopped liking heresies. It's like I, I had my heresy army, and I was like, yeah, I don't really feel like painting another one. That seems like a lot of work. I, I completely agree, and that's one of the things I've certainly found in the last seven six months as well. Is little projects are the way forward for me now. Just a unit here, a unit there, and build up several things at the same time, and just having variety. Variety is the spice of life. It is. It's been a lot of fun and it will be posted on our Facebook uh, page, which <laughs> was stressing me out for a while because I wasn't achieving anything. So every week was just like, ah, man, what did I not accomplish this week? <laughs> While Darren is like painting another like fucking 4,000 point army. <laughs> but, <laughs> you guys always talk about this, but my armies don't get that much larger. I just focus, I just do a lot of little bits on it. So we are, my, my actual armies aren't that big, but there we go. There we go. Let's talk about what the listeners have been talking about. Then. So let, let's start again. This. Are we starting with Anders? We'll start with Anders, with his busty yeah, bust. Anders, Fried- and, Anders Friedrichsen and his amazing bust. No pun intended. Which, obviously, Miles would probably tell us where this bust has come from, but there's a lot of busts out there at the moment, isn't there? People are working on a lot, lots of busts, but it's not the only thing he's been working on. He's also been working on an Indraster from Asia Sigma, or as I like to wind up my gaming group who do play Asia Sigma, it's for female Sanguinius. Because I'm sorry, you look look at that sculpt. It has wings, a spear, and a golden armor. It's Sanguinius. It's, it's Sanguinius. Um, there's no other way around it. And he's also been working on one of the Asia Sigma dragons as well, which are gorgeous, gorgeous sculpts, I have to say. Uh, as much as I'm not a fan of them in the game, um, for various reasons, which we don't need to go into because this isn't an Age of Sigma podcast, the sculpts themselves, they are quite impressive. So great stuff there, Anders. Thank you very much for sharing. Let's go to Ryan. Oh, working on a Doradio. Love the Doradio. It, yes, it is an undersung dreadnought, isn't it? It's I, we don't see them very often in the wild. I have one. I need to really finish painting it. But great, great stuff. Also, some pictures from Adepticon. Mad respect, Ryan. Beautiful stuff. It's nice to see he's using a proper legion as well. It's a proper legion. Yeah, sons of ours. Pro- yeah, proper legion. I you know, there's other legions out there. Eh? It, you, you don't have to no. just like the one. No, you're right. I also like the fourth. I mean, that's that's that that would actually be objectively the best one. Paul, Although world eaters, world world eaters are always tempting. White and white and red world eaters. Well, exactly. Well, that's why I was shifting oh, to Paul, yes. who, who's yeah. Let's move on really quickly because Paul's Paul's world eaters. Oh, Paul, you're not helping me. 
won three out of five games. That's fantastic. That's a heavy Land Raider list there as well, isn't it? Never enough Land Raiders. Are those the old plastics? Yeah, they're the, the plastic ones. Ah, oh, fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Mars pattern. Mars pattern. And a but it may be four Land Raiders, but that is a whole host of infantry that goes with it, though, isn't it? Yeah, that's a fucking great list. I really like it. Very, very nice poll. Well, like I do like that. Thank you very much for sharing. Nick finished a fire raptor for his thousand sons. Beautiful. I do love the fire raptor. Yeah, that that's gorgeous. I really like all the gold edging on that as well. Yes. White. And oh, you got the auto cannon auto cannon turrets as well, which is the, the correct way to run the fire raptor, in my opinion. As much of it as it's a bitch of a kit to paint and build, <laughs> to, not to paint, but to build, they look awesome when they are done. And Nick, you've done a great job there. Brilliant. Thank you very much. And Steve, on the following, Steve Sandon has got a Storm Eagle for his Empress children. Do you know what? If there's any kit I want redone in plastic, it's those two. I've never built any, but apparently they're a nightmare. I, I've built a fire raptor and I have a storm eagle in a box that keeps teasing me every so often saying, God, you know you want to. And it's just like, I, I really <laughs> want you in my army, but I don't know if I'm prepared to actually get you out and build you. But if they release a plastic one, I will be on that like a tramp on chips. Come again? Tramp on chips. Have you not heard that phrase? It's, it's probably a very not. British phrase. Sorry, no, but there we go. But yeah, I, I will definitely be all over a plastic storm eagle kit. Richard Neary, we've got Nadric Thole for his mate's Night Lord. Still a work in progress. We're shaping up nicely, I reckon. Ah, the fucking Electro Whip. It's like the old... That, uh, it, it, which character is Nadric? Pardon? Which character is Nadric? Which one is he? Is that the one who's got like the little dirty hatchet that he stabs people with as a surprise attack? And I don't away remember. He gets too badly injured. Clearly, he's got an axe and a whip because that's the conversion which is here. But yeah, it it looks really nice. We're going to look that up. Richard, either drop us a message to remind us which character Nedrick Thole is, or we'll we'll look him up in the next episode. All right. Love the whips. Reminds me of, uh, remember the old uh, uh, um, uh, Masters of the Universe movie where uh, Dolph Dolph, Dolph Lundgren gets like (laughs) electro whipped? Do we, oh, cool. No, let's not. Let's not. It was fine. Mm, I, I prefer, <laughs> if, we, if we're talking about if we're talking about electro whips, we need to talk about Flash Gordon more than anything. I mean, that was okay movie too. It wasn't that bad at all. Oh, uh, that's, no, that's a classic. It's a, a classic. classic. It's a good movie. Ollie, uh, I was working on uh, Ultramarines Angels Wrath list. I love the contrast between like the yeah the the, the marble steps like very roman and 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 very aquamarine kind of blue fantastic but i like gorgeous I love the gold face masks as well oh that looks fantastic oh jesus yeah. well we done. don't see enough assault marines outside of blood angels we don't see enough uh, we don't yeah. see enough assault marines and if i might i've got fingers Preach, crossed brother. we're going to get a yeah i've fingers crossed we're going to get those in plastic as well because plastic assault marines in mark 4 armor oh, you could use those for so many things. Anyway, let's move on because we, we don't want to have too much wish listing. Uh, Justin Gaskins, pretty productive on his elder Dark Elder. He's got two Archons, 10 Cabalites, 10 Guardians, and five Scouts. He would have done more, but he ran out of paint. Let's have a look at these. That's a lovely colour scheme. That really kind of turquoisey green of the Wraith Bone. 
Yes, I I, I always appreciate good elder army. Um, I know you yeah. do. I, yeah, there's, there's something about them. They're my first love. You never forget your first love, do you? So brilliant. Thanks very much for sharing those as well, Justin. I'm looking forward to seeing how you develop those. Well, next up, well, here we have Darren Winter with uh, some beautiful minotaurs, but we already talked about yeah. that. Skip past those. This really looks this looks fantastic. Um, Greg, our old friend Greg, we're getting on some word bearers, terminators, and a praetor. Uh, these are the plastic ones. Oh, that was. I yeah. still think the betrayal of Cal terminators are some of the best work that they've done in years. Yes, like a decade. I, I'd agree. Considering when they first came out, a lot of people were kind of very unsure how they were going to be able to transfer cataphracty army to plastic from resin. And clearly they worked really well, didn't they? Let's face oh, yeah. it. I mean, yeah, they, they, the options on there and how they look. Yes. And I love cataphracty armor. It is my favorite Terminator plate. Oh yeah. Well, like everybody, everybody agrees. No one lost their rose. <laughs> like no one, but Greg, oh, I, I love the red, just fantastic looking like unit. Uh, just really, really cool. Good basing. Fantastic. Yeah. Work. And it's, it's nice to see some little touches, like some skulls on there and, and bits. So they're, they're clearly word bearers, but not crazy word bearers. No, absolutely. Um, Keith Townsend still messing around with Heresy 1.0, uh, finishing off his Isvan 3 Loyalist Force, making sure that everything is ready for the event in three weeks. Well, at time of recording, it's actually next week, I believe it is. Um, very nice Suns, well, very nice Sons of Horus Force there. Yeah. All very nice. We can see traditional Sons of Horus colours and Lunar Wolf colours in there as well. Very, very nice. Great job, Keith. I hope the event goes well next weekend. Glory to the War Master. Of course it will be. Sons of Horus win no matter what. So next up is Philip, who's been painting some Ashers. Asher, uh, I, like, I, I love the Asher gang. They're very distinctive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, I, I like the modern interpretation, but as opposed to the 90s interpretation, well, yeah. Um, Necro is a good little game. I do like Necro. Beautiful work. I, I, I know Miles is a big fan of Necro as well. Tanel Wilson. Um, sorry, Tanel, if I've pronounced your name incorrectly. We've got some Templars units Hellbrecht, Bladeguard, Vanguard Veterans, Two Impulsors, and Redemptor Dread. The, the new Templar kits. Or, although they are 40k, they are gorgeous. What you can do, yeah. I have seen some people using some of those bits on 30k Marines as well. Um, and it does work that it's a very, very versatile kit, but they, those look really nice. Brilliant, thank you very much for sharing. Well, next up was Chris working on Solar Auxilia and Blood Angels that uh, he took at the company, uh, company of Legends, uh, lost all but his last game. Also finished some Sentinels for a return to his fan and been working on some medics. Awesome. But when Chris posts one of these, I always uh, 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 I, I always check to see if there's a picture of a dog. And there is. Yeah, there is. There's two dogs. Oh, my God. That's made my day. See, Chris, you may have lost all but one of your games, but you won the thread. You won the thread. You, Many you dogs. Thread, you got dogs. And, you know, you've taken you, you took Solar Auxilius, so you are already a winner. And those Sentinels are gorgeous. I've got a real soft spot for Sentinels. Sentinels look fantastic. Dogs look even better. Excellent weather. <laughs> well, done, well done, Chris. Uh, we've got Kurt Miles. Uh, Alpha Legion Army is getting painted. Oh, Alpha Legion. I think Alpha Legion 
going to have a bit of resurgence of a new edition, I reckon. I've seen quite a lot of people posting that they're going to start a new Elf Legion force. It's because of the biggies. So it's because like of the biggies. Yeah, oh, that's what it is. Of course it is yeah. Mark Six, isn't it? It's just so it's it's one nice. of the two legions that is characteristically beaky. Yeah, look fantastic. It's really, really good. It's not a candy too. It doesn't mm. look like a candy coat. It's just like a, a good, you know, just regular blue green. Looks fantastic. I really yeah. like it. Makes makes a change to see that kind of shade of blue as opposed yep. to the kind of metallic y purpley blue we often get. So yeah, cool. Yeah, next up is Keith working on some Dark Angels uh, tacticals and a second javelin and oh fuck yes, oh, a screamer oh, killer. Oh, do you what know what everybody really likes to call a Carnifex, but it's called a screamer killer. But he's gone, yeah, and he's gone for the traditional screamer killer pattern. I don't think you can have a pattern if it's a living creature. I'm trying to think what what you would description you'd use instead and um, so it's got the four claws so it's a modern um kind of kit with the four claws so that's a really nice update to the screamer killer brilliant bonus points they're not not quite as impressive with dog photos from chris but you come a close second keith ezra mayer oh ezra why do you do this to us so are you thinking of spending more money <laughs> <laughs> don't don't ezra i'm blaming you my wife will blame me more than anything. Um, so built and uh, printed and primed some more grimdark terrain. That's always good. Um, printed and started painting another thousand points of battle fleet heresy word bearer ships and another 850 points to the night lord's fleet. Oh, as, as I said earlier in the Adepticon chat, I still think the number of ships we were shown in the heresy video is a hint towards battle fleet heresy. I still think that's happening, and that's. I, I didn't mention at the time, but like, also the design of the ships is looks like heresy. Uh, sorry, it looks like yeah. it. It looks like old, uh, old, old BFG, which makes me think that um, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Dear God, that's that. That's going to be a massive investment. Glorianas, we all want the Glorianas. Oh, give, you know, give me the Iron Blood. Just give me the Iron Blood. Well, you you say that how big it's going to be deep deep down that you really want to conquer there's definitely a part of me that wants to conquer yeah, everyone, everyone's going to want to conquer doesn't matter what legion you have everyone's going to want to conquer because who runs for the conquer no one runs from the conquer yeah because you're about to get a fucking nurse's claw up your ass <laughs> <laughs> Gary oh. um, <laughs> uh, has been painting some imperial fists uh Beautiful uh, um, uh, gold, uh, 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 sorry, yellow. I'm supposed to call it yellow. I think it's supposed to be gold, but um, especially but, uh, the, the Spartan just gold looks fantastic. to that, though. I mean, yeah, that that Spartan and kind of the weathering, the washing you've done on that. And obviously, I'm not Miles, but I, yes, impressive. I like it. Brilliant. Even, even if it is Imperial Fists, we're, we're, we're big enough to accept that the Imperial oh, yeah. Fists look good before they get hit by mass reactive rounds. Right. Uh, David Carlin, Elder Ring has stolen has <laughs> eaten my soul and what should be my hobby time. Now, I, I can appreciate this. I don't play Elden Ring. I've only just got away from Witcher 3, having successfully done it. And I know how much time that is and, and that eats up. So, David, let Elden Ring have your soul for a moment until the new edition drops and then you'll come back. Yeah, just come back, back. You know, you'll kick the habit sooner back. or later. 
It's like I kicked my uh, Hearts of Iron 4 uh, habit <laughs> with this new yeah. game. Everyone's, everyone comes back eventually. Yeah. No one runs from heresy. Because <laughs> you're going to get fucking heresy's claw up your ass. Which is what the Age of That's the Age podcast. It's an Earth's claw up your ass. Yeah. No one runs. Um, Grant Wills. So during this two week period, being painted up an old hammer dwarf slayer just because yeah, old hammer's a way forward. Yes! Getting ready for the old world. Getting ready for the old world. Also converted up three greater demon beasts for your creeping scourge, ruin storm demon army, and been working on the ruin store. Uh, and a storm. dog! And a dog as well. Look at this dog! Oh, That's a good dog. He looks that, like a good dog. Uh, I think he's overtaken Ezra, to be honest. Oh, because it's a dog fight. So. All dogs are equally awesome. 13 no, no, out of no. 10. Chris, is, Chris is still on top because he gave us two dogs. That's true. Either way, 13 out of 10. They're all 13 out of 10. So, They're good dogs. Yeah. But the world eaters are gorgeous. That that dwarf slayer, brilliant. I love that. Very old school. Yeah. We just need to have a separate, like a separate Ooh. dude. Gobby challenge, which is just like, you know, just people sending us pictures well, of their pets. Yeah, what we need one week. What what I might do in between the hobby challenges is show us your pets. Yeah, show us your pets. Um, Grant, I'm really intrigued as to where you got those kits from for your demon beasts. Yeah, they look fantastic. They look really nice. Grant, can you let us know? Let us know. Yeah, they have like four four legs and shit. That's just really cool. Yeah. Mm, Like those. Like those a lot. So that's uh, that's it for doing up challenge. Uh, again, we're always a bit late with these. A bit, <laughs> we're always pretty late with these. All right. So As to close, said, you don't come to us for news, or you don't come to us for timely content. You come to us with quality content. Yeah, come to there, us for there's quality a reason. Content. There is a reason there's two historians on this podcast. We don't deal with current affairs. No, no, no. We're and, and we're also we're also very tired and lazy. Um, <laughs> Actually, that that's definitely not the fact. That's not that's not the case. All right. So to end the show today, I would like. Okay, we're going back. Last last episode, we decided to play some uh, Questmaster because um, I wanted to expand the horizons of of like nerd battle or that that wasn't metal. That was like synth. That was synth. Uh, but we're going back to uh, 40k metal because we've been finding a lot of really good quality 40k metal recently. Uh, shout out to Ben, who's been uh, sending me a lot of bands I never heard of. Yo, so I'm going to be playing a song from a band called Chainsword from Poland. <laughs> from the uh, uh, the album Blight March. And this this song, this is for you, Darren. This is just for you. This is going to be uh, track three off the tape that I purchased from that. The that, tape. Yeah, yeah. I purchased the tape, tape from Poland. As in cassettes. I cassette, yeah, I got a cassette tape from fucking Poland. Um, <laughs> for our younger listeners, please look these up if you're unaware what these are. <laughs> I I will always purchase a tape if it's available. I like the format. I think it's a great format. Anyways, this song, this track three off Blight March by Chainsword. This is, this is just for you, Darren. It's called Horus the Chosen Son. Oh, I see. And everyone knows it. <laughs> everyone knows. Enjoy everyone because I'll be enjoying this one as well. Uh, so that, uh, so uh, what do we do next episode? Next episode, we even make Armatura. a spreadsheet. What do we do next episode? Armatura. Armatura. We're going to be doing Armatura. We're going to be doing uh, the first destroyers. part, uh, first part of Old Earth. Uh, yes, we will be looking at Old Earth. Um, what else we didn't? There, oh. there should also be a painting black by Miles as well. Hopefully. Yeah. Um, that's a pretty packed episode. That should be a really good one. I'm looking forward to it. So that was episode 124. And... Thank you, everybody, for listening.